Hello, everybody. This is Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasperi. This is Frank Pelicone. And welcome to our hundredth episode, uh, which is going to be, I don't know, I guess our most long form episode, which I estimate is going to be three to four to five hours. I have no idea at this point. Um, mm. We haven't recorded everything, um, but what the concept of this hundredth uh, episode is going to be, this bloated episode, um, is that uh, we're going to kind of introduce this and talk for a while, um, kind of like a little bit of a meta retrospective um, on the podcast. Frank is going to give us his top five. How do you want to word it, Frank? Regrets because regrets. I don't make mistakes. Because you don't make mistakes, right? Um, <clears throat> errors. Okay, regrets. All right. Um, I'm going to write that down actually because I don't forget regrets. Um, and. He's going to give us his top five regrets in the first um, 99 episodes of the podcast so far. Um, uh, and then you'll be hearing kind of like deep dive conversations about specific movies uh, with friends of the podcast, Orion Wellmaker, uh, Aiden Boyer, Jason Heaster, and Mike Bledsoe, uh, where we've given uh, people that have been on the podcast before an opportunity to come on and talk about um, a specific movie that they just really want to talk about, whether they think it's you know something they really love, something that they think is underrated or not appreciated enough, something they dislike, um, something that's pivotal to their lives. So you'll be hearing um you know uh, uh four different conversations uh after this piece of it um but frank a hundred episodes i didn't uh, we've talked about this a couple of times like on a quick cage or you know like on the regular podcast but i really really did not think this would last that long honestly yeah we definitely don't have any kind of uh stick to so to speak when it comes to finishing things out Right. Um, right. But yeah, like it's um, it's interesting because when we first started talking about doing it, I honestly didn't know like how long we would go just before we ran out of stuff to talk about more mm -hmm. than anything. Mm -hmm. So actually getting to the point where like we're moving into, I guess, past our centennial and into the next whatever. And plus, you know. 50 plus quick cage episodes and then what would you say maybe like a dozen other yeah like kind of things here and there reviews um, yeah, retrospectives, things, retrospectives like, yes. sure right yeah and to like still have all these movies that i would like to talk about and like you know just a, a bunch of lists like we have the whole year worked out and we had to cut probably like 10 yeah um ideas off of that Absolutely. And it, you know, it's pretty fluid. Like, it changes because one of us will think of something or, like, I'll make some joke and then it'll turn into, well, you know, that would actually be a pretty good list. So, I don't know. It's um, It's been enjoyable. Like, I hope the people that listen to it get some enjoyment out of it, too. Um, yeah. Because I know that I really enjoy doing it. Yeah, no. Um, you know, this is this is really just something we always did. It's just much more structured. Um you know, in public than it ever was before. I mean, we've been doing this for a long time now in one way or another. Right. Um, and yeah, no, I really enjoy it. Um, you know, it's like I, I get it for me because you're making the lists. It's like I get exposed to 
a lot of movies that I probably would have never watched before, um, you know, in, in one regard. And sometimes that's really enjoyable. And sometimes it's um, just funny because I, I, you and I do have in some ways divergent tastes at times. Um, and then, um, and then it's like, I get to rewatch like so many things that like, you know, and like reexamine them, uh, which is really fun too. And because I have no idea what you're ever going to pick, it's like, you know, um, you know, there's, it's, I'm always most excited when there's like a list, like with like three things that I've never seen before. Um, and yeah, so I mean, and it's given me like, you know, something else to focus on in life, you know, like, because uh, we've talked about it multiple times, especially early on about my lapsed kind of like movie um buff status i guess like um where i really just didn't watch that many movies from around 2008 until 18 when we started this podcast was like 10 years where it's like maybe i would see a new movie um four or five times a year um i just was watching television more um focusing more on work and it's really given me something to um you know fill in time in an enjoyable way and then actually exercise brain power when you and I talk about, you know, um, whether it's the history or analyzing these movies. So yeah, it's been an enjoyable time so far. Yeah. I really enjoyed it myself. Um, but yeah, I don't see us, like you said, I don't see us stopping anytime soon. Like, because it's like, we have this whole year planned out. I mean, we had all these ideas that we didn't get to and it's constant, like, you know, where it's like, even if it's just a joke, like, you know, I mean, Christ, one of our episodes this year is the top five psychosexual thrillers. And like, that came off of like, that developed out of a joke, I think, one morning at like 7 a.m. when I was watching Bad Timing, you know? I mean, right. um, like, it, it, we're, we're constantly like just thinking of like different things. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's crazy that we're like in our third year, um, hitting this, hitting this mark now. Um, yeah um but yeah and i'm also excited over like some of these conversations we we've you know behind the scenes we've recorded one already and we still have three more to go um but i i'm i'm interested in these conversations with like our friends of like what they want to talk about um you know and you know because it's different because it's always you making the list like so it's different like the you know we get to talk about something that somebody else wants to talk about that's outside the two of us yeah i'm not interested in that <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's fine. It'll be. It's. It's. It was fun doing the first one. I'm looking forward to doing the other three. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. All right. So I had. So again, this is going to be wildly different from normal. Normally, Frank gives me these lists. Ever, usually, like month, six weeks out. You know, um, of what we're normally covering. Um, I purposely, I know one movie that's going to make this list of uh, Frank's top five uh, regrets um, from the first 99 episodes, but otherwise I am unspoiled on this. I have no idea what he's going to mention, so I am um, really intrigued of what Frank thinks he fucked up. Yeah, like messed up on. Um, uh, So do you want to do this like we normally do from five to one? So, yeah, that's how I have it written down. But let okay. me say I have two, I have two honorable mentions. Okay. All right. Um, one of them I can't really mention, but 
there's a movie on one of the um, 90s horror films list. See, <laughs> so this is like a pre preemptive. Yeah, this is a preemptive regret that I had honestly forgotten about this movie. And I kind of wish that it had gone on um, the post-apocalyptic hidden gems list. Mm. Um, I would like to have put it on there just because there's some elements of it that I think are really striking and mm-hmm. like really bare talking about. And, and, and it's fine that it ends up on this list, but like to me, the is this next week's list or this week's yeah, list? Okay, okay, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, like I, I feel like these lists tend to like veer more towards like the campy, and you know, it's it's more fun just to talk about horror movies. But I think that like from like an aesthetic standpoint, there's a lot of um. A lot of really interesting uh, visuals in this movie, and I would like to have talked well, about Well, actually, it. you know what, Frank? They will hear that episode, and we're going to talk about this, I'm sure. They will hear this episode before, technically, uh, that oh, episode right. before this episode. So I'm assuming you're talking about hardware? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm living in the future because the present is my past <laughs> right now. <laughs> um, right. So that list and we'll, we will talk i already have it written down to talk about this that list has a big asterisk on it though a big asterisk like because one of those whatever your number one movie on that list is going to be which at this point i don't know what it is but that's the only movie that would actually make that top five in that year if we had not talked about four of those other movies that appeared on previous lists so i think you're forgiven on this yeah yeah, I, I think so. Right. Um, non, non-regret. All right. So other um, mild regret is um, not having angst on the 83 list of um, B-horror movies. Mm. Um, that was a movie that we watched, I think. I think it was, I think a, fr- I watched- it was a Fresh Five. Yeah, I think I watched it and I was like, hey, you should check out this because it was for the Fresh Five. And then, mm-hmm. like, we were both pretty struck by it. But, like, afterwards, it was like, man, like, I wish that I would have known. Like, I would have liked to have put that on that list because I think that, I mean, fucking Pieces is on the 1983 list, you know, so this couldn't have replaced Pieces. But anyway. Yeah, this was, that was episode 33. I found it um, that Angst was on um, the Fresh Five in April, May of 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So it it really should have been on the eighty three list, right? But those are just minor. Like I, you know, they still ended up on the list, and I don't think that it was. I think the list they ended up on are fine. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with them. So um, so let's get into the number five regret. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one that you've anticipated. Um, and it's only a minor regret because still, from like a nostalgic perspective, I still. I, I'm, I'm like 50% where I feel like it was still the right choice because I always do have like a true nostalgia pick, mm-hmm. but that's um, putting true romance on the greatest movies of the nineties list. Right. Episode because, number five for those that are like kind of keeping track. Yeah. So we've gone through so many movies from the 1990s over the past two plus years that are so much better than true romance. And it's just like, I guess growing up in that decade, you kind of forget like how great the cinema was um, mm-hmm. because you just kind of take it for granted that you were 
you know, able to like watch it and like live it. And it, right. it doesn't hold the same. It's like when I watch movies from the seventies and I'm like consistently like blown away by stuff from the seventies. Cause I just like love the way it looks mostly because like, they're all these, when I find a new movie, it's always an undiscovered gem that I didn't know, you know, that maybe as a minor movie or there's something where it was out of print or whatever. And so it's always like finding like hidden treasure. Whereas like most of the stuff that's really great in the nineties, like I saw in the nineties, you know, and a lot of it I saw in theater at release. And so I think I kind of take for granted a little bit that how special that was to like grow up through that and like mm-hmm. really come into like a true love of, of movies during that time. Um, and true romance was one of those movies that I loved because, you know, there's some, weird like morose teenage attraction to the Clarence Worley character and a really like base like sexually intellectual attraction to the Alabama character and mm-hmm. you know there's like the language in it from Tarantino which is all spot on and mm-hmm. there's some really funny scenes and some really good like actiony scenes and mm-hmm. It's it's still like a fun movie, but it's just not one of the best movies of the nineties. Right. I mean, it's it, not it's maybe, not a top five movie of the nineties. I get what you're saying. Maybe it's like a top thirty movie of the nineties, maybe a top twenty five or something. I mm-hmm. think that's probably like like it's right. it's outer edge, but Right. And this like and, I was Yeah. Because at the time we were thinking like I was thinking like, well man, I need to cram all these movies in because right. how long are we gonna do this? So I just need to talk about it. Sure. Um, and actually, that is going to be probably the next, um, at least the next three movies on this list. Or that's that's their theme, right? Um, but yeah, that's that's something where like going back in time, I would have definitely redone that list. So maybe if we do like a revisit at some point, mm-hmm. um, in like the future of one of these lists, like that would be something I would change, right? So that's uh, number five. And just and just as a, a reminiscence, like. And I, I think you acknowledged pretty much all of that in some way. I think you, you put a, a slightly more positive spin on it like while we were talking about it to sell it. But um, immediately, immediately after we were done that podcast, you're like, God, I wish I hadn't put True Romance on this list. <laughs> I think that was one of the first times where we had really discussed like, well, at some point we're going to have to do a top five like mistakes or regrets. It was exactly then, yeah. Like, yeah. and it's it's been um, what did I say? So it's been ninety five episodes, all right. But it's like, yeah, we that's it's been that long, um, because we were that was in the dining room, I remember. Um, and just a little bit of quick history is like, so we recorded on one mic for what the first five or six episodes in the office here, yeah, right. On a chair and, between us. And then I realized I had fucked everything up. Right. And then I realized I had fucked it all up, like, in terms of the audio, because I wasn't actually using the mic. And then we re-recorded those episodes once I had two mics and had it yeah. all figured out. And so um, so then we moved to the dining room. And then I think we figured out, I think it was the top five crime films of the 70s is one maybe the first one we moved into the living room maybe and started doing it and there's actually better audio at that point um and then yeah 
and then we actually improved the audio even more and um i can't remember what episode that was that was like oh no that would have been in january of last year um and then yeah, COVID right, after right and right because yeah and then and then COVID happened and fucked everything up and we just do it over zoom now um but i remember that was like um that was the dining room and i remember i remember the you had such a look of just disappointment on your face um, when we took our break um, back then uh, between the movies. And um, you're like, man, I wish I had to put True Romance on here. <laughs> it's true. But we marked out. Well, no, sorry, you didn't mark. You like that scene a lot. But it's like I marked the hell out during that podcast about the um, uh, the Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken scene. <clears throat> Still a fantastic scene. Absolutely, you know, I just go watch that scene sometimes. I mean, it's 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 truly like a clinic in terms of two really talented actors making making something their own just through the strength of their performances. I guess absolutely, yeah. No, absolutely, yep. No. Um. So yes, yeah, so that's number five. All right. Uh, number four on the list is again from one of the earliest episodes that we had um i really regret putting scrooge on the hauntings list um or go hauntings is that what we what we called that the top five movies about hauntings or something like that uh the top five movies involving hauntings i think um yes involving hauntings um because i didn't I can't remember what what was the rationale for that. There was a there was a reason for that. So again, it was one of those things where it was like I really like this movie. Who knows how long this is going to go on? I was also probably trying to be like clever and you know defy expectations of like oh you know I would, mm-hmm. didn't expect to see Scrooge on here. Mm-hmm. And really, I should have just gone with like some other ghost movie. And I, I don't have an answer for what that ghost movie is, but at some point we're gonna we could do top five Christmas movies or whatever. I mean, there's plenty of stuff that could happen where Scrooge could make a list and it didn't necessarily have to be that. Um, so I, I kind of regret like number one, I kind of regret like shooting my wad with Scrooge that early. And number two, I regret like taking up a spot on the list about, you know, haunted house movies, ghost movies that, um, maybe didn't need to go there. So, all right. So let me let me let me say this is like, so this is your number four regret, but it might be the most egregious one in the sense of you just kept going with it because this was the pre-podcast episode we recorded on a damn digital recorder, right? <clears throat> what three months before we started the pod? Like we started the podcast? Oh before- yeah, yeah. The the one that has the forty-five minute. Drunken diatribe about um Lady in White that morphed into you talking about um after school specials. Yeah, the Red Room Riddle. Yes. You still never watched Red Room Riddle. You I did. No, I did watch the Frank. I did it the next day. You didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't. But I mean, um, but but nevertheless, I watched it. I watched it the next day. I was extremely hungover. You didn't watch um, it like as, as a six year old. That's what that's what only oh, mattered. Right. I mean, you need to look at it from those six year old's eyes. I mean, I haven't watched most of your number five picks on this podcast from a six year old's like viewpoint either. So true. 
Right. And that's where I saw a lot of them. So. Right. But anyway, it should have been something else. And I don't know what that other thing should have been. But there's plenty of other options and plenty of other great movies involving hauntings. Right. Um, and probably not this movie. So. Right. And I've, I've learned not to be so fucking, like, clever about things. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I really just go with my gut and what I really feel like are the ones that I like the best or that have the most whatever um, impact to me or are the best and not, like, try to do give you, like, the hot take or whatever. So I feel that what happened at some point is you kind of got into a mindset of using that number five spot for exactly that like you know that nostalgia pick in some ways yeah um and i can't remember what the order was on that list honestly at this point but i mean i think i think it was five on that list it probably was yeah um so i mean i i think that trend continues i don't don't think it was you being too clever i think it was a nostalgia pick which has become a pretty common thing um, yeah, but I think it was also me trying to be clever. Trust okay. me. Okay. I remember my right now. <laughs> okay. I was just trying to help you out. Okay. Uh, yeah, I don't need the help. This is this is regrets, you know. So this is what right, I'm. Okay. Regretting. All right. Okay. Okay. So the number three movie is basically the same thing. Um, while I don't necessarily think this movie doesn't belong in this list, it's again another thing where. I feel like something else could have gone here and it would have been just fine. And this movie would have ended up on another list somewhere that would have been more meaningful and more appropriate. Um, and that's putting the Rocky horror picture show on, um, the alien movies list as opposed to saving it for like cult classics or, mm-hmm. um, some musical list someday. Like there's plenty of things where it would have been better. I think to put it on there. Right, and again, it was another thing where it's just a movie that I love so much that I just wanted to like talk about. So instead of like crafting a list around it, I tried to craft it into a list. And I think that you know, there's plenty of better alien movies that we could have talked about that could have gone in there and still like given a good home to Rocky Horror at some point. Right, um, and also it's a movie where I feel like a lot of people who watch movies know the Rocky Horror Picture Show. So you're not really like talking about anything that's maybe like a hidden gem or more unknown or something that has kind of maybe fallen by the wayside. Like it's definitely something that stayed in the public consciousness for whatever, like the 40 years of its existence, 50 years of it, 45 years of its existence. So Mm -hmm. um, I would have liked to have put something else there, but you regret that more for trying. Do you regret it more for not having another alien movie that would be more apropos or do you regret it for, putting a uh, forcing rocky horror on that list i think it's both okay i think there definitely are more apropos <clears throat> alien movies um i mean certainly like we've talked about some in the interim but you know i mean there's it's a genre that i tend to enjoy when it's done right because i think it's sometimes like almost the perfect blend of like the things i like about sci-fi and horror usually with like good alien movies so i don't know I, you know I don't necessarily regret something like the man who fell to earth. Cause I think that's a great movie, but even that's another one that like, that's a different list. You know what I mean? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's definitely because Bowie is, you know, an alien 
on in the movie like it's certainly more apropos than rocky horror even though they're aliens it's like i don't know that's not really the point of the movie so right i got gotcha. you yeah I so that's it. regret number three okay um the next two regrets are more broad maybe or at least less specific um regret number two and this is something that like I regretted probably as we were doing this podcast and maybe like within like a few hours of us finishing it, but definitely like around right when we did it, mm-hmm. which is not spreading the top five horror movies of the 1970s out by year uh-huh. in the way we did the eighties uh-huh. and making such like this very all encompassing list that could never be, like a true representation, you know what I mean? Like it's like, how do you, right? Like from my perspective, how do because I you love it? the right, yeah. Mm-hmm. But really, and it was more or less. I just want to talk about like Texas Chainsaw and um, Suspiria and whatever else is on that list. But right. ultimately, like as soon as we finished, I was like, well, I wish that this would have been on there, or I shouldn't have put that right. on there. You know, like I wouldn't put Bay of Blood or Twitch of the Death Nerve, whatever we called it when we reviewed it. Yeah. Um, I would not have put that on, you know, this list now. Like, sure, sure. Right. You know, and this, uh, you're talking about, episode, uh, so it's episode number 11, top five horror films of the 70s. And you had Bay of Blood, uh, Texas Chainsaw, Frightmare, Suspiria, and Deranged. And can I take a guess real quick of what would remain on there if you didn't want to talk about some of these movies or try to get, actually bring it, draw attention to these movies can i take a guess of what would remain on there in the in that top five sure suspiria and texas chainsaw massacre that there are three other movies that you would actually put on this list Uh, if if we had broken it down by year and then you had to choose five of the best i would consider leaving deranged on there okay I I, really I mean like I can see that that was the, that was my that was my controversy that was like the one I was unsure about but I mean te- Texas Chainsaw Massacre is absolutely absolutely number one for a no brainer yeah um and then yeah Suspiria probably yeah. remains on there but like I don't know I I watched so many right. like so many and I'm consistently finding things where I'm like oh like I love this movie and I would love to talk about this movie and. It just feels like that. that's another list where at some point I think we need to do a revisit on it. So maybe in like year three, we'll have a series of like revisit podcasts or something. But I, I, I mean, look, Frank, I mean, I don't know if we talk about this shit, but I mean, I think at this point, like if we're doing 80s B horror and then 90s horror, like we at least got five years in us. My plan at this point is for you to do 70s and 2000s horror. Um, sometime within five to six years of this podcast, just like you've done the other two lists. Yeah. Um, and I think what we would do is when we do seventies horror, is we do the revisit right after we break it down by year and how you would like regrade it in the top five of those ten, you know, ten years that we went through. Yeah, it's a good idea. So yeah, so that was it. I mean, I just felt like. Again, I felt like we were like operating under the pretense maybe that it wasn't going to last for more than 
right. however many episodes and like right. just get it out. And like mm-hmm. I really have always wanted to talk about Texas Chainsaw. Sure. And I always talk about Texas Chainsaw, even like real right. life. Because um, you had, you had me watch all of those movies at some point. Besides Bay of Blood, I never seen. That was the only one I hadn't seen. And there's one you wish you hadn't seen. Yes, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't really enjoy that movie. Oh, I, I, I thought there was some interesting stuff in it, but I didn't enjoy that movie. No. So, so that was number two. Yeah, that's number two. Okay, is number one going to be a fucking movie that you like really just don't like now? No, 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 no. This, Damn again, it! It's, it's it's a really broad, really broad topic. I think. Okay. And it's again, it's it's really similar to the number two, but this is just in general. Okay. Mm-hmm. I wish we would have been more specific with lists early on. Like, I wish we would have seen. Yeah. Instead of saying the top five alien movies, you know, you do. Right. Yeah. Like. Humans encountering aliens in space or aliens yeah. invading Earth or. Yeah. You know, alien like infiltration. You know what I mean? Like, there's all kinds of. Yeah, things and there's where... times we do that. It's like episode three is top five period pieces of the seventies, and it's like I think that's pretty specific. It's more in line with what we do now, right? Right. But then, like the top five alien movies, the top right? Five yeah. Haunting, you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. Sure. Right. Because yeah. Haunties can be so many things, and you could do like yes, gothic, right? Gothic right. horror or haunted yeah. houses or. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, there's plenty of stuff where you can... Well, as we've learned from Mike Flanagan's shows, it's like hauntings can mean a lot of things, right? Right. So, to me, I just... I, I kind of wish it had, you know... Like, with the um, benefit of hindsight, like, look back and say, like, hey, let's really try to, like, carve out these, like, niche lists now so that we can spread a certain theme among, like, four or five podcasts instead of these giant like all-encompassing like portmanteau like episodes that you know ultimately like, you're gonna have to go back and like change things anyway because you see new movies or your taste change or you know right. whatever like you sure and that happens to me all the time where like i'll watch something and i'll be like oh my god you know this movie's amazing i've never seen this movie but it would have been perfect on this list but now we've already done this list so right um one thing leading into like your number one regret there about breaking things down is like we did the top five heist movies of all time, yeah, and like that one's always bothered me because it feels like we could have done top five by decade probably, and had yeah, I agree with lists. that. Um, so let me ask you this question: mm-hmm. You're obviously were waiting for me to say something. No, no, no not, not anything specific. I was just waiting for you to have a movie because I really was hoping for like one movie that, like at least, that you, in hindsight, put on a list and really didn't like when you rewatched it. I was hoping for an admission of like true guilt of like one that you just sold even me on. That you liked it, and really, when it came down to it, rewatching it after X number of years, you were like, mm. "No, not not that I could think of when I went through the list. I mean, nothing that okay. um, nothing that like immediately jumped out where I said like, oh my god, like what was I even thinking about that?' Yeah, I mean, there's obviously some stuff I put on these lists that are you know objectively not 
great movies, but mm-hmm. they always have something to me where I still will stand by, like my enjoyment of them. So right, but I don't know. You know, um, I liked going back and looking through the podcast. Like there were some things that I had forgotten about. There was some other minor stuff, like. I think the modern westerns. I end up. I can't remember what it was, but it's like, yeah, like I should have put something else on there. Or, yeah. um, little hindsight about that episode. That was the only time I believe that I have fucked up our audio after I learned how to do our audio. So if you go back and listen to that episode, do you remember this, Frank? Um, if you go back and listen to the audio of that episode. Um, it is worse than the things that came before it and the things that came after it. Just slightly. I tried to adjust it as best I could, so at least it's understandable. Like right. you can hear us. But um, but I really liked that episode a lot. Um, um, like I, I liked watching those movies and I liked talking about it. And um, it was I was really angry with myself. Um, for that fuck up. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. Did we have the did we have the proposition on there? Uh, in the modern the... westerns, it was uh, let's see, tr- Unforgiven, Tombstone, True Grit, Proposition, um, and Bone Tomahawk. There was something that I've watched in the past like year where I really thought like, oh yeah, this that should have gone on that list, but I can't remember what it was. And there's been some other small ones where I've watched something like, yeah, like we need to do that. And, yeah. There's also some things that I really wanted to talk about that maybe it's just because like I've watched so much of it like I feel like it's a little played out and I've never like wanted to go to a whole episode of it. Like I would love to do like the top 5 um like Ronin Samurai movies. Mm. Um and I was especially thinking that after we watched um uh Shogun Assassin, you know, like right. there's so many movies that are similar in Sure. Um, premise to Shogun Assassin, but are like ultimately like really great movies. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's actually in some ways like a really great companion piece to Yojimbo, um, that I would like to talk about. So, you know, stuff like that where I think, right, we made these lists and that maybe we should have like maybe like given more, not, not, not given more thought, but you know, yeah, no, I anyway. understand. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I have a couple things that i want to ask you that i have not asked you off the podcast but um i want to get like your gut reaction on things um in terms of what comes to your mind when i asked you what were your favorite episodes to record like that you're that's your proud that you feel off the top of your head that you're proudest of um i like the tarantino episode a lot Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I really thought there was a lot of good um, combination of kind of like mark out fanboyism and like real like critical analysis of him as a director um, I really enjoyed doing the heist movie episode mm-hmm. um, I also really enjoyed the modern westerns episode I thought that was really good mm-hmm. Um. Hmm. I don't know. I wish I had more time to think about it because I gotta like really think back to 
Yeah, I agree with you. I, I remember really enjoying the heist episode a lot. Um, here here are a couple of my regrets and a couple of my like kind of like things that I liked. Um, I wish we had waited longer to do the Dave Lynch episode until we got more. Oh used yeah, to, yeah, 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 yeah. That we had gotten more used to doing the podcast before we dived into him. Um, although maybe it was best because I think if we did David Lynch now, we would have a five hour podcast. Um. If we legitimately sat down like we do now and started talking about him, um, but I really enjoyed that. Um, I so the heist movie I agree with. Um, I think I really enjoyed the counterculture movie because it was so unique in terms of the movies that were on that list. Um, like it was just all over the place. Um. Like, in some ways, like, it's Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Desperate Living, Liquid Sky, Sid and Nancy, and With Nail and I. Um, and while I get, like, the counterculture aspect of it, I just thought it was a very unique list that kind of took us in a lot of different places. And I really enjoyed that episode a lot when we did it. Um, <clears throat> because of my proclivity for crime, I think that we really did a good job on the 70s crime film. Um, yeah, that was a good list. That, I mean, yeah. Um, I also thought like one of our probably I thought kind of like deeper episodes, like in terms of like going into talking about meaning and universal truths and stuff like that was the Shakespearean tragedy adaptations. Oh yeah, that was a really good episode too. I forgot mm-hmm. about that. Like I walked like these are ones I'm like thinking about, and I we I walked away feeling really good, like you know, like uh, after doing them, um, uh, for both of us. There's episodes I enjoy. Don't get me wrong, because it's like I love doing the fish out of water comedies with you, um, because you were so reticent to do it, but it was still a fun list, you know. But yeah. ones that I walked away really proud of. Um, I enjoyed the best of Eddie Murphy. Um, it, I, the only mistake that was made there is that I didn't hit record 20 minutes before we started the podcast um, uh, when Marvin was over here. Um, that's that's my biggest mistake out of that episode. Because um, that was really fun. Uh, sci-fi movies in the 90s, which I was not interested in whatsoever. Was that one of the random lists? Mm-mm. You wanted to do it, oh. or maybe I, maybe I made you do it. I don't know, but I thought it ended up being like a really good conversation about those movies. Um, I don't know if you remember that list like particularly well, but I'll tell you what's not on it is motherfucking Gattaca. It's not. It's not. Hmm. Uh, yeah, is, you know is what that, that is, is, is that hate or indifferent? It's indifference. I I don't care about Gattaca. But these these movies just keep growing. That you're gonna have to choose from at some point. Um. Oh Jesus! I, what was on the top five summer movie list? Do I Jaws? Right. Yeah, but I like I kind of like Jaws. Like rewatching. Jaws is a movie. Oh, Days Confused. Right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, no, that, was fine, that was a fine. That was a fine. No, that was a fine list. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of Days Confused. Um. Yeah, I'm tr- there was there was something else I wanted to bring up though that um damn it and I cannot find it now. Uh 
I don't know. I've lost it. 70 sci-fi is so your list. Um, there's so much your list more than anybody else's list in the world. Um, I respect it, but that is like so, that so your list. Um, so your thing. Like Orion and I will joke sometimes like about like 70s horror with certain movies. Um, like the one, you, what's the one you had me watch the other day that you told me I had to watch? Uh, it was on Shutter. Oh, um, Blood on Satan's Claw. Yes. It's like, I thought the movie was pretty decent. Like, you know, I was actually like really impressed by the acting of the time period. Like I like thought the story was fine. But that's one of the movies that, like, Orion and I would joke, it's like, that is the most frank movie in the world, <laughs> is that movie. And those sci-fi movies kind of fall in that category for me, too. It's like, it, it, there's a very frank movies. Except for um, Stalker, I think, right? Like, you know, which is just a masterpiece and probably is, like, a top, I don't know, like, 20 film of all time. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, but a lot of those movies were very frank movies. But... Oh, Blood on Satan's Claw is amazing. Dude, that movie is so good. It's good. And it's it good. Like it's good. The greatest soundtrack. It's, and, it's oh, good. It's good. Movie. It's good. That's that's what, I, what else can I say? It's good. Like, but it it's it's a very. It's very there, there's movie. there's something about. So that's a. Golub movie, I think, which is like one of the Hammer competitors. Mm-hmm. It's not a Hammer movie, but it's like by a studio that was competing with Hammer. Those movies, like the Hammer movies, the Canon movies, the Trigon movies, um, like I love those movies so much. Like they're there's just something about the look and I don't know, like they feel like medieval and dirty and I don't know. Right. Like you're watching like Maybe because they're just so British or something, and that makes them alien in their own right. So I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So a couple, a couple, a couple other questions I had for you because I can't find what I was talking about. I did, I did love doing the top five movies that uh, Chris loves, but Frank hates. I, 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 I enjoyed doing that. I loved it too. Um, <laughs> oh, top five worst summer blockbusters. That was a great list. Yeah, it was. As much like hatred yeah. as it like. Brought uh-huh. out and you're like, man, I like doing that because it's so nice to just be able to like shit all over something. Yeah, no, right. The the, the horror remakes was kind of fun too. It was yeah. more depress. It was more depressing to me, though than the than the summer list. So you're right, that's a better one. But yeah, it is fun to just shit on stuff sometimes. We need to we need to replay something and do that again at some point this um this year. It, it is fun every once in a while just criticize yeah. and hate. Um. Which you'll probably hear a little bit later in this episode. Um, but right. um, is your favorite? I don't know for you. Like out of the first watches and stuff we've done, um, do you have one that like sticks out? Because I, I think the Nell first watch that we did during COVID last year is probably my favorite. <laughs> <Chicka> Bay. <laughs> Because it was it was so it was such a random confluence of things that it's like none of us had ever seen Nell, despite all growing up in that time period. That one it of was... us should have seen Nell, and we hadn't, and we all watched it together. And <laughs> yeah, 
I thought that. Line. Anyway, yeah, that, that 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 was a lot of fun. That was a really good. Yeah, time. the Goonies one was fun, but it was like I I thought, but like, yeah, the uh, yeah, but but I thought that no, no. Was oh, really fun. so I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but mm-hmm. my least favorite episode we ever did was the um drinking game. Mm. Uh, the big the big sleep no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the big sleep drinking big game. Sleep. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. In my opinion, like it was it was enjoyable for us to do that. Right. I can extent, I can imagine it, it was enjoyable to watch or listen to. It made me feel kind of sick, but then like listening to it, I was just like, oh my god, like this does not translate yeah. to as much fun as it was like sitting right in your living room doing it. I never listened to it. I refuse. I, I refused to because I I knew what I knew as we were doing it that it wasn't going to translate well, um, at all. Like I think you and I talked about that like after right after after it was over because we both having drank so much sobered up extremely quickly. Yeah, within like an hour or so, like. There was something weird I, that happened. Like I think I was sobering up by the time we were finishing the movie. Honestly, maybe yeah. I for I, yeah. You're you're better at that than I am. But um, but yeah. I mean, I I felt pretty sober, like you know, an hour afterwards. Um, and there was something about like drinking that many drinks so quickly that like I don't know. I don't know what happened. But yeah, I I can I can certainly imagine that it didn't work out too well. It's one of the yeah. few that I've never listened to even a single a single second of. Um, it's one of the few that I have. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. No, you should talk about that. You don't listen to the pot any piece of the podcast hardly ever, do you? Not a revisit them at all. Yeah. Um I mean because I'm the one that like kind of puts it together like I feel like I have to sometimes. <clears throat> um like I don't listen to every single episode again. Um, I kind of pick and choose a couple minutes here and there, like when I'm like kind of like editing the audio and trying to make sure the quality's better. Like I'll I'll listen to some stuff, and then occasionally I'll listen to a couple episodes in a row to make sure the audio quality is similar between episodes. And I'll try to listen to at least half or the whole thing. Um, and I also don't like to hear myself talk. I mean, I think that's probably a pretty common um, issue with a lot of people. Like, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of hearing myself um, speak in hindsight, like through you know audio. Um, you don't, you don't have that problem, do you? Nah, Man, I just no. don't really care to listen to what we talked about again. Right? Yeah, like you we did it and we got it out, and that's enough. Right. <laughs> right. Um. All right, what was my final question? Oh, right. So the third mans have disappeared slowly over time, and a lot of that happened because of COVID, I think. Um, is when those disappeared. Um, it shouldn't it be easier to do the third mans now? I mean, I think so. Right. Yeah. I think we initially, because we had some planned, and we initially put them off because of the whole, you know, like, 
not being sure if we'd be able to record long distance and right. what right. it would sound like. And yeah, it's also because, I mean, you feel like it should be easier to get like people together now, but I think that there's something about the fact that it's not like actually doing a thing that maybe might be more difficult where somebody's just like, well, what am I going to do? Just talk on the phone. And a lot yeah. of people, I think, react to like the human interaction of being in the same room with a person as opposed to, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I agree. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's, it's extremely odd. Um, I, I agree with you that I feel that people feel they need to be somewhere to do something that it feels more important. Um, right. and also, yeah, it's something that feels like it should be easier and it's not. Um, yeah, but, um, yeah, we should, we should probably try to do a couple more of those, um, yeah. than we have. I mean, there. I enjoy doing those. Yeah, I do too. I, I enjoy having another voice other than yours or mine sometimes. Um, yeah, I think that's all the questions I have. What What do you think about like uh, us doing the end of the year stuff that we do? Like in terms of like when we decide to do that, like in terms of the, uh, you know, centennialist or whatever it's like you know like 70 80 90 oh like, i like that a lot yeah yeah because then it's like i'm really just picking the movies i like the most as opposed to having to try and fit a theme right right yeah i do too um my my secret assuming that either of us live this long but it's like i my my, my, my secret wish is that we get through that we go 10 years. Yeah, I think we could do that. I, I, I think we could too. Um, I think, I think our health is much more imperative, probably both of us than, than could we fill it out for 10 years. And, um, uh, yeah. So I, I would love to be able to like actually cover eventually 69 through, um, whatever i guess it would be like uh 2009 um yeah you know and i i think that would i think that would be to me the definitive end unless we did one in like another unless we tried to cover like you know 2010 at that point to whatever year that would be like 2025 or something six seven i don't know um but uh but we did incorporate more fresh fries this year. We got two of them this year rather than one, um, because uh, that's those are more other, not not always in terms of the way of what we talk about, but fresh fries are always some of my favorite stuff, um, and that's because we really get to talk about all the stuff that you're watching that is outside of these lists. Like, because you're constantly watching stuff all the time. Right. And um, so, yeah, I always enjoy the Fresh Fries because it's like we get some new stuff. We get some stuff from the 70s. Like, what was that? Three Women? Yeah, Three Women. Right. Because you had never watched that before, right? No, I'd seen it before. Oh, you had? Mm. Oh. So rewatches count the Fresh Five? 
Sure. Okay. Stop trying to trick me. <laughs> it was fresh to you, wasn't it? Secrets revealed. Um, right. Oh my god, yeah. Like, you think I would have missed a friggin' Shelley Duvall movie? I don't know your bag. Yeah, you know my bag. <laughs> I do. It's Shelly Duvall. <laughs> it um, is not always Shelly Duvall. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we got two of those this year. So it's um, so if you you should probably be keeping track if you're not um, like already of like what you're watching for like halfway through the year. Um, I got a list. Okay. You always got a list. Always got a list. All right. So yeah, I I had I had another question. I can't remember what it was now, but it doesn't matter. Um, quick cage. Do you think there's anything that comes after the quick cage, or do you think like our supplementary podcast is finished after the quick cage? I think there's something that comes after it. I just don't know what it is. Mm. And I think that like I would like a little break, but I <laughs> I really like doing the the midweek podcast. Like the I enjoy it. Too. You know, thirty to forty minute like one that's just like about something mm-hmm. um, so honestly like i would like to think of something else to do but i don't know what that thing is right well we got fucking 50 weeks probably or some kind of shit like that like i don't know maybe not that long but we got a while yeah figure it out but yeah i agree a couple couple month break before we we introduce the new um supplementary podcast right. And then it'll be something really good. So, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Okay. So, um, what you'll be hearing next is friend of the podcaster Ryan Wellmaker talking about um, uh, tales from the Quad Dead Zone, <laughs> um, which is a cult movie um, that. I have no idea those that are listening to the podcast even know what this is, but we will, you should, you know, we try to explain a little bit. You might need to look it up a little bit, um, like on a wiki or something like that to get a better understanding, but we're going to be talking about that for about 40 minutes. And, um, you know, I, I know that we're going to be talking about, um, Lone Wolf a Cub at some point, um, specifically what sort of vengeance, Frank? Is the name sort of, yeah, it's the first you know, one. but I'm assuming we'll talk about like you know some of the other movies like that are in that um you know in that uh series, um and then we'll be finishing with uh Peter Jackson's Fellowship of the Ring, um, which um is something we've been what avoiding talking about the entirety of the podcast probably is. Uh, Peter Jackson and his Lord of the Rings trilogy. Oh, specifically, Frank's been avoiding talking about this. Um, um, so I'm really interested to see how that piece of this podcast goes because Frank is the most hesitant to ever give firm opinions on Lord of the Rings ever. But you're not about The Hobbit, right? The Hobbit's piece of shit. Right. An unnecessary piece of shit. Absolutely. But I don't think people hold as much, like, strong affection for The Hobbit as they do for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. So, um... Really? You think that? Like, well, that's just weird to me, because, like, I actually hold The Hobbit in more affection than I do. No, 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 I mean the films. Mmm. 
Why do you think that is? That's the last thing I'll ask you. Well, they're better. Okay. Honestly, I mean, like, for any complaints that all of us have about those movies, mm-hmm. it is a much better movie-watching experience to watch the three Lord of the Rings movies than to watch the three Hobbit movies. I agree with that. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. I just... Okay. Well, because we're not going to talk about the Hobbit on that part of the podcast, I'm just wondering this. And this is... Do you think there is some unconscious satisfaction with the Lord of the Rings that made people like not care about the Hobbit trilogy? No, I think that I think that when the Hobbit came out, people had already seen Lord Lord of the Rings. Like for, again, for any complaints you have against it, Lord of the Rings is incredibly groundbreaking in the sense that it's like the ultimate like niche culture, like spread across like like writ large on the screen and then super successful. You know, like if you would have told me that a sword and sorcery movie in 1995 that like within six years, you know, that stuff would be some of the highest grossing movies of all time. Like, I wouldn't have believed you. But then after you get past that point, you know, those three movies are a better story than the story of The Hobbit stretched into, like, nine unnecessary hours. So, you know, I mean, I just think that people are kind of tired of it. and You've gone through all the Harry Potters at that point, and you'd had Game of Thrones, I think, had started at that point or was like right oh yeah absolutely yeah 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 so it people, didn't start that point. i mean like it's not like people were tired of fantasy it's just that it needed to be something more and those movies were still successful i just don't think that people sit there and like obsess over them or watch them and you know yeah nobody jerked off over those movies like those movies are fucking terrible and like i I, I don't know. I would love to talk to a person who absolutely loved the Hobbit movies. Like, But I mean, like, I was looking at Reddit the other day, because you, you were talking about something the other night, and it made me look at the Lord of the Rings Reddit, which I've never done. Okay. There are so many posts on there of people who are on, like, their second or third, like, straight-through watch of all three of the, the whatever you want to call them, like, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy movies. Mm-hmm. And nobody talks about the Hobbit in that way, right? So, right, right. I've never even seen the third Hobbit movie, so I don't even know. Like, I never, I've never seen any of those movies all the way straight through. I've only seen fifteen, twenty minutes, like here and there, and it is just god awful, god awful. Like, it makes me viscerally angry watching that when I when I've seen it. It's just really they're they're just not very good movies. They're really boring, and there's way too much like preciousness to preciousness and sadness, which sadness was not a part of yeah. the Hobbit. It's just a Mel- melancholy of what, like you know it, melancholy. It's a misinterpretation of what makes Tolkien's language great. Yeah, and it focuses more on the minutia of his description rather than. You know, whatever, like the overriding emotional connection you have with the story. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I 
there's so many things wrong with the Hobbit. Like, yeah, Lord of the Rings, which I'm not, uh, I'll, I'll spoil. I'm not a fan of. Like, is so much better than that Hobbit shit. So much better. Like, it's it, it's at least somewhat tonally closer to the books than the Hobbit is to me. Yes, I agree. All right. So okay. you have that to look forward to um, at the end of this, like, fucking super long episode is us, like, breaking even further down the um, the, the adaptations of Peter Jackson. Um, thank you, everybody that has supported the podcast and all those people that I see every single week that, um, you know, where we get 100% like people like listening, like, you know, like to the to the podcast, like, you know, that are still downloading and listening that I can see through our um, provider Podbean. Um, those of you that have reached out to us, like, I really appreciate that, like for the past couple of years, um, all of those that are still listening, that have downloaded episodes and even those that aren't listening, like necessarily all the time that have downloaded episodes here and there, according to their liking, um, we really appreciate it. Like we never thought that we would have, um, as many people listening to our dumbasses, um, for, you know, as many hours as many of you have. Um, and we really appreciate it. And always we um, ask you to reach out if you have ideas, thoughts about the podcast or anything like that um, through Facebook, Instagram or our Gmail, which you've heard me say way too many times before. So I won't repeat it. Frank? Nothing, just, you know, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Um, hopefully, it, you know, doesn't stretch into like five or six hours, but... It's definitely going to stretch into four hours at this point. Yeah. Hopefully you can get through it, because I think it'll all be entertaining, you know, and yes. I think you'll enjoy it, so... Okay. Alright. Hi, everyone. This is our first segment of the 100th episode and we are going to be talking to our first guest uh which is friend of the podcaster ryan wellmaker um and he is going to be talking about a movie called tales from the quad dead zone tonight um how did you first stumble upon this Ryan? well i watched this documentary last year and it's from a movie well it's like a documentary is called adjust your tracking and it's from 2013 so well eight years ago now and this documentary it kind of it's like an interview kind of process and it talks to like some vhs collectors like a lot of horror collectors Mm -hmm. and eventually in this documentary this movie comes up and at the time this was the highest like pricing vhs like cassette tape ever like it sold for like I don't know. It was six hundred and something dollars, and today it's way more than that. Like it's like two thousand dollars, or like way more than that. Like, like it's like really desirable. All the collectors want it, and there's like only like a hundred copies or something. So, mm-hmm. and I saw it on YouTube, and I'm like, well, I love this documentary. I'm gonna watch it. It's on YouTube. Like, why not? And that's okay. how I, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm going to assume that anybody listening to this probably does not know about this movie. Um, Maybe. I don't know. 
So can you just like for most people, I would say, like, can you just kind of explain a little bit about what the movie is about? Yeah. So this movie, it starts off and there's a woman and she's talking to somebody and you eventually find out it's her dead son that's passed away from this car accident later on. So what happens in the movie is that she, she tells, she, the, the son wants her to tell him a story from this book and she get and he like just like magically like prepares this book and this tales from the quad dead zone that's the book and so she reads two stories from the book which you see in the movie and then real life things happen and you really get two stories but there's like a third like final kind of ending to the movie and stuff like that that's like an hour and three minutes long but the two stories are are really are really I don't want to say really good, but they're really um really unique and interesting. And there is like a teaser of like there's gonna be another movie, but it never happens. So there could have been four movie like quad dead zone there's four. So maybe there there would have been four stories, but we saw two stories in this movie. Um so you brought this up to me. This was it had to be pre COVID. Um because we were at the bar, oh yeah, and you showed me um, like some clips from it. Oh yeah, I remember. And I think I told you I would never watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, you refused to watch. You said, "Oh, this is a bad movie." I refused <laughs> to watch this movie. You played the soundtrack for us one night for like twenty minutes straight, <laughs> and we were all like, "Orion, no, like, what, what are you doing? This is the worst thing." I showed Chris. I was I was playing the entire. The clip from the basement to Chris, mm-hmm. and he was like, "Oh, cut! Oh, oh, I can't watch this. I can never watch this movie." And yeah, right. I apologize for that, but it was <laughs> it was a changing moment in my life, and I had to share it to somebody. Right. So, so you found a way to make me watch this movie. Um, so kudos. <laughs> um, but um, why? why this movie? Like, why is like so? You know, I, I I've already explained the intro, but like. I ask people, like, you know, what movie do they want to talk about, like, you know, for whatever reason. It's like, why did you pick this? Like, why is it, like, this changing moment of your life? I'm going to, because, so I watched this documentary, and they talked about this movie, and I'm like, I'm going to watch this movie. Okay. And I did. And I've always watched movies. I never really looked for the bad movies. I always looked, like, I watched a lot of the movies on the IMDb top 250, like I've seen at least 200 of those movies. And like some of them are like foreign or like 8.1s that are lower that I've never really heard of. And I watched the documentary and I watched Quad Ed Zone. And this movie is so bad that like it just has to be watched and just has to be seen to be believed. Like it changed my life. Like, I'm embarrassed to say how many times I've watched this movie. How many times? It's it's between 20 and 30 times, probably. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Like a whole it's week like, of work. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's weird because I'll, I'll put this movie on in the background while I'm doing, like, while I'm, like, just doing, like, normal life stuff. Like, I'll just listen to the music or whatever. And, like, I know everything that's happening because I've already seen this movie. And it's like an 80s, like, like this guy, 
like Chester Turner like filmed it on like an 80s camcorder with like the full VHS in the thing. No boom mic and edited it on like who knows whatever system. And it's like the worst audio mixing, like things are way louder than they should be in certain parts. And uh, the music is like, I don't want to say fantastic, but it's fantastic. I think Frank's going to agree with me there. I I think the soundtrack to this movie is one of the most incredibly like unique things I've ever heard recorded <laughs> to film. It's like, I and and go ahead. so not to like steal your thunder on this, but it's brilliant because like this dude knew nothing about music. He just like picked up a Casio keyboard and played around with it until he like found some stuff he liked, and then basically composed a score to a movie. Just by playing on the cast, like his Casio. Yeah, there's like, there's, there's like at least 10 different like music tracks to it, but like everyone, every single one sounds really different. But it, you know, it's on the same old like 80s, like I think I had the same exact keyboard that this guy had, like that was like 20 bucks in the 80s and it had like preset, it had like preset, like, um, like music like beats and stuff and you like kind of set the tempo and things like that and he would like he would like play like different notes with the tempo and i I swear i had the same keyboard and i i actually i've actually considered buying some old 80s like casio keyboard on ebay and trying to recreate the soundtrack from this movie <laughs> like, that'd be pretty awesome oh my god this like the the, the soundtrack is amazing and you just have to listen to it to believe it. So, following up on what you said, have you ever had a movie then like this before in your life where you just played it that many times or watched it that many times or just like played it in the background and just doing everyday stuff? Um, there have been movies like that, honestly. Um, Brazil, I've done that with, and I've done that with Vertigo before. Um, those are the two movies I think of right off the bat, but I've done it with Time Bandits before. I've done it with Goonies before, but this is like the really, this is the first like really low budget, no one's ever heard of movie before that I've really done that with before. So when you say this kind of changed your life, you've been watching a lot of like really <laughs> bad movies like recently, like on VHS. Yes. Is that inspired by watching this movie? One hundred percent. So I I used to watch. I was saying before, like I would I was trying to watch the top two fifty movies on IMDb, and I'm kind of over it. Like I saw this, I saw the documentary, and I've watched the Quad Dead Zone. So now I find the worst movies to watch, and I've watched some terrible movies. I've watched some on YouTube as well, like not ones that I found on VHS. But I've, I've, if, if this movie has actually made me collect VHS tapes, it's like onto that. So I've like I've collected really bad VHS tapes, and I'm trying to start a like a skateboard tape like VHS collection. But I've only found a couple. But I'm looking. I'm always looking for really bad VHS tapes now. It's really it's like that's where it's come to. And these the people in the documentary. There's a guy that found, he's like, oh, I bought the Quad Dead Zone and I bought it in this place from New Jersey that was going out of the sale. 
So he got it in New Jersey. So this this tape is like there's like a hundred copies or something known, and he found it like in our area. Mm-hmm. Like I like I had this feeling that one day I'm gonna be out there in the wild and I'm gonna find the quad dead zoom in the tape in the in the sleeve and like find it. Like so like this this movie has made me like actually look for VHS tapes to like collect. And this but this made me watch is maybe one to watch really, really bad movies now, not the good movies. I think the hottest thing ever would be this, is that you find you, you find a CRT with a VHS unit on like <laughs> like combo. And yeah. you like open up the, the, the VHS to like and the quad dead zone is in it. Oh man, that's that that would be the hottest kind of, of my of my life. <laughs> so oh um I've I've watched this movie twice now since you Oh man, I'm so um, proud of you. Yeah, tell had me, me about had it. us watch it for this thing. Um I've also done a pretty ridiculous amount of research on Chester Noble Turner, including like I've listened to probably about five hours of interviews with the man and mm-hmm. read like seven or eight articles about not only um quad dead this so you really inspired some kind of like crazy like film journal bugging me to what understand kind of, this um, guy. What kind of um what cool stuff did you find out about him in there? So so the reason this movie is called the Quad Dead Zone is because have you ever watched Black Devil Doll from Hell? Yeah I've seen it. So that was supposed to be the fourth movie in the movie, like the fourth story. Mm. But he started filming it first and he was like, oh man, this is too long to like include with other stuff. So he just kept filming it and made it its own thing. Um, so at that point he had the story with um, Bobby, like the dead kid and then the family at dinner mm. and um, the basement. And he was like, well, I still want to, I still want to make this movie, but he didn't want to change the title. So basically that movie is like the fourth, that's the quad in the quad dead zone. Okay. Somebody had a, um, I don't know what you call it. Like, uh, like, cause you, you know that they toured this movie, right? Like the film festivals in like the late 2010s, like 2012, I think. And people would like ask him questions. And one of the questions that he gets asked in the one I listened to was, um, what does quad dead mean? And he's like, well, quad is four. And I think, you know, what dead means. So, uh, <laughs> except he doesn't talk like that he kind of talks like this he got kind of a high pitched voice I've honestly not listened to anything he's I've never listened to an interview from him before he also claims so I listened to an interview with him from last summer I guess I can't remember if it was 2019 or 2020 but um, he said that they're almost done filming Quad Dead Zone Part Two. What? Um, it just got he got stopped because of COVID because he can't finish production now. So, uh, you know, shut, shut the front door. I swear to God. They, they, I mean, maybe you know who knows what happened in years. But like, so the thing that I was most impressed with, I mean, because like objectively, it's not like a great movie in terms of the production quality or anything. But, like, this fucking dude took correspondence classes to learn how to, like, edit film and make videos and stuff. And then basically just funded the whole thing on his own money 
and only because like he wanted to tell stories from like his own perspective just because he loved telling stories so much like he loved movies so much he just wanted to make a movie so I don't know like it's got so much heart and so much like ingenuity to it and some of the stuff is like legitimately I I think impressive you know for not having like any cash whatsoever like some of the effects they do and I don't know. I just think that they they that it has a lot of charm and it's really like worth watching. So I appreciate you making me watch it. I guess is my uh. My well, I, so I I want to get a little bit more into like besides the music, like what you love about this movie. But um, since Frank's like talking talking about how he feels about it, I fully expected to hate this thing. And like, I think my 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 summation to Frank was seriously just text says like, was that I said I didn't hate as much as I thought I would. Um, Ex- exactly because it's amazing. And I and I think Frank just said <laughs> it, but it's like it's it's like this is a this is like a labor of love. Like this is like you know, and it's like I can appreciate that to some degree. Like this guy really was trying to make a movie, and if you look at it in some kind of like weird like. I tried to drunkenly attribute this to Frank one night, I think. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I must have read it on Reddit at some point in the past few weeks. Um, but somebody said that if David Lynch would have made this movie, it would have been heralded as genius. Um, but it, it wasn't, so it gets shit on as like some kind of shitty, like you know, poor quality, like B, you know, like C movie, like you know. It is um, like a B movie, like Lynch movie, yeah. And it's well, like a lot of there's a lot of Lynchian shit about it. Yes, like the way he films certain things and the way he approaches like certain scenes and just like the weird, like it's not like outright horror. You know, it's it's not the same thing as what you would expect from like because I've seen a lot of the early shot on video um, horror movies that exist. Um, like Boarding House, and there's some other ones from like the early 80s. I had never seen this movie before you brought it up. Um, like he's not as focused on like making a slasher movie or making, you know what I mean? Like a traditional like haunted house movie. Like he's, I don't know, it's just the themes and stuff in it. It's just, it's, it's so unique, like that perspective that. Like, it kind of supersedes the problems with the, like, the obvious low-budget, you know, issues with it and stuff. Yeah, still- I, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 yeah, it is. The first segment's the one I don't like. And, I, the, and I, like the, I like the second two, but yeah, go ahead and tell me about the first one. Yeah. So, this is, I have, a, I have an issue with the first segment. It's, it's, it's really, it's like, so the so let me the background if you've not seen this movie is the first segment is just a bunch of people and they're supposedly poor and they have five sandwiches but they have fate they have eight family members so instead of like sharing these five sandwiches with the eight family members they have that they have like this contest this like fight to like win the sandwiches so like he rings the bell and you gotta like fight for the sandwiches. Like why would you not just like 
split those five sandwiches. How do you like cut the sandwich in half? <laughs> I don't understand. I don't understand. So everyone needs half the sandwich instead of like, all right, we've got to race for these sandwiches. <laughs> I don't, I don't get it. I mean, that that makes the movie sure, but and the story, but I don't, I don't understand the like who would do that. But I mean, Chester Turner would. So <laughs> right. So this guy kills these people eventually, right? And then. I've seen this this complaint online as well. Mm-hmm. Is like this like I was I was ex- like I was expecting like the members of the family to like start like dwindle down to like the twos and threes, uh-huh. but then all of a sudden they like they he didn't like I guess he didn't like just finish he just finished filming, and then when they film like the final like the final deaths or anything, so like all of a sudden like every the the scenes over and there's like he starts showing like things on the screen about who died and like. Right. things like that and it's like well why didn't you film like the other people dying and things like that and I mean, like, I'm, oh. I'm assuming it had to be because of like the whatever kind of special effects or makeup and all that kind of stuff maybe it was just too much like in terms of the budget maybe maybe like the budget because it's hilarious <laughs> to look at the Wikipedia page on this movie because it's like you know when you look at like the the sidebar where it like lists like directed written you know all those things like and it has like all these different categories it's just everything is Chester Turner <laughs> oh like, yeah oh it's yeah a, it's hilarious to look at when you make it to the end credits mm-hmm. let me tell you when you make it let me I mean, there's something that happens when you watch this movie when you make it you make it through the whole movie. And you make it to the end credits, and like the end credits start to scroll up, like there's like a religious moment that happens, and like you like you're looking at the credits rolling up, and you're thinking like people, they went to the they went to the video store and rented this movie and like paid money to watch this movie, and they're like they're doing the same thing you're doing now, and they're like man why did I pay this my hard earned money to watch this movie, and you just don't have an answer for it. <laughs> and all the credits are like Chester Turner, and there's like yeah. a there's a there's a part where it says, there's a part where it says, like casting choices or something or casting people, uh-huh. and there's three people that like choose the cast choose the casting. And it's like what? That's a lie. This is all like Chester Turner's friends, right? Like, real. Well, that's yeah. the thing is, it's like it's 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 Chester Turner, it's Keith Turner, who's his brother. And then Sylvia Brown, um, who plays Bobby's mom, who was his girlfriend. Right. And then just like some people that happen to live in their block or whatever. Right. It's like, like I'm, I, I, I don't I don't know if you want to do it, Orion, but there's a couple of like hour long interviews with this guy that are just amazing to listen to. I would love to watch them. They're all on YouTube. If you just look at just look his name up and you'll find him. But like just listening to him talk about like trying to get movies made and like how like passionate he was about doing this and how tough it was to get it done. Like it's 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 pretty inspiring, honestly. I wish that um I mean this is he only made two movies and this was the second one. Like I don't know why yeah. I'm not sure why he stopped or he been, I mean he should have kept going. I don't know. It was expensive. He didn't make any money off of them. Right. I I think I read somewhere over the past few weeks that he ended up um like doing like home renovations and got into that business and actually didn't understand the uh success like the cult like kind of like success of the VHS like until like that I think documentary that Orion mentioned like well there was a there was a rumor apparently in the mid nineties that he was dead 
So like nobody was even looking for him. And then right. um Massacre Video Ryan, the ones we were talking about the other night, um, they found him and they were like, Hey, like you realize that people love your movie and we want to put it out on DVD and like there's a cult following for it, and he was all flabbergasted. So <laughs> all right, so Ryan, what is so there's two more segments besides the one you just talked about. Like, is that your least favorite then the first one? You think? Um, oh yeah. The second one is definitely the, the best one. Okay. Yeah. That's that was my feeling as well. Is it's it's two, three, and one is probably my order for so go ahead and tell people a little bit about the second one and, and why that's your favorite one out of all of them. So the second the second one is that there's two brothers, right? And the brother one of the brothers dies and all of a sudden all of a sudden the brother that's, that's alive has his has his friend going in this this funeral home looking for the body and what eventually is going to happen is that that brother that's still alive is really mad at the other brother that died because he's been like really mean to him his whole life and like still his wife and all kinds of crazy stuff so he's going to the brother that's alive is going to take this body and like try to humiliate him in the wrong in like the worst way ever. And the whole segment is so funny because they're going into this, into this like more looking for the body and the music like, man, Chester Turner is the man because he has this crazy soundtrack with this eighties keyboard and he's trying to, I don't know if he's trying his best to be to make it really scary, but it's not that's not what happens. Like he makes it he makes the music really funny. So like they're like trying to sneak into the basement. It's like this it's like it's really like really funny music and they're like you see him creeping around in there and they're like it's got this funny music in the background. It like doesn't really like the creepiness doesn't really work out like that. Right. Right. And can you uh you understand what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. It's it's, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 and I think that's where almost like the the disconnect there like between all that is kind of like almost that like that's that gray area of where almost like there's almost like this kind of surrealist like Lynchian element like to the entire thing yeah. is, is that kind of stuff. Oh man, that's <clears throat> so funny. And this I'm telling you the music in this movie like makes the movie. Like I mean that's the case with most movies. But man there's a scene where they're like he's like like there's characters like ted is the main guy he's going down into the basement to like look for like the body and there's like this really like slow motion like him going on the steps and like me as like an editor kind of guy like he's like chester turner is like zooming in on the guy and it's like really it's really like awkward like like you're he's like pressing like the camcorder like the zoom thing and it's like Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Like super mm-hmm. awkward, like kind of zooming in and like, oh my god, it's so terrible, but it's so funny. And um, and then there's a part where, in that part, all of a sudden there's this guy Sid that's like grabbing this guy, and you have no idea what's happening until, like maybe like two minutes later, where they're like explaining who this Sid guy is. And like, Sid, how'd you get into the, into the funeral home? And um. Eventually, you figure out that they're trying to steal. They're trying to steal. They're trying to steal Ted's brother's body so that Ted can get revenge on him for 
like messing up his life the entire right. time or whatever. I I oddly felt that the I, and I've already forgotten the characters' names here, but the brother is trying to uh, clown like the other brother, like you know, yeah. um, that's like little soliloquy that he gives. <laughs> is there's I actually was really captivated by like that performance, oddly because it felt <laughs> it felt so well. It actually, like it was it was very stilted, obviously to some degree, but it actually felt real. Like, and I think it's something about the language and the dialect of saying the words. I actually <laughs> thought it was actually pretty, like, bordered on good in some ways because of the, like, almost realistic nature of it. Um, There's some people that, like, really complaining about that online because they're like, oh, that was, that took so much life, so much life away from me. That was, like, 20 minutes. I mean, that thing <laughs> was, like, that thing was, like, six minutes and 24 seconds. And that's, that's it was pretty exact. <laughs> it was i measured it <laughs> it's it was and it was perfect and then all kinds of the best thing ever happens in the basement when they go down there when the brother comes back to life i don't know how he comes back to life there's something that just like floats in and he's like no one really knows what happens there but right the brother comes back to life and like oh the best the best thing in the movie happens in the basement when he's going to try to not bury him in the shrine. He's going to bury him in the crawl space or whatever. Uh-huh. Oh, that's so good. Don't you think that the whole thing is that the the dead brother is so full of, like, hate and spite for his living brother that, uh-huh. like, he's not going to let him clown him even in death? Like, he's going to have the last word. So it's like, you know, he might be dead and he might have taken his, might have taken his wife and ruined his life and whatever like made him like broke or whatever but he's still going to come back and make sure that his brother dies and oh, yeah. he's going to go rest in his mausoleum oh absolutely so when you listen to like there's a really bad audio mixing but like he's like in the basement talking and he's like choking the brother but he's like it's like crazy right. like um awfulness but if you listen to it you can kind of you can make out like 60% of what he's saying and there's a part of him that's like he's saying like he's like I'm gonna be buried in my shrine and blah 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 and there's a man there's a part I I put it in my notes right here there's a part where he's like oh it's so it's so good like you can't really tell what he like this guy so the brother has been like like messing up this guy's life this guy's the brother is mess, messing up the the, the other guy's uh, the brother's like life his whole life right. And he's like, he's like, uh, the, like the last thing he says to this guy before he like ends his life is, um, like he has a pitchfork and he's going to stab him. And he's like, he either says it's your time or he says it's showtime. And like either way, he like stabs him and it's like the best thing ever. And he's like, oh. And Chester Turner, like, you don't realize this, but, like, he, like, like, Chester, the guy that, like, got stabbed by the pitchfork, he goes, like, oh, and like, Chester Turner, like, he, like, repeated that sound, like, twice in a row, like, to get, like, more. So it's, like, oh, oh, <laughs> it is amazing. Like, when he's, like, dying on the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that scene, that, that whole, that whole thing with the brother and the clown suit is so good. Yes. 
I but agree. Nobody, it's like, uh, it's like, it's cool to us, but like people like normally watching it are like going to be like, that thing is the worst thing ever. But here's the thing, like, and all of us are into like creating stuff, you know what I mean? Like we're on a podcast that we do because we like doing a podcast and you have a, you know, a, a YouTube series that you do because you love playing um, video games and Battletoads in particular. And even though, like, we would like to make money off it, like, you do it because you love it. And I think that, like, anyone that has something like that can recognize that this is a guy that just, you know, like, went out of his way to make a movie just because he loved the idea of making a movie because he had stories to tell. I think that's really endearing. And yeah, I think this it movie is it. Like, what's that? This movie is definitely that. Yeah. Like, I think it makes you, I don't know, I, I think it makes it more interesting to watch, like, Things that I would never forgive normally in watching a movie, like I definitely forgive in watching this one. Yeah, and, and I, I do that with the filmmaking aspect of it. Absolutely. I actually like feel like, and maybe it's like some sort of maybe neurosis on my part. It's like I almost feel like there's actually hidden depth to this movie. Yeah, yeah. Like no, I, that, I that, 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 like a lot of people like would just see the film, like the, the the budget and the filmmaking and stuff like that, and the mistakes, and like disregard like what's actually happening here. Um, as an artifact of like almost like the realist, maybe black culture that you can get like during that time period, because it's a black director, writer, cinematographer, <laughs> you know, like. Um, <laughs> like you know everything casting people that he knows in real roles you get like authentic speech i think like in turn like you get like i think authentic themes of like what this one man is like processing in it like in his life i think it's fascinating <laughs> on a lot of different levels like you know with like the the different stories that are told here like i think it's absolutely fascinating um but yes, it's a terribly filmed movie. Like, like granted, like it's terribly edited, it's terribly like. Um, but it's like, but uh, yeah, it's like. So yeah, I mean, I can't say it's a good movie, but I'm. I think it's. What did you say? Interesting. Yeah, I. Th I think. I think. I thought oh, it was yeah. engaging, and it's very interesting. Like, but. I can't. I can't say it's it's good movie, but it's for me absolutely life changing and. I've watched it at least 20 times. I'm going to probably watch it at least 50 times or more. Like, I can't, I can't, I'm sucked in. I can't stay away. I got to keep watching it. All right. So let's like finish this off. Like at least uh, like about the movie itself, like um, with the third, like the framing segment, I guess with the mother and her, and her unseen ghost child. Oh. Um, what do you think about like that? Like, you know, beginning and kind of ending, like third part, like that framing sequence there. You're gonna say something, Frank? Huh? What are you gonna say? I just said his name is Bobby. Oh, oh. Bobby, yes, right. It is yes. Bobby. Yes. Yeah. The ending, the ending sequence is fine. I thought it was cool, actually, how they have, I don't know, I have no idea how they filmed, like, you can all of a sudden see, like, the ghost come in and, like, there's a cool there's a cool shot at the end where she's like coming at Bobby like with the book and like they tilt the book at like such an angle where you can where you can see like the it says tail tales from the quad dead zone on the on the book like in their like kind of ghost form or whatever I thought it was like right. really that's a really cool shot 
for whatever reason. And the whole ending, the whole ending I wish they had like a part two, but they did not. Right. That's the only thing I have to say about the ending of that. <laughs> Frank, what was your favorite segment out of all of it? I actually think I like the framing segment the best. Yeah? Why? Um it's just really it's it's really weird to me, like the use of like blowing the hair dryer like up in her face to illustrate like that's fun talking to her and the kind of like mixture of like rapture and whatever on her face and the whole like her killing herself at the end of it is just it's pretty unexpected and kind of yeah. like shocking and just kind of that idea that like even though she was being abused and really just kind of like defended herself that she still was going to go to jail and mm-hmm. I don't know she chose to take her own life so she could be with her son and yeah. to Orion's point like I think it's really cool that he does like that um the editing technique of like superimposing you know, like a negative image over, um, like what was filmed to show like the ghost sort of, mm-hmm. I think it's also like, I mean, it's a really small thing and it's kind of silly, but like just the attention to detail to like suck down the middle of that chair to make it look like somebody's ass. Is in <laughs> right. Right. Like every single, and like, like repeatedly, like up and down, like, so the, like, like the kids like bouncing on the chair or something. When you watch this movie 20 times. You're gonna see, because I've watched this, I've I've done this. You'll see like a bunch of things that are like you don't really notice the first time, like that the 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 chair thing, sure. But there's like a lot of other things, like when they're then the brothers are going through the thing, and other parts of the funeral home, like you'll like notice really weird things that happen that it's like oh that makes completely like so much sense, like that, that's perfect, and. This movie is amazing. That's all I gotta say. Yeah, I was um, I was I was happy to watch it. Like I was surprised I enjoyed it as much as I did. (laughs) Yes, same here. Yeah, I just think it's a fascinating look in the mind of just a random dude who made a movie. Like, yeah, just some random like kind of average guy who had the just the enough know-how to like actually sit there and like film a movie and this is you get a glimpse into his mind and yeah i think it's i think it's fascinating <laughs> right like filming it in like his sister's his sister's house and i don't like the so the the family dinner thing um that was a that was a vacation to georgia like he went to visit family in georgia and he was like oh you know what i'm gonna do I want to film part of my movie while I'm down here. So, you know, just get some people together that say they have some acting experience and. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the shit that I would do. <laughs> right. That's the thing is like, then he did it and then he has this huge legacy after it. So it's almost, um, like inspiring in a lot of ways yeah. to, to see that, you know, even if it's whatever, 30 some years later, like that effort pay off is pretty crazy. Absolutely, I love the I love the title cards at the end of um, what is it? Food for question mark, right? Is the name of the mm-hmm. second segment, um, which I guess is supposed to be food for thought. Um, but it's like you know that the 
father and mother who basically caused all the trouble in the family. They're living high on the hog in witness protection, which like doesn't even make any sense. But <laughs> right. Like they caused their family to suffer and die. And then they just got to like basically go live for free. I don't know. It's, um, what is it? Like 80 minutes, Ryan, right? 74 minutes, something like that. It's an hour and three minutes. Yeah, it's 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 worth an hour of your life. Sixty three, yeah, definitely. Oh, oh my god, absolutely. Yeah, I, and even the first segment, even though I don't like the segment, it's like there's something there. There's like the kernel <laughs> of an idea that actually has some sort of depth to it. I think, in the sense of like, yeah, right. Of course, why would they just like? like spread the food among like you know and everybody eats less like but no like that's not what people do like they they want it all (laughs) and they'd rather eliminate others in order to have what they think they deserve like there there's something there to that idea like and um that's so good dude (laughs) (laughs) um and and yeah like to your point frank it's like yeah, the ones that cause the pain are the ones that actually are like thriving. <laughs> like there, there, there's something to those ideas that, like you know, I are fascinating. Like probably given his situation in life and his station in life. Like I mean, it's I, I don't know. I I, I find those kind of things about it like absolutely fascinating. It's like almost like uh, looking at the psychology of this guy um, through these bizarre little stories that like he's telling in this movie like um yeah i don't know if i have anything else to say myself about this movie but that's like pretty much like all i all i have um i do really appreciate the fact or ryan that you always make notes for our podcast um and, and that's not a joke like, <laughs> like um i think it's i think it's hilarious but i also really do appreciate it. um that you have notes is there anything else in your notes that you didn't cover um um no i think i'm good i would um I'm, i wish that everyone that's listening would watch this movie because it changed my life forever I look for really bad movies now. I'm not sure if that's really good, but it's going to change your life too. If you watch this movie, it's on YouTube. Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. Watch it. Why do you think the D, the the, the third D, is it the second, the second D? Why is the second D capitalized? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't thought about it. I don't, I don't, I don't understand either. I don't <laughs> Nobody, I don't think anybody knows that question or answer. Did you see, was that asked in the interview at all, Frank? No, I never saw any question about the um, the box art. No, <clears throat> it's a mystery then. I now I have no idea. Maybe it's because in the movie there's only three stories, so they have three letters capitalized. The Q and both the Ds. Hmm. But why aren't there four stories? No, it's only. I think that's it's only. The, no, it's the, only, no, no, that's the thing. It's like <laughs> only the second D is capitalized, right? Mm. That's the first. The, last, the dead. The, 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 the D at the beginning of dead. dead is lowercase. It's only the D at the end of the word of quad dead is capitalized. You're gonna have to call Shirley Jones and interview her because <laughs> she's the one. <laughs> So that's the other thing too is Bobby's mother, um, the lady in the framing segment. 
did like the title cards and the box art, like all the art for it. Like she just did it. Yeah. Yeah. So hundred percent like DIY production from the ground up by basically three people. Frank, what do you think about before we stop talking about this movie? What do you think about the um, the initial like the monologues and stuff before the movie starts? I couldn't understand it on YouTube. <laughs> it's just like yo. Go! Oh no! When you listen to it, it makes sense. But like, yeah, at first it's Thor. It's like ear piercing. Like, I I went in to watch this movie with no expectations of wanting to watch it. Like, I was like, oh my, like, fine, I'm just gonna do it tonight and get it out of the way. And like, so at that point, I think I was sort of still tuning it out. So I might have to give it like a third or fourth listen to really. (laughs) really get into it yes it's just it's a struggle like to get through the first the to get through the really opening like music sequence like i didn't i didn't even like it until i started watching the movie but like now that i i watched it like five thousand times like when i watched the first like like the music plays at the beginning like i'm i'm okay with it it sounds normal it sounds perfect well, th- thank you for um, <laughs> uh, representing um, for this movie. Like, um, you're probably one of the few people <laughs> that would ever like have this movie chosen. But um, yeah, I, I, I actually, I guess, enjoyed it. Like, I don't. It's, it's a lot it's, of fun to watch. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you picked it. Yeah, no, um, and uh, yeah, I hope like more people like watch it now because of this, um, because it is interesting. It's a fascinating like look at um indie filmmaking, kind of um like the indiest of indie. Um, I do have one question for you, Ryan. So, I want you to give me a prediction of how, on a scale of one to ten, like this segment coming up later in this episode is going to be Bledsoe talking about Fellowship of the Ring. On a scale of 1 to 10, how mean is Bledsoe going to be? What's 1 and what's his 10? 10 is, 10 is the meanest. <laughs> hmm. It's going to be, it's going to definitely be an 8 or a 9 or a 10. <laughs> Do you think it increases throughout the episode, like where he starts off trying to be like kind of like um, a little bit like objective about things, and then eventually it just ends up to a point where he's just like shitting on like all these little things? I think I think yes, because I think he likes most of the Shire stuff, but I think it starts getting worse as it goes on, and there's no Sam throwing the apple and then there's like new, there's like some stepping parts that don't happen. And then I think it's, I think it's just going to get worse as it goes on. Cause you were there for the original rant about this movie. Oh yeah. Oh, 20, 22, like 20, 21 years ago now or whatever. Like yeah. you were there for oh, the yeah. original rant at Arby's. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
so I, I'm only asking this because you're going to provide a little bit of perspective to this, like for something that comes later in the episode, is you and I were there with him in the Arby's, Arby's <laughs> <It's so funny. laughs> as he's just stuffing his face and ranting about everything that's wrong with Fellowship of the Ring. And he was, I remember the most, he was like ranting about, about Sam, how Sam's character was not there. And he's like, Sam, 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 Sam. Yeah. That dude was so mad about Sam's character not being represented. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people's favorite character is Sam. Um, but like, yeah, I, I definitely know Bledsoe's is. Like, so I'm sure he fixated on that. But you have a much better memory than I do. Um, the only other thing that I remember specifically is, and I'll see if you remember anything else, but it's like, do you remember him bitching about the... He later in life called it a cheap pop. I don't think he called it a cheap pop at the time. But the cheap pop um, of Aragorn chopping the orc's head off um do you remember him bitching about that like how it was like this moment that was just there to create like the crowd reacting and he was like yeah did you hear everybody cheer in the audience like you know that's exactly what they wanted <laughs> i i do not remember that honestly but that sounds exactly right <laughs> yeah um yeah no i'm 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 really interested to, to, to hear like how he tries to um he's gonna try to like even himself for a while and eventually it's just going to get into the pettiest shit you can imagine i think i'm i'm really interested to see what he says because here's the thing is like what if there's gonna, a twist and what if he actually likes it more now yeah we're gonna we're gonna compare as to what because we remember how it was we're gonna compare that to how he reacts now and see what it, what right. the comparison is yeah right that's gonna be amazing yeah yeah. Because, did you did you hear that he's re was that in the text thread? He's rereading the book. Yeah, I think it's <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't know what's gonna who knows what's gonna happen. We're gonna just have to compare contrast. Bledsoe <laughs> is like right now, like creating yeah. like a web like with yarn and <laughs> like you know, like thumbtacks and notes, like <laughs> like where he's just this I think this is going to be like his um his shining moment like in his mind like where he's going to de defeat peter jackson for his that shining <laughs> moment where he attacks somebody with a bat <laughs> in a maze <laughs> wendy <Hopefully, laughs> peter uh all right Ryan, thank you so much for coming yeah, on and talking about this movie tonight. Um, we appreciate it, and we appreciate um, all the times you've been on the podcast. And um, we'll definitely see you in uh, October. 100 episodes. Um, well, no, October will be a first watch. We'll figure out a horror first watch for October mm. again. Um, uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for watching, and yep. thanks for watching my movie. And watch yep. Tales from the Quad Dead Zone. It's amazing. Hi, everyone. We are here with our second segment of the 100th episode. Um, we are joined by our friend um, and a uh, long time now friend of the podcast, Jason Heaster, uh, who has been here previously to do the uh, top, uh, what, the top best bill murray movie and then um your first episode before that was uh wes anderson wes anderson yes um <clears throat> so um 
you're here tonight to talk about the Lone Wolf and Cub movies. Um, uh, is what you wanted to go ahead and talk about. So I'm going to kind of just turn it over to you and ask, like, why specifically did you want to talk about these out of everything? Well, it, it's it's weird that um, they didn't really uh, come in onto my radar until maybe last year, maybe the year before, um, but I didn't watch them all until last year. Um, and I, I'm sure I've, I've, I'd heard about them a little bit, uh, before, but I think it took seeing, um, the references to it in the Mandalorian series. And also there was a, um, there was a Rick and Morty anime short, which, um, Adult Swim put up on YouTube, I think last year, that was basically like a ripoff of, uh, Lone Wolf and Cub, um, or an homage to, I should say, mm -hmm. but it was, it was pretty, pretty faithful and it was, it was entertaining. So that made me more curious about it. And the more I investigated it, the more I saw that lots and lots of movies have been inspired by it. And of course, I mean, Kill Bill, um, was inspired by it. And, mm -hmm. um, so I just found it fascinating. It's one of those movies that like, I'm, I'm sure people who are, I mean, I've always been, all of us have always been into movies, but um it's just one of those movies that you know i i found really fascinating especially as i started watching them and uh just for whatever reason in the what i don't know 30 plus years i've been watching movies it just never never came up that i i watched them before so i think it's something that people should be interested in uh, especially if they've never seen them or heard about them or anything like that um, yeah, I, I, I had never watched any of them myself, um, like the original movies. I had seen Shogun Assassin 20 years ago, and then we just recently watched it again um, uh, for the podcast uh, when Frank put it on the list for 1980. Um, so I'd seen those, but I'd actually never sat down and watched all six of these. Um, so it was interesting to see not only how they took one and two and spliced it together and stuff for that movie, but... Um, how they expand on um, the kind of film mythology um, throughout, like in tiny ways. Um, and have you read the, did you ever read the mangas or the comics or anything like that? I did not, no. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I know all about that now and that like, you know, they tried to release some translations in the U.S. and then that company went bust. And then I guess Dark Horse, was it, picked it up and they ended up, um, reissuing all of it. Um, I think it would be kind of interesting to read, but I'm not like huge into comics. So mm -hmm. maybe I'll just satisfy myself with the movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, it's interesting. I, I, I'd be interested to see like at some point, like um, the, the paperbacks are expensive as hell, um, like for the, for the whole set, but I would really be interested in seeing like what you think with the, ultimately do with that story um in a lot of ways um at some point but um um but you specifically we're going to talk about i mean we'll talk a little bit about the whole series i guess at times but um you specifically wanted to focus on um sort of vengeance and um baby card the river sticks right <clears throat> sure yeah okay the first two movies yeah um so all right i'm gonna i'm gonna what did you you know like what what do you find like the captivating about this or fascinating enough that you want to talk about it okay well um I mean, I guess you want me to like give a little intro to yeah. I guess for people to have it, yeah. I mean, it's it's so it's a story. It's set in um, 
the J- Japanese Middle Ages, uh, it, indeterminate time. It's somewhere between like 1100 and 1880 or something like that. I mean, it's a huge time period, but right. you can assume it's somewhere closer to the 1800s than it is to the 1100s. Right. Right. Um, and it's about a, a um, the the executioner for the shogunate shogunate um, for the government, uh, you know, for the government in control. And he his job is if the if the shogunate decides that um, you need to be punished, they'll they ask you to commit seppuku and kill yourself. And if you don't do it, then they get him and they he comes and kills you. And this is his job. And it's apparently it's a very good job to have because <laughs> I mean right. what happens is they they um, some bad guys a uh, some uh, what do they call it? The shadow, a shadow clan of one of the ruling clans under this government decides that they would like to put their person in this position of power as the executioner, and so they set him up, and they kill his wife, and they uh, place incriminating evidence in his residence, in his shrine, and then they bring people in to kill him so they can replace him and um basically he decides he kills everybody because he's a master swordsman and you know uh fights everybody and um he decides that he and his son will hit the road and kill all these people that wronged him and um it's just kind of a fascinating story (laughs) yeah yeah it has really good, really good fight scenes, and it has, uh, I don't know. I mean, for the for the early seventies, like, I think they were they were really well done. I mean, they're just they're entertaining and um, just interesting. Yeah, um, it's really interesting. Like to me, like the 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 father son like kind of relationship that develops in, throughout all of them, but like specifically. Um, you know, early on those two movies where he's a baby when that happens, kind of, and obviously some time has passed where he's a little bit older. Um, But uh, I always found, I guess both in the manga, but even in these movies, like the idea that Diagro is like chosen to go this path, you know, which is the famous scene with the Mm -hmm. the ball and the sword, um, that he's chosen to go on this path and he's hardened you know, like, um, yeah. and, and determined just like his father, but he's like a child and he's, he's a baby. Like, what is he like two, three? I don't um, even know. Well, yeah. I mean, I think, I think in the, in the, in the first movie, like two years elapse between the time of the intro and the time that they're actually on the road. Um, you know, they do the, they do the, the death of the mother and everything as a flashback. So two years have, have passed since, uh, uh, Daigoro was let you know let have the choice of whether he wanted to uh, go with his father and and live this life of a demon, mm-hmm. um, a killer, you know, uh, and leave all of this behind, or you know the alternative was him be a child and then of course he was going to kill him um, and have him join his mother. Yeah, that would have been the easy that would have been right. the easy way out. Right. If he chose, if yeah. he chose the ball, as you would expect a 
an right. infant to choose mm-hmm. the ball, then that would have been his fate. Right. So that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty, pretty harsh for yeah, right. an infant. Yeah. yeah right. um, <laughs> but yeah, that like... particular, since we're talking about that scene, that's one of the scenes from, from Mandalorian that is mm-hmm. definitely inspired by, by this. And that's when, when Grogu is, uh, you know, told to like pick up the rock. Um, and if, you know, perhaps the rock symbolized violence mm-hmm. and, and instead he, he would pick up the, the ball, the gear shift knob, you know, which, right. but somehow that, that works out for, him. there's some, there's some parallel there. I'm sure it's, yeah. it's definitely, you know, the, the idea of, uh, the Mandalorian and Grogu going on their, uh, their journeys and everything is almost certainly inspired by. Oh, sure. I mean, just like the, the little thing that he creates for him to you know hover exactly. around with him is you know right um <clears throat> yeah absolutely um uh frank was there any westerns that were inspired by this at all do you know i mean i don't know this is kind of like post like spaghetti western okay. film anyway because 72 right Are the yeah 72 three? to 75 Four. maybe yeah yeah they 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 churn these things out really quickly somehow. And I would argue that there's probably a lot more inspiration from certain Westerns in this. In this, yeah. Than the other way around. Hmm. Like the Django character, in some ways, like the, whatever, the lone gunman seeking vengeance is similar to the Ogami Ito character. So, yeah, nothing I know of. So, uh, going back to history you're talking about the fight scenes um what 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 especially like captivated you about those that you liked them so much um that's a good question i mean i i think the um somehow you know like i remember like crouching tiger hidden dragon and like you know um some of the earlier things like that and of course well i mean i i think i think part of it is um like kill bill definitely had that same kind of um sword play and um you know it was definitely inspired by things in this series um i don't know i mean that's that's a very good question um i think the idea that ogami ito was um like kind of known everywhere as being this master swordsman that he was he was nigh unbeatable even if you know you threw an army of um supposedly expert warriors at him i mean he would uh basically go through them in short order and somehow it never seemed ridiculous i mean it got a little ridiculous towards maybe the fifth or sixth movie um when the baby cart had like a dozen guns on it and I think there were rockets and things like that. But, you know, when you're talking about just like, you know, sword play and, you know, he's, you know, they're, they, they constantly are, the opponents are constantly amazed at his, his skill. And, you know, they know what he's doing, but they don't know, they've never seen anybody do it as well as he's doing. And, um, you know, I, somehow it just seems believable. And also, I mean, it's Ogami Ito, the, you know, the main character, the, the former executioner, um, doesn't look like you know the the most highly trained physical specimen <laughs> he, right. he, he's, you know he's definitely a uh prototypical uh, dad bod 
Um, and I actually, I read like a funny anecdote and that was before they were making the movies, one of the, uh, uh, one of the authors of the manga who also co-wrote, I think almost all of the screenplays, um, had the actor who played, ended up playing Ogami Ito show up as house, um, when they were like in pre-production. And he said, listen, I think you might be concerned that I'm not the person to play this role. And I just want, because I'm fat, like he literally mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. and, and he said, uh, I just want to show you why you're wrong. And he proceeded to do a number of like very physical, like moves for him and like mm-hmm. show off for him. And, and the guy was convinced. Yeah. And he, I mean, he does that throughout the series. I mean, he's like, you know, right. a physical and imposing character. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's a nice change from, from some of the other kind of uh, samurai warriors that you. Sure. Cause he's in the manga. He's kind of like, you know, I mean, he's, he's kind of sleek, you know, although he, he's not thin, but he's just, you know, healthy, you know, very, mm-hmm. you know, like he's not like stacked. He's not like, you know, ripped or anything like that. He's just, you know, very, very healthy, but like, you know, um, you know, um, just normal guy like that, just like, you know, through the course of every day life of the things that he did in training and stuff like that, like had like a fine physique. I thought it was really interesting, though, that um, because I mentioned the Frank, I was like, <laughs> isn't he's a little he's a little he's a little pudgy, like, you know, this guy. Um, um, but uh. He moves no, it though. Is. I mean, it's like you yeah, know, it's does, not yeah. like it's not like it's special effects. I mean, he's like no, jumping around, and I think you're right though. I think it adds something to the character. Mm-hmm. Um, by having it's like you know, not only is it refreshing, like you're saying, but also like you know, it, it does make him a little bit more, I think, imposing. Um, that he's he looks like this, but he's also capable of this these things. I think, like, I, I think also like you know, his opponents tend to underestimate him, even so. if they even if they know him by reputation. They go, oh, it's it's this guy. This is the guy that I've heard about. That's, you know, he doesn't look so tough. He doesn't, you know, and so, you know, they get theirs. Right. So the the fight scenes um, in this, uh, how how experienced? I know you've probably seen the Kurosawa stuff. Like, how experienced are you in like samurai movies in general? Like, I mean, I guess you know, I've watched I've watched some of them, but it's you know, I'm not a student of samurai films. I mean, it's mm-hmm. you know, um, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I've watched plenty of plenty of movies with fight scenes, mm-hmm. but not you know, I can't I can't rattle off half yeah. a dozen. Samurai I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. I just wanted to check with you, Frank. Um, like, how does this compare, like, in terms of the fight scenes, like the like kind of like the quickness and the brutality of these things, like compared to other samurai movies, like before this or like concurrently that you know of? A lot of the scenes are are pretty pretty standard for that that era. Like, I would say from like early to mid '60s through like early to mid '70s. So there's stuff like Sword of Doom and Kill and Samurai Rebellion. I don't know. There's a bunch of stuff with like non Kurosawa make that are like similar. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the Zatoichi movies, which came be a lot of them came before this, are very similar in terms of um, using like exaggerated movements, you know, to make it seem like somebody's faster than what they actually are in terms of like drawing a sword or attacking or whatever. 
like basically slow deliberate movements by the protag or the whatever the master swordsman and then like quicker you know exaggerated it's almost like no theater kind of mm. like in their exaggerated um you know it just makes it feel more impactful when he slices somebody and like they kind of freeze in midair for a second and then like collapse where it feels like it's he's moving faster than right but it was it was pretty common i mean these are really well done fight scenes don't get me wrong like i i really like these movies a lot but like there's a bunch of stuff that's pretty you know yeah i didn't know if this was like in any kind of way like you know, new or revolutionary if it was just kind of a continuation of of what came kind of before at all no uh, you know what it's really similar to in a lot of ways is the um history have you seen the musashi trilogy movies oh like um, uh yojimbo no, no this, this, is, this is um like duel at ganryu bridge and i don't know there's three of them it's based on um like a real life samurai from the Edo era um Miyamoto Musashi or something like that. No, but he was a master well. swordsman. There, there's a book that is, is written about it. I don't. Know. But um, they're those, they're very similar. Those are on HBO right now, right? Is that right? Are they? I think so. Yeah, I think it's part of the yeah, it's like TMC or something. They might be because yeah, they're TCM. They're, they're, or... There's Criterion versions of them. Hmm. Yeah, I think I did see those when you mentioned those to me like a few weeks ago. Like I, um, when we were doing the eighty podcast, I think I looked those up afterwards and I was like, "Oh, right, yeah, I have seen those." Um, um, but yeah, I haven't watched any of those yet. Well, yeah, those. You know, I'd like to watch those. This actually, like, so watching a couple. I only watched the first three, but like watching them again, um, I actually found a like a spiritual connection to the uh, Roroni Kenshin stuff. Yeah, um, I agree with that. Like that that whole idea of like the Patusai as being the whatever, like the hand of the emperor, um, mm-hmm. which I think is like really interesting because this is like firmly planted in the Shogun era, whereas that's more like the end of the Shogun era, like the whatever the Meiji um, era of like democracy in Japan. But um, I don't know. Like I like that idea of like the central focus is like the idea of honor and vengeance, you know, and this man, like, basically sacrificing his life and his child's life to walk the, like, the path of hell or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, getting back to just the uh, the fight scenes, like, for, for as uh, large and, I mean, some sometimes ridiculous they are, like, it never, it never, like, pulled me out of the fight. Like, right. you know, yeah. seeing, seeing a person get like, you know, I don't know, cut in half or their, their legs chopped off at the ankles or, mm-hmm. or something like that. Like, you know, I understand the, the limitations of like special effects at the time, but it never, it, I've never watched it and went like, oh, well, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> right. Right. So let me, let me ask you this question. Do you think that's because, and I, I say this just from like personal perspective, because we've watched so much anime that you're kind of, I wouldn't say like accustomed to, but like it doesn't feel out of place to see that. Yeah, like I mean, in I think the context. I think that's definitely part of it. That like, um, you know, the the massive like exaggerated blood spraying and the the bright red blood that looks like it's you know red latex paint. Like you know, it has no 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 resemblance to real blood, but it it gets the point across and it's like, it's like something from anime or probably from a 
a color manga if that exists you know or right. something from a comic book i mean you know something like that but it's you know it works it's like it gets the point across that you know this you know i don't know there's a <laughs> you would think there's only so many ways to kill a person but you know during the course of the six movies like i'm sure they showed me like seven seven new ones <laughs> um, you know they, i think at the what at the end of the middle end of the second movie is that where he he's fighting the guy in the desert and he like just nicks his neck with yeah. the sword. Like, you know, the yeah. guy thinks he's fine and he has like, you know, a slice in his neck like an inch long and he's not even and then he's talking about like how it's the it's the wind, they call it the whispering wind or something. Right. While his blood is like atomizing like into the into the breeze. Like, who who thinks of that? Right. Right. No so, the, Easter, you know that um that scene, uh Liquid Swords, the Jizza album. The um ridiculous, like to have my own throat cut in that way or whatever. Like, oh that, yeah, you know, that's yeah. that's the Shogun Assassin um translation of that scene is where that comes that comes from. That, well, that makes sense. That makes much sense now. Yeah, um, yeah, and so I mean, and, and then that's Shogun Assassin is like you know about like the the whole ball and the sword thing that's on. Which album is that, Frank? That, it's all on the same album. It's all is, is it all on Liquid Swords? Okay, all right, yeah. Um, I cry for him, right? Or I sing for him because whatever, like all that stuff is on Liquid Swords. Gotcha. Uh, interesting that that scene that you're talking about with those three guys that he fights in in the desert, um, in mm-hmm. the sand. That has to be, and and I don't know this for sure, but it has to be where Carpenter gets the three storms from, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like um, they have the same weapons, almost. Even. Almost, yeah. yeah, almost. It's 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 damn similar. Yeah, yeah. Um, because especially the guy with the claws, like you know, like right. the, um, yeah, the uh, mailed mailed fist is what mm-hmm. you called it. Yeah, no, that's a that's a really cool like villain for an ending. Um, mm-hmm. that it's yeah, it's River Sticks too, where um the stuff with the female assassins, right? Where like, um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Where the, where, where the whole she, band she, of the, yeah. She like calls like when the, when they go to like, kind of like ask for their assistance or whatever, or maybe hire yeah, them. She, she asks she, one of the, one of the ninjas to come in and <laughs> like best the Shinobi. Man. Right. And he's like, well, I, this is easy. Like, I'm just going to leap over you and I'm going to go out to the right. courtyard. Right. And then they like, they take him apart. Piece, yeah, piece, by by piece. piece by piece. Like I, that's a fantastic scene yeah yeah like, absolutely yeah that's what that's the first thing i thought of when you said like different ways to kill <laughs> like oh i was like, I, that was in my that was in my head too uh, yeah so what was your what do you think your favorite was out of all of them um that's a good question um you know that we were we were talking about when you were watching it, what was it? Was it four or five? Which four, had the, baby card in peril was probably my favorite out of all of them. Four, I think that's the uh, that's the one with the female assassin who got the tattoos. Yes, it's that one. And but it, and then the beginning of that is also the guy that he beat out for executioner. Mm-hmm. That was like ended up being kind of like ousted by the what, Yangu clan and um like he runs into him again because that's all the stuff with diagoro burying himself in the mud when <laughs> like um 
fantastic stuff. Like, and that, yeah. and maybe that's one of the reasons why it's my favorite is is because you get so much uh, Diagro, like where he is, um, like he, when he runs into that guy, and like the guy mm-hmm. like sits there and like try like realize somebody's behind him and like jumps in the air and like you know brings the sword down and stops and he like Dyro does not move and just stares at him and he's like internally like in his monologue is thinking like why does this kid's eyes look like this like you know mm-hmm. like who is this kid um and like follows him and then like sets the trap of the fire and like Dyro buries himself in the mud to survive and uh, which is oh, yeah, that's stuff amazing. from the manga, like you know, too. Yeah, like, yeah. It's there, but it's like it's it's so amazing. Like um, that little kid's great. <clears throat> yeah, that's really good. That was that was four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that might that be, might be my favorite. Three is really good though, like because three has the, well, two two has the the three the three assassins. Um, I don't know, maybe maybe four. Yeah, it's hard to say. I'll have to watch them all again. I have I have the criterion yeah, uh, coming. Three, three, baby cart to Hades. That's the one with the, the like the low life um, criminals, right? That have taken yes. over the town. No, that's the that's the first one. Oh, that's the first. Okay, that's sort of vengeance. That's okay. the, yeah. That's the that's the story of the first one where they've taken over like this bath bath town. Right. Okay. Okay. Because they're plotting to kill somebody, and yeah, that's like. I watched them all in the course of a week, so now I'm confusing all of my... That's, yeah. the, that's the overthrow of the um, rightful heir to whatever that castle of right. that um, prefecture or whatever, however you say it. Prefecture. Mm-hmm. prefecture. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's, I mean, I thought, well, I think that's what that's what got me hooked, like the first movie that, you know, it kind of just throws you into this really kind of gritty... Yeah, I think I think sometimes those movies are like kind of too high concept, like you know, families and clans and things like this. But here it's like you have this band of criminals that's like been hired to do, you know, yes, there's still there's still some of that um killing the aristocracy or whatever. But you know, it's uh these guys were just grungy, like terrible people. And there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that throughout the series where there's like undesirables wandering the the countryside and uh I don't know, it's interesting. How so there's a bunch of um criterion stuff easter that if you like this that's really kind of like the same ilk like i think would be right up your alley um some of it a little more high-minded but some of it just like right on par with it um and i think a lot of it's available on the criterion channel or like amc through hbo max like what so there's kill which is basically um yojimbo but from a different perspective. Um, and in some ways, I like better than Yojimbo, although it's hmm. not like as good of a movie, like cinematically, like character wise, and the way they set up some of the scenarios, I like it a little more. Um, there's a, a movie called Sancho the Bailiff, and a movie called Ugetsu. And those are a little more high minded, but they kind of have like that same idea of um, like the. I don't know, like the itinerant warrior type thing and um, Sword of Doom is another one where it's like a guy who's sort of like a ronin that's kind of left the path of following a shogun but is seeking vengeance. That's a really good movie. Um, Samurai Rebellion is another one, really good. But a lot of this stuff, like for being fanciful, is based on real things that happen. 
in a yeah. lot of ways. In the same way that like um Kenshin has a lot of real world uh you know, characters in it, so do a lot of these movies. Hmm. They pull from like historical figures. How did both of yeah. you feel watching these movies though? I just wrote about all those downs so I have them myself, Frank. You um, can send those to me. Okay, all right. Um how do you feel about like the there's some really uncomfortable stuff in these movies with women? Absolutely. Yeah. I know that's something that, that came up uh, probably from the first movie when I started watching it. And then I, you know, I had to do two things. And one is um, think about when they were made. Right. And then secondly, think about the time period they were portraying. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, it's, you know, it's also, fortunately, it's always the bad guys. They're doing like really reprehensible right. things. Um, so, you know, true to form. They're bad, but yeah, I mean, sometimes it, you know, uh, it, it seems a little exploitative, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think they draw it out quite long enough for me to get really upset about it. I yeah. mean, it's not like I, I would go, oh, well, I'm never going to watch this again. Cause this is just too much. Cause, um, I don't know, you know, for the seventies, it was probably relatively so, mild. Let me, let me ask this question though, because like. I found that a lot of movies I used to love when I was a kid, like, um, especially the sword and sandal shit, like Beastmaster and whatever, um, all the movies of that, ilk, um, Death Stalker, like really rapey, you know, like, super, yeah. but rapey in like, a um, exploitive way, like where it's meant to titillate you. And I don't necessarily mm. feel like this stuff is that because I think that it's a way of showing how evil someone is to take the honor from a woman. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I, I agree with that. Like it's, it's, it's less about titillating you. Although obviously, you know, they're showing you boobs and stuff, but like, it's less about that. The Japanese like would show you a lot of boobs. Like there's boobs all over Japanese cinema (laughs) in like the mid sixties and seventies. But it's less about being titillating more about being like, man, look how despicable this man is to like strip the honor of this woman by trying to, you know, because basically if she got raped, she would be like useless to everybody else. Sure. Himself, so, um, well, that's, yeah, that's one of the major things in what the third, third movie where, um, he's on the boat at the beginning and the, the yes. man has just bought the, the woman from the farm family and is taking him to, the clan, I forget what the, uh, Bonich, Bonich, Bonichuru or something. They, they're like the, they say they're like the in, in adult entertainment or whatever, but they're running like, right, like gambling halls and, and whorehouses and things like that. Um, and so then he ends up helping her, uh, get away from this guy after she bites his tongue off. Um, so yeah, it's a very, very unsavory business with, with this guy and the whole clan. Um, is that also the one where he gets tortured or is that a different one? When he like helps the prostitute and ends no, that's up the like, first, that's the first movie. The first movie? When he, no. when he ends up getting like, like water tortured and like beaten, like when he's like hanging upside down by the ropes and stuff like that. Was that the third one? I, I mean, the third one is... I, I like I said I only watched about half of it uh, yesterday, and so uh-huh. I watched 
few months ago. I'm really trying to remember. I that reminds me a little bit. Like the third one, I just I, I'm I'm having a really hard time remembering like everything that happens in that. Because you watched them all too close together. Probably. Yeah. yeah. What happens when you've been shit no blends? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm so fucking fat. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> You can stop laying down. You can sit up. I'm sitting up. <laughs> I'm, I'm reclined. He's actually he's actually standing up. I'm reclined, <laughs> surveying my kingdom. Uh, but yeah, I think I think they're. I yeah, I don't I I don't I don't think people would generally find them offensive. I think. Uh, yeah, and yeah. a lot of times these things are being almost like contrasted with. Agami Ito's character who makes these decisions that are respectful and honorable and um, specifically I guess in the, the boat scene in the second one um, which is also in Shogun Assassin where like he makes her strip down but it's only so that they can um, right yeah you think something bad's gonna happen you right like, right you go, oh no not you too like yeah. you're you're the good guy but no it's to to retain bodily warrants it's... right yeah right um, it's protective, right? Um, yeah. um, so a lot of those things I think are there to show contrast. A lot of times, um, I think the most horrific one to me was, um, and I was telling Frank about this before um, we started, but the very last, the sixth one, with the bastard son who, like, once he's dying, goes and rapes his sister, is yeah. probably was probably one of the hardest ones to watch for me. Um, yeah. Out of all that, it was it was really terrifying, and I and I and I found it fascinating that it's like the one that puts an end to that horror is the villain, yeah. <laughs> like of the entire thing. Like, um, you know, it's like, and I really wish they had done more to wrap that up um, in that last movie. Like, I think they I had opportunities to wrap that up there um, a bit more, and. Um, because at that point, it's like there's that turning point with that uh, Ratsudo character where it's like, oh, okay, this man is, they, he does still have some sense of decency and morality and honor, you know, um, despite how despicable he is. Like, and yeah. it felt to me like you could have done something with the rest of that movie in terms of ending it almost. Like, yeah, I'm, guess, I'm guessing that one was the one that was not co-written by the original manga writer and it was probably it, it was you know one of my least favorite i would say i agree although yeah. although i think um i think i read something that said that is the at least for some period of time maybe still to this day it's the movie where the main character kills more people than in any other movie it's like hmm. 150 people it beats commando i think so hmm. interesting because I, I remember reading something like the number on Commando when we did that last year, and um, it's an extreme amount. It's over 100, I know, but that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, if that's the most. Um, but yeah, this, uh, that, that wouldn't surprise me because like suddenly there's supernatural stuff in it. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me that, yeah, it's not written by the, the same person. So, um. All right. Anything else that you like uh, wanted to talk about with these? Um, Road to Perdition. Road to Perdition was mm. um, inspired directly by this. Uh, I that think makes the sense. Writer, writer came out and and you know said that 
um, which I think is pretty interesting. Makes me want to go watch Road to Perdition again. Um, Will you have room for partition on your Road to Perdition? <laughs> road to Partition? Room for Partition. Room for Partition. <laughs> do you not remember what? that joke? That's no, that's I do, and that's that's a that's a a big thro- uh, callback. <laughs> so when I worked at the movie theater, Easter was complaining that there was no um, uh, separation between the urinals in the one bathroom, and I told him that that was because they were too close together and we couldn't get a partition in there. And Easter made a Photoshop um, using the Road to Perdition poster that said "Room for Partition." I don't remember that. That's hilarious. I, I <laughs> it got a it, it, it got a real life LOL for me. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen that movie since it came out on DVD. Um, and it's one of those things where it's like I've thought like, I mean, because did did you like that movie Easter when it came out? Yeah, I did like it. I remember liking it, but I thought I would like it more mm. than I did. And so, like, therefore, it's, like, never been a thing that I necessarily, like, when I see it streaming for free or something that I've never went back and watched. But um, I never actually thought about that idea that, yeah, like, they're, sure, that makes perfect sense. But, yeah, maybe I will go back and, like, check it out at some point. I remember the Jude Law stuff being, like, I remember liking Jude Law in it a lot. Yeah, he's um, really good in it. But I actually don't remember much about that movie, honestly, other than Jude Law. <clears throat> oh, so I have one more recommendation before we finish. Um, the Lady Snowblood movies are similar up to this, and they're really good. There's two of them up on HBO, maybe, right now? Yeah, I, I saw those on um, Max recently. Yeah, I was going through um, Turner Classic Movies. Yep. They're a little more avant-garde. And definitely take more of like the supernatural approach to things, or like hypernatural, maybe not supernatural necessarily. More of like like what you said, he's sort of like crouching tiger, hidden dragon style, like people like jumping all over the place and shit. But um, uh, Tarantino was inspired a lot by uh, the Snowblood movies before Kill Bill, so they're worth watching. Yeah, th- that that's interesting. So, is there? I'm only going because I've never seen these movies based off the title there. Is does do things take place in the snow in any of these movies that you're recommending? There is some stuff in Lady Snowblood in the snow. Okay, that's what I'm wondering. Is that one because maybe maybe Sword of Doom? Oh, Sword of Doom, definitely. Sword of Doom, like one of the most beautifully shot sword fights in the history of cinema. Um, is in like a snowstorm outside of a town. Like it's amazing. Oh, that fucking scene is so beautiful. Um because the last movie here, um, the ending takes place in the snow. And yeah, there's a lot of ton of beautiful shots of like, you know, blood on the snow and like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And um, so I wasn't sure like where Tarantino was drawing that from. But if it's kind of like a tradition or a meme or something like with inside some that samurai movie culture. Um, I, I mean, you, like, just re- you just reminded me about the uh, the baby cart with the skis. They yes. did it. They did it in the in the sand first, and then they did it. Mm-hmm. They did it in the snow. I mm-hmm. love both of those. I think yeah. they're amazing. No, no, it's really awesome. Um, yeah, the 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 adaptation uh, or the, the the adaption, like you know that car evolution, evolution, the evolution of the car. Yeah, right, right. Um, yeah, that's um, that's really cool to like to watch, and 
Um, I love Diagoro. I love that kid, that kid, and that that actor. And he, um, the fact that like he just like knows like everything in that cart just like well enough, like to where it's like he reads his father's mind. Mm-hmm. It's like because all he just says is like Diagoro, like and it's like yep. he, he knows which button to push. <laughs> like it's so amazing. Like I mark out like every single time. Like he's like seriously, just, yeah. Like push up button. I agree. <laughs> and you know it's funny because after watching like like you did, I watched I watched them all like in pretty close succession. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the end, I was like, oh man, this cart is doing everything now. But then I didn't I didn't remember like in the very first in the very first movie, it has like a bulletproof shield on it. It has the 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 ankle cutters that come out the the mm-hmm. axles. It has at least four swords on it to begin with. So it's like, right. It was always like a gadget cart. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like it was started out as a normal cart. And then you never saw it as a normal cart. It was always doing tricks. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just rolling. It's just rolling arsenal. And Daiguro is just part of that arsenal, you know, just another yeah. weapon. Yeah. Well, because yeah, I think, I think that's, Baby card in peril, I think. Which is that the same one where he um, ends up taking the like Lord hostage and like takes him out into the mountains, um, like away from the castle, like and then they get attacked. Do you remember this Easter? And like they're all like you know, um, and then like the Lord like tries to, like run away, even though like Gamino's like don't no don't like you know and. Mm-hmm. Because they're shooting like ro- almost like you know bombs, like you know, kind of mm-hmm. like at him. Um, and he tells like, like mortars. They're doing like yeah, mortars, mortars, right? yeah, more, yeah. There you go. Um, and he tells Diagro, like you know, that's when he, oh yeah, right. So he runs through the mountain passes and like is just like taking everybody out, like through mm-hmm. like those, you know. But he tells Diagro, it's like, if I don't come back, you die here. <laughs> and it's like, oh my. God, like you know, it's like this is like where you die or whatever it is. He says it's like Jesus Christ, like um, yeah, it's like the, that, just the harshest existence. <laughs> well, yeah, that's I mean that that goes back to like the what was it the second movie when um he's uh it was the uh I don't know I, I forget Wakitashi. It's the whoever the not the Ronin, but the the guys who were um, ex samurais who were like uh, hanging out and drinking and eating and making fun of the guy who doesn't do any of that, and then they saw some women and they decided to go rape them. And but anyway, that that's he has a he has a duel with the with the guy who was um, uh, Ken Kenbe, not Kenbe, maybe it was Kenbe. Anyway. The guy said, you know, like, you know, you're honorable and I will have this duel. And uh, I just want you to know if I kill you, I will take care of your son until right. the day I die. And he says, he says, basically, there's no need. Right. There's no need for that. Uh, if I die, just kill him because he has right. bought into this life of a demon. Right. And we have no expectation of living another day. So don't worry about taking care of him, just kill him. Right. More yeah. Cuz yeah, cuz that's what he tells him. He's like I'm getting ready to go. I'm getting ready to go like, you know, the pa- on the path to hell. 
when he's getting yeah. ready to go kill everybody. He's like, and if I if I do not come back, like you die here. And Dyer Hurt just nods. <laughs> <laughs> Affirmative. <laughs> Understood. Like, ah, it's so great. Like, uh, there's just the honor in that. Like, that's what it is. It's the honor of it. The honor of such a young child is like mm-hmm. what like, has, affects he me so much. He hasn't known anything else, right? Right. This this, this is the way, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um. Anything else either of you wanted to bring up or talk about? Like, no, uh, I'm glad you... we talked about it. Yeah. I yeah. No, I, I'm just. I'm surprised it took me this long to to actually sit down and watch it. I mean, considering all the crap movies I've watched over the years, like for some reason, just never, uh, never came up, never inspired me to watch it. Um, I'm really surprised we've never talked about it, honestly. Like as long as we've known each other. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but I really enjoyed it. I'm going to, I'm looking forward to watching again. The, um, the Criterion set seems really nice. Um, Beautiful. People should pick it up. Um, yeah. Um, and then, and if you don't want to pick up like the set itself, uh, it's on Criterion Channel for free, and it's also on HBO Max for free because it comes uh, through Turner Classic Movies, which is now oh, really? associated with I'm, HBO I, Max. So. Huh. I didn't. Well. I won't say I won't I won't say I won't say where I watched it, but I didn't watch it there. Uh, <laughs> Christopher motherfucking Gasper. Yeah. You just claim that a move that movies that were streaming on Criterion and HBO Max were free. If you have the well, service. Well, if you have the sorry, if you yeah. have those services. Easter, listen. This man gives me shit all the time when I say, Oh, it's free somewhere. And he's always like, Oh, it's it's free for Frank. Whoa, whoa. And he gets all fucking huffy. And now Mr. like I don't know, streaming service himself is, oh, it's free. (laughs) You know what, Frank? I deserve that. You do. I'll take it. I'm watching the little things right now. I'm in his pause. I'm going to watch it tomorrow. Um, Although, honestly, the criterion, though, it's free for Frank is free for me. So, I mean, like, um, yeah. What is my subscription? I assume I assume the uh, the Criterion version looks much better than the uh, the HBO version. No, they're actually the same it's version. The same thing. Um, oh, is it really? Because criteria. What is it, Frank? Uh, Criterion licensed it to them. Yeah. Criterion has a license agreement with um, TCM. Yeah. And I guess HBO owns TCM. Yeah. In some part. Yep. Or there's some kind of like yeah like reciprocity there or whatever. So basically, anything that's on TCM on HBO. Is the Criterion version of that thing? If that makes sense. Yeah. That, have you have you gotten Max at all, Heaster? Um, I have HBO Max. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because if you like scroll down, you'll see like um like far enough like through like the front screen, you'll see like like eight or ten like different like specific yeah. things, and TCM is on there. And like if you go through there, that's where almost a lot of those movies that Frank were talking about is that. Mm. Like if you scroll through, like TCM's like catalog. <clears throat> Because they have that deal with Criterion and stuff like that, so some of them are Criterion, some of them aren't, but they're all there. I will have to check those out. Yeah, but I'll have the discs of this with uh, all the extras and everything, so I right. look forward to checking that out. Yeah, it's a beautiful out. looking box set. It's um, it was a good purchase, Easter. It's a I got it from Target for like 
57 dollars or something they oh, like that's not bad. no yeah short of uh sometimes barnes and noble does all the criterions 50 percent off then it would be a little bit cheaper but now, is um, that blu-ray or is that 4k or like you know uh, criterion still does not do any 4k okay yeah so they the best yeah. they have uh released so far is yeah. blu-ray you're the person that I turn to for all that kind of information because I have no idea about any of it. So, um, yeah. but okay, I, I didn't know Criterion wasn't doing 4K yet. I have no idea why, and it's not even yet. I mean, it's like they they just have no they they're not saying oh it's coming soon or whatever. It's just maybe they're waiting for the next format. I, I have no idea. I mean, that's so bizarre because I was just reading an article the other day because uh, Babylon Five came up on Max mm-hmm. um, and it's remastered. And I don't give a fuck about Babylon 5 overall myself, mm-hmm. but I mean, but uh, Brandy likes it and like, you know, people, you know, people we've known through our life have talked about it, like, you know, and it's like, um, so I like read the article and they actually like put that in 4K, like when they like remastered it and then had to like dial it back to 1080, um, what like, you know, um, when they did it, but it's like they like remastered that in 4K somehow. Well, this these were remastered in 4K, but then yeah. the they publish them. I mean, like uh, Criterion's been remastering stuff in 4K for a long time, but they're but just not releasing them that way. They release them on Blu-ray, so it's 1080p. Huh. I huh. so like I said, I I can't explain why they're not like right. the the new the the this was remastered in 4K. The uh, oh okay the whole the whole uh, uh, is there? Do you happen to know if there's additional cost there, like for to, to release in 4K over like? Just I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I mean, you just have to master, make a 4K master. You know, if once you have a 4K master, then yeah. you just have to make a 4K disc master, and then the price difference is is negligible. I mean, huh. it's a it's a more expensive disc. I mean, it's it's more. Um, uh, data dense density, but right. um, I don't know. I I don't know their explanation. It's it's kind of like boggles the mind unless they're waiting for like an 8K format or something to come out. I don't know. See again, I don't know anything about the stuff that I find it fascinating. Is that possible? Yeah. Like 8K. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. you figure, you figure four. I mean, you figure. A 1080p is six times the resolution of 480p. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so when you went from DVD to Blu-ray, it's six times the resolution. Okay. When you go from 1080p to 4K, uh-huh. it's four times the resolution. When you okay. go to 4K to 8K, it's two times the resolution. Okay. So your biggest jump that we just talked about there would right. be from from uh, you know DVD to 1080p. Okay. Because it's six times the resolution. Right. Okay. Um, I got you. So, I mean, uh, you know, will 8K come out? Will it catch on? I don't know. Like, who knows? Is 4K enough? Probably. Okay. Well, the next time that I talk to you, I'll probably have you explain that to me all over again because mm. I don't retain technical information like that. But um, yeah. I do it's understand just, right now what you're saying. Yeah. Well, it's also 4K has better color reproduction. And okay. better, better dynamic range. Okay. Darker blacks, brighter whites. So mm-hmm. that's kind of more important than the resolution at this point. So that would be a good reason if you have a good 4K TV to have 4K versus Blu-ray 1080p. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. I know. Okay. I'm boring, everybody. I learned something. I did okay, too. I, I learned it too. I'll forget it. And I'm just being honest. I will forget it. Like, but, but and, and you'll explain it to me again. But um, but yes, I I do understand what you're saying right this moment. Um, no, I, I I'm always kind of interested in like that kind of stuff because like I can't I can't read articles and understand that kind of stuff. Is there some kind of lapse in my brain? But you can explain it better to me than I can understand it reading things. Yeah, so some someday we'll take like three hours. We'll talk about the various digital audio formats. Um, supported we can, we can supported formats. All, the, all yeah, exactly. Supported formats. <laughs> okay. All right. What wasn't a supported format? VHS. VHS. VHS right. is not a supported format. Right. Right. Yes, That's true. <laughs> it remains unsupported. Although I think I do have a, I think I do have a VCR in the basement, and a yeah. laser displayer. And a laser. Oh. Yeah. Is that a nostalgia, like, or like set? Is, sentimentality or like that you still have a laser disc i don't know like i have a whole bunch of laser discs mm. as well i have a Pract- bunch of practicality mm. so if i ever want to watch them right sure yeah will i ever want to watch them i don't know right well you ever put those legos together who knows <laughs> i don't know <laughs> all right jason thank you so much for joining us and talking about these movies tonight we really appreciate thank you it. for having me yep. yeah it was a really good time yeah thank you Okay, so for our third segment on the show this week, uh, we are welcoming back Aiden Boyer from the podcast. Been on a number of episodes with us. Hello, um, everybody. Yeah, and um, y- what you've chosen that you wanted to talk about is 1986's uh, uh, Aliens, um, mm-hmm. and which I would say is, uh, well, I guess maybe one of the two most popular movies that, uh, you know, uh, people are going to be talking about in this episode. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to, um, first thing I want to know is like, why, like why aliens? Like, uh, does this hold some deep meaning to you? Does, you know, is it just something, you know, is it nostalgia to some degree? Is it like, what, why did you pick aliens? So it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a, I don't want to say complex. It's multifaceted. I think is the best would be a better descriptor. Okay. Um, it does have a personal meaning to me. And I feel that because Aliens was not a, it was not a failure movie. It was a very successful movie. Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that it's successful, I still believe that it is highly underrated. Um, especially, and, I, and I, what I find very ironic, and like, I find some, I find some things about the movie, uh, I guess ironic considering like, the current state of the world today and like how people are very sensitive about race and gender issues and, and, and such like that. And, and I think, er, and I think that I, I, it's one of those things where there are attributes about that movie that are glaringly obvious that no one talks about and they just completely forget, you know, give, about it. So, give me an example, which means. Like- so, um, uh okay so being so i'm just like the every other normal normal dude you know in my age group you know i'm i just turned 46 actually so uh you know aquarius gang and um (laughs) so but here's the thing so like i'm a huge every anyone that knows me knows that i'm a huge batman fan but i like superheroes in general right 
even I am superheroed out at this point. Like I still haven't seen like the last installments of like the X, not the X-Men, um, Avengers. I still haven't seen, you know, there's a bunch I haven't seen. Right. Um, and then when you get to the DC end, you have like, you know, the Batman, the Superman, the Wonder Woman. Okay. Um, so what I found interesting about like, like the like gender and, and race is that the two movies, there are movies that are being made that are good movies, but I feel like they're overhyped or I won't say overhyped. They're overvalued. Um, the two in question, and I, and I don't mind catching, you know, heat for it and I'll defend it to the day. Wonder Woman and Black Panther. Okay. I don't feel like, I don't think that Black Panther is a bad movie. I just don't think that it's good as people are making it out to be. And I feel the same way about Wonder Woman and what makes the, but those movies are necessary outside of a cinematic context. But if you're just looking at it movie for just for a movie outside of a societal time or a world time or whatever, those movies are very average, extremely average. Like Black Panther is the Lion King. Like you could almost go, you could almost go, categorical scene the categorical scene and while there are things about like the implementation of black panther that i that i appreciate it's not a great movie at all it's average i would give it a c plus at best right wonder woman same deal it's but instead of race it's gender um i'd be hard pressed for someone to tell me how great wonder woman is like as and I'd watch it with them. It just it's just not that great, but it was important, right? Mm-hmm. So, what I find interesting about it is that the cry about before Wonder Woman was made, right? At least to me, and I love movies, right? And I'm not some some type of like stuffy academic or whatever. I'm like you know your working man's movie. I don't claim to get all the deep meaning, although I'll you know I love to talk about it you know, when I can. But the thing that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is that the whole Wonder Woman thing, everyone's talking about how there's no, there's no strong women and there's no super, there's no, you know, how come the women are represented in movies? You know, they're always sexualized and da, 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 right? And so forth. So like you have Wonder Woman and, you know, raw women, which, you know, I don't, and I'm not saying that, to poke fun i just i think it's funny because when you look at aliens aliens like aliens represents one of the strongest heroic characters in the heroic myth period and it's a woman and it's a non-sexualized heroine do you know what i mean so i'm so but like I hear all these people talk about, oh, well, you know, we don't have, you know, you know, women too, you know, oh, you know, we, you know, you boys, you know, you think that all we want is rom-coms and blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, we like action movies too. No one, and like Sir Gurney Weaver gets zero credit. I never hear her brought up ever. <laughs> it's always Gal Gadot because of Wonder Woman, yeah. Angelina Jolie because of the wanted series and tomb raider and i'm not saying that she did a bad job i'm right. just saying like, but like there's no way that she's not sexualized as a hero sure <laughs> yeah. you know and 
the other only the only other one I can think of is maybe uh, Jennifer Jennifer Lawrence anymore. It's just and I only say this because I there's actually a Frank Bruni article from like 2013 that's specifically about what you're talking about how there's a lack of female mm-hmm. superheroes, a lack of female, um, and I think it's called Waiting for Wonder Woman. Um, and it's one of the more mm. popular articles about this very topic. And he, um, uh, you know, is and this is before Wonder Woman, obviously. And you mm. know, he's kind of like going through uh, different actresses are quoted in it, and um, you know, talking about like this need for female, um, uh, strong female characters um, in movies, like particularly action movies, and you know, more equal representation and these kind of things. Um, but yeah, one one of the ones that students mention all the time, like younger students, constantly is Katniss in um, the Hunger Games, um, right? Um, like all the time, like is like it's their their two examples are now Wonder Woman and Katniss, like which is which is hilarious to me because there's no woman Wonder Woman is not a sexualized female, and I love Jennifer Lawrence, mm-hmm. but there you know there are other movies that where she plays a heroine. Or she plays like you know a strong woman that I like. Mm-hmm. Um, the only other one I can think of that has like the kind of reach, and I'm not saying that they're equal, <laughs> but yeah. I'm just saying like categorically, the only other one that you can kind of work in is maybe like a Demi Moore for GI Jane, right? Um, but like you know, but I mean, you have like Charlie's Angels like twice over. You know, and all this other stuff. But when you talk, when I feel like when it's talked about, when when it is talked about, as far as like women and women in the hero myth, women in action movies, you know, strong you know, strong female characters, I have yet to hear anybody bring up aliens, and I think that that's just a travesty. Yeah, that's, I, that's just one. That's just one side of of my. Yeah, love I, although I do want to continue this just a little bit, um, mm-hmm. because Frank, that was on our. You put that on your top most compelling female characters right was that's when we talked about this Is that right? no, no, I don't, yeah was it it was aliens right Squirt, like ripley was on your list right yeah probably for alien i guess yeah um yeah i can't remember if it's alien or aliens but yeah be both. Um, right yeah um because i remember i ended up watching all of them just because they were all on hbo um when mm-hmm. we did that um, because I don't think I had ever watched four, or I'd only seen like parts of it or something like that mm. at some point. Um, uh, yeah, mm. sure, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but I did find it interesting when you're talking about like sexualizing her. Um, and I and Frank and I both watched Aliens again this week. Um, uh, so this is like the second or third time I've seen it in the past few years, and I I found a number of interesting things, and it it becomes a better movie to me every time I watch it as, as a movie, like what you're saying, like as a film, right. like, you know, talking right. about like black Panther and wonder Woman, it becomes better as a film to me. But I, I noticed a couple of things. It's like, even though she is, you know, I guess, you know, in a, a you know, a, a tight shirt, like, you know, and, and her, um, and her panties, it's not sexualized whatsoever in those circumstances. But in three, I always found it interesting um, I, I think I brought this up last time, but she has sex in the third one. She does, but it's only for the physical release. Um, and she pretty much like says that, like you know, it was just like basically like she need, like you know, it was mm-hmm. almost like yeah, human beings need sex, and like there's nothing here that was like meant anything at all, which right. I thought was a brilliant way to handle that for that character because it's still not sexualizing her; it's just admitting that she needs. 
a release and i thought that's fascinating what they did with that character even though i'm not a big fan of the third one it's like i thought that was an interesting way of dealing with that facet of her uh you know like the, the sexualized version of her like you know that as, as a human being um and then the only other thing i thought this time and related to the gender stuff is i don't think i've ever realized before the purposefulness of vasquez in aliens of almost like a little bit of like i think a fuck you to certain types of people that wanted to see ripley in a in like this overly almost like masculine way like she's replacing mm-hmm. the man and i think it's a fuck you to like making vasquez this overly masculine type in terms of her tone and her build and the way she talks just like the other men in the unit and it's almost like putting them next to each other and saying like no this is what you think ripley is but this is what it really is and vasquez no she's just right it's very they're polarized yeah they're polarized but they're not opposites because they don't really they don't they have any type of conflict whatsoever during during the movie Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. In fact, they rarely, they barely, they have one ex- one conversation, and it's very, very short, and it's in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then they don't talk to each other really. Yeah. Um, but Vasquez does the thing I noticed. Vasquez falls in line eventually and realizes that it's like right. when Ripley kind of takes over, like she just falls in line. Um, right. So it's almost like who's the, actually the dominant one gets proven out in the end. Um, in right. The Ripley. But I think, I, but she's the, she's one of the first to fall in line. I hate to say fall in line, but I, because there's, there's things about their relationship that I, there's a lot of nuance in that movie that you, you miss when you first see it because you're, so you have your action filter on because that's what you're, you know, if you're watching them for the first time, you're not, no one's going to think aliens <laughs> is going to be nuanced. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but uh, no, I, I completely agree. Like, you know, you see her in her underwear, waking up out of cryo sleep. You see her braless the entire time, which is, it was a real, it was like real deal. And at no point in time, did you, were you ever, was it ever like a physical thing? Even even the light, not so light, it wasn't so light. Uh, pairing of her with Michael Bain's character Hicks, because mm-hmm. he says a couple things in there that's suggestive. Yeah, but it's it was never over. It was never like overdone. It was just you know it was almost like he's making fun of it just to like make light of the situation. But it was in, it's kind of inferred that he appreciates her strength and he finds it attractive. Mm-hmm. But you know, like yeah. so maybe like you know in, in a hypothetical future you could see them at least you know getting down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um, yes. But it was but but it wasn't. It never it never detracted from like the purpose of the movie, and it and it wasn't enough to sexualize her. I felt. Yeah. She's not sexualized as a sexual component because she's a fully realized character, I think. Mm. Like, she's not one-dimensional where she's, like, all business or the damsel in distress. Like, she has, you know, a nuance to her. Mm-hmm. Mostly because you also had, like, a whole entire movie before this to build that character. You know, just being alien, you're familiar with who Ripley is. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, that's it's also... 
you know, as you've been talking about the the uh, previous movie, that's also another reason why I really love this movie because uh, I'm trying to think of another movie does it. There's a couple of movies when you think about movies in series, like the serialized movies, um, with I'll say at least three um, in the canon or whatever. Or whatever. Uh, you, they, they get pretty formulaic, so, you know. So you, it, it's very easy to get formulaic, and like you're gonna have a stink. You know, no one has done. That's not true. Well, up to three, th- like like three, four is the curse. <laughs> right mm-hmm. <laughs> so and i mean it, aliens the alien you can't even see trilogy right because right. i mean so like the alien line the alien the alien series i mean it doesn't it definitely has a stinker but the thing that i really like about alien the alien series is that the first three movies the the genuine trilogy are different categories so like the first one's kind of like an isolated thriller the second one's a straight sci-fi action and the third one has like a completely different feel to it than the first one. Like the first one was very passive. Like no, you know, it was, it was one alien versus a crew and they didn't even know that they were in contention. In three, you have one alien versus a bunch of convicts, but there's other conflicts of like plot wise that are going on. So it's a completely different feel, even though they're, they're close categorically of what's going on and then the aliens movie is just straight up an action movie right but it's a nuanced action movie you know? Frank, i want you to address this because i you know more about like alien in terms of um like uh, how it fits into like kind of like the horror like you know like line of movies and stuff like that and its influence and all that kind of stuff and the you first mentioned- alien or this the first alien? alien, yeah. But you were also mentioning to me uh, not too long ago about uh, the idea that you actually found more horror elements in Aliens watching it again than you thought were there previously. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I I think that Alien is a horror movie with a sci-fi, um, I don't know, like facade on top of it. <laughs> like aside from the fact that they're in space and that it's a whatever, the xenomorph is like an alien creature. I don't think there's really much sci-fi element to it. Like, it's mostly just a slasher movie, like, with a different, I don't know, setting and context. But I used to, like, I would have argued probably 10 years ago even that Aliens was straight sci-fi, like, without horror. But watching it this time, like, I think that's kind of wrong. I Maybe it's just, like, you know, Aiden, to your point about kind of being superheroed out, like, we've had decades now of, these huge movies with like big budgets and giant special effects. And I don't know, like something you never would have thought you would see. And so it makes aliens feel smaller in some way, like more intimate to me. And um, I don't know. I think like the body horror element of it's pretty strong, like with the, you know, deformation of people, not only getting like infected and whatever, but also burned by acid and, you know, lit on fire and stuff. And I don't right. know, like the idea of, um, being stranded on an alien world, the idea that you have like this evil element, like insidiously coming from within is pretty horrifying. Um, For as much as his performance gets kind of like made fun of, you know, Bill Paxton's Hudson (laughs) is like absolute, like abject freakouts on a consistent basis. It kind of blends this element of kind of this edge of like uncomfortable terror to you, like when you're watching it. So I don't know. I think it's a really effective 
horror movie done by somebody who's much more into the aesthetic of the sci-fi universe i think than in the original film if that makes sense it does uh it does it's like we when i because i i always like to look at the like when I, I compare like the serialized movies like the 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 one that i think is more is most consistent is probably the indiana jones movies yeah that's a good uh, um close second would be the diehards if we're just mm-hmm. talking you know like because diehard diehard falls apart in four Right. I think it's live free or die hard. Indiana Jones falls falls apart in four. Uh, Crystal Skull. Yeah. Um, Bond kind of doesn't count. Right. Um, you have aliens, but like a- Alien falls apart at four. So it's you know it's like you, you keep put you keep going to the cookie jar like you have to you know it's just a matter of time <laughs> before you fumble right. Um, but uh. There was just like the every time I watch it, it's just so there's a lot of stuff that, that a lot of nuance that I pick up that I didn't see before, you know. And you, you know, with the with aliens, you definitely see the hero myth, you know, it has like the three elements of um, you have the adventure, the crisis, and the reformation, like crucible type deal. And it's especially the deal with aliens because not only is she a, she becomes a mother, like metaphorically. But physically, she becomes a mother at the end, which I thought was kind of like a neat play on on that dynamic. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, to, to your point that you were saying earlier with Alien 3 about how she just needed the physical release, you know, I, it's like you almost want to attribute some of that to her being pregnant. Because I can't remember if she knew she had she was impregnated at that time or not. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember actually. So, you know, but uh, that's pretty early on. I don't think she did at that point, but I'm not positive. Like, right. I mean, um, the other thing, and this is sad that I'm relating the gender, but I, I mean, <laughs> it probably is uh, the case. Is I also found it interesting watching this time is that because Ripley is early on the movie is showing a lot of emotion in the sense of being scared um, to some degree, obviously because she knows what the actual threat is, Um, you know, and people think that she's hysterical. Um, mm-hmm. that she's like you know making too much of it, that it's all overblown, um, right. you know, and it's like the one time where it's like that showing of that emotion is actually a strength, right, as opposed to a weakness, right? Um, and I found that again rewatching and thinking about it really interesting and how condescending the the corporation is, you know, and 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 the way that Paul Reiser tries to like you know, uh, manipulate her. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, a, a lot like by, um, almost like using a couple of scenes, using that emotion, like against her, like, you know, and try and tell her basically downplaying the whole thing. Um, right. I, I thought that was really interesting too, that it's like emotion can be justified and positive mm-hmm. as opposed to something that is like, you know, a weakness in a woman's character or something like that. So I, right. I watching because I hadn't watched this movie until the past few years. I hadn't watched it since 
as a kid, you know, right. um, and I watched a number of times as a kid, like at least like four or five, I guess. But I mean, um, on HBO or something, but it's like, right. But uh, I hadn't seen it in a long time. So I watching it again, I'm starting to see some of the little I, you say it's very nuanced. It's like I'm starting to see the little things that like I think are very intentional mm-hmm. in the in, in the writing of the script or at least even if it wasn't the writing process. Somebody was on that set. If it was Scorny Weaver or like, you know, somebody was no, let's kind of like make this scene go a little bit this way and right. add something to it. But it, yeah, there's definitely a lot of things there that, um, uh, you know, m- I mean, make her a feminist icon. I mean, <sighs> right. I, I just, I think it's, I just think that it's just, it's very interesting that in this day and age, right. Because like we have star Wars, right. And people are putting, they're putting, um, what's that chick's name? The one that plays Ray. Whatever her name. We were, Wait, what? Daisy Ridley. <laughs> oh, What's there that? you go. Daisy, yeah. Daisy Ridley. He got it. Yeah, right. We're very oddly close to Ripley. Just saying. <laughs> you invert, you flip, you yeah, you do a you do a uh you do a a physical flip on that D and it's Ripley. I'm just saying. Right. You know, just, I saw I'm, you know <laughs> I, I saw Dick Gregory speak at UD one time and mm-hmm. go on for 20 minutes about how um anthrax was very close to aflac um and <laughs> he made a connection between those two things too and the idea that they were preparing us with aflac right. commercials for anthrax um just 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 saying i'm not, I'm not saying all that <laughs> but you know it's just, i find it funny that like the scene it's almost and you know i'm a guy so like i, I you know I, i'm on a certain side of the fence about it like you know um but I just find it funny that when you start talking about particularly like women in movies and, you know, women, strong women characters and da, 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 And like, you know, here's uh, Ray as like the new Jedi or what I haven't seen the last two or whatever, you know, but like you have all these women that are being touted and I'm like, there have been strong women in movies for a long time. And like, that's one of the largest ones. When I think of like, who's a strong, who's a strong, um, heroin like i i i'd be hard pressed to pick a number 2 outside of sigourney weaver i would say maybe you could throw in gina davis in there for like maybe long kiss goodnight maybe you know it's a different type of hero but it i just find it it's i find it a shame that when people are scrambling to find strong women you have not only do you have arguably the strongest woman in cinema, like, you know, in, in regards to like our age group, but it's one of the strongest hero characters, period, like gender aside. Do you know what I mean? And I find it funny that that movie is never, her character is never brought up ever, (laughs) ever. Now, now here's the thing is like it, in terms of academics, I know it, is um at least during the mm-hmm. time period it was like you know mm-hmm. like in the like the 10 15 years but you're right i don't hear I, it hasn't called on with younger generations to me it feels like right um and but i want that's my perception so frank do you agree with that that younger generations you feel don't know these movies as well they don't know them for these i mean 
most people that are younger's exposure to Alien comes from Aliens versus Predator. Mm, right. So they're not like, I don't know. I mean, they're not the same genre even really. Like those are like high, high, high pace, fast pace, like bloody action movies as opposed to, you know, even though there's a lot of action in Aliens, like to Aiden's point, it's a nuanced film. You know what I mean? Like there's layers to it and there's not really layers of complexity to Aliens versus Predator. The other thing I'll say too, and it's, and I, this is my argument for this is uh, an argument against like generational bias, right? Like people knew who Carrie Fisher was, right? You know, Princess Leia was, you know, people, you know, gir- young women and older women alike dress up like Princess Leia all the time. I've yet to see a uh, a Ripley costume. So let me. So I actually have an I I have, I have a theory about that. So Princess Leia as a character and as like an icon, like. The Star Wars universe was carefully cultivated by one dude for 30 plus years, you know? Mm-hmm. So everything that you got that was Star Wars had to pass the approval of basically one man who created it to say yay or nay. I mean, the Alien franchise is owned by studios and it's passed from creator to creator. And so Ripley, like, look at um, Prometheus and uh, what is it, Covenant? Is that what the last mm-hmm. one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, there's no real through line to, you know, um, Ripley in those movies. Like, they right. they don't even, like, act like Prometheus is part of the canon in the last, what, like, six or seven minutes of the movie? Right. It's just, it's it's like there's no... If it had been Ridley Scott and H.R. Geiger controlling the Aliens franchise for, you know, six or seven movies over 30 years... I think you'd probably see a lot more callback and like reverence for those characters, but I don't know. You you know what is actually a good example is Jamie Lee Curtis in the Halloween. Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of those movies are bullshit, like Jamie Lee Curtis is still like a consistent character throughout that's, you know, pretty much like the only person that can keep their head about them and knows how to like kill this unkillable monster. Right. If you would have had Sigourney Weaver like consistently moving through movies like that, I think it would have been better. But like, you know, I mean the three and what is it? Um, what's the fucking resurrection? Resurrection, right? Resurrection. Like those movies are pretty critically panned, and they weren't very successful at the box office. So you already Mm -hmm. have this huge dip. And plus, what is res? What's Alien Three like? Nine years after, after? ninety two, I think. So, oh, so six years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I just think there's too big of a gap from the story driven early movies of the Aliens franchise and the more action driven. You know, the aliens are just this thing that the predators fight. Right. How many people think about Arnold Schwarzenegger and Predator? Do you think? Right. Like when you think of Predators, I'm sure that like my son thinks more about those terrible fucking movies than he does about, you know, the original Predator. Right. Even Danny Glover in Predator 2. But but it's different, though, because Arnold's Arnold. Do you know what I mean? So, you know, you can't look at Arnold and not think action movie. Like, seeing Arnold in a drama is a stretch. You know? Um, I just, I just, you know, I just find it for for as great, I guess to me, it's like, for as great 
a movie as Aliens is, and as great a character and heroic a character as uh, Ripley, I just find that it's just it's like no one's talking about the elephant in the room. Yeah, but they're feeding it peanuts. <laughs> like, like I don't under I just don't understand why it's just not. It I feel that it it's it's gravely underrated. For, think, for me, for, for me personally, I think you're right. Like especially from your perspective, and again, I think a lot of that comes from the fact that, like, creators and filmmakers are more focused on just how like great the design of those those creatures is. You know, like Stan Winston, like going back, oh, Stan Winston and H.R. Geiger, and going back and pulling like that whole like whatever he called it, like biomechanical, you know, mm-hmm. look to them and that's what fuels that franchise not necessarily you know the performance of one actress in and i guess four of the movies but still like you know i think two of those movies are mostly forgotten right and again i think that a lot of what it is in, you know the cameron film is what 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 line gets quoted more than anything in, in those whole movies uh, like the nuke from orbit are you talking about for for aliens I mean, nuke, nuke it from orbit, and then there's like the game, game over. over, right? The game over. So um, that's what people. And then there's remember. there's the bitch line. What is it? Um, yeah, yeah, get away from her, you bitch. Yeah, get away right. from her, you bitch. Yeah. I was talking right. to my tutor, who's um, my mom's age, so I, whatever that is, like sixty, you know, late sixties. Um, and a uh, woman that I work with in my class, and um, I was talking to her about this conversation um, earlier today. Um, that we were going to be doing tonight, and uh, she saw both of those. She saw Aliens in the theater when it came out, um, and she had. And she said, "I didn't know this, but she said that they actually re-released Alien in the theaters, um, like you know, leading up to the release of Aliens." Um, but the only line that she remembered, um, being a mother, I think, is "Get away from her, you bitch." You know, like I mean, you know, it. it it resonated with her the exact line all these years later. Right. Like she hadn't seen it since then, but um, which kind of brings me into that kind of it's kind of like a good segue to talk about because I don't want to come off this topic because you know, but it's also kind of a nice segue for the uh, for an additional reason why this movie is personal to me. Is it's one? I don't know if it's the first, but it's definitely one of the first, and it's most definitely the uh, one of the most memorable drive-in movies that i was at because i remember i remember distinctly i remember the car we had i remember putting the because this would have been 80 like mid 80s right so 80 i think it was 86 mm-hmm. so you know they had like this metal contraption that they would you would hang on the window and i remember going through i remember the drive-in that it was at that you know the drive that we went to is no longer there obviously right um but it was like it was the whole experience because like I didn't I you know I just knew that we were going to the movies I didn't know what we were gonna see you know and then we get it we get to the movie theater or we get to the drive-in they hand a program I there and it was a uh, it was like a picture I forget what it was in the booklet but on the back of it was a picture of Sigourney with Sigourney from the elevator drop towards the end so she you she's standing it's she's standing on a grate it's like um it's cartooned but it's air it's like it's like that realistic art like the boris vallejo art <laughs> you know <laughs> thank bledsoe <laughs> <laughs> it's like it, you know it's it's not 
it's not photorealistic. It's definitely paint or whatever, you know? And she's standing there. There's she's standing on a graded platform. There's light come emanating from the platform, and she's standing there with the flamethrower and the pulse rifle. Just you mm-hmm. know. And I remember looking at it and I'm like, not you know, and then I, I'm not understanding what's going on. And I see the movie, and then that's a very prominent part of the movie. And so we, and this is where like, you know, so part of the the driving experience. And going on that adventure, I distinctly remember my favorite part in the movie. It actually doesn't have any character dialogue. My favorite part of the movie is when she goes to get Newt, but she's the load up scene where she's descending down the elevator. That is by to me personally, that is the best load up scene I've seen in an action movie ever. And it's just you get all the you get all the emotions. Even as a kid, I was like, what's going to happen? Do you know, like, you know, she's really, you know, she's going back, you know, you know, like as an adult, it's like, of course mm-hmm. she's going back. Like, you, you know, they've, they've been hinting that she's going to go back the entire right. time. But as a 10 year old, I didn't know that. Or 11, mm-hmm. I, you know, I didn't know that. I just know she's going down there. It's on this huge screen. I'm in the car. There's a flamethrower. She's like throwing all types of ammo up in there. She's ready to, she's fixing to do something. Mm-hmm. Right. And then she descends and then like, it's cu- like the background is kind of dusky. It just, it just reminded me of that special twilight time. When, if you, if you attended a drive-in theater um, as a kid, cause it's different, I guess, if you're an adult, but like, you're so used to your, your timing is so used to when you're supposed to go to bed, when you're, when you're supposed to get up. So like when you see, when I see dusk, I know that, Bedtime's near. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like being in the car, having like the the night sky being like that dark blue, and then that having that background match the hue of the background in the movie. I'm sitting here watching this like larger than life screen in the in a Chevy. It wasn't Impala. I can't. I can't. A Caprice, I guess, or something. I can't remember. But um. You know, that was like a very larger than life cinematic experience for me, you know, as a kid early, early on. And that was one of them. And those those types of movies, there's a couple of them. Clash of the Titans was another one. That was the one of the first movies I saw in the theater. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clash of the Titans, Last Dragon was the first time I heard the N word in a movie Mm -hmm. with parents. And I saw that in the theater. Um, There was a lot that we could do a whole other thing on the list. Right. Yeah. But, but um, you know, like these are the movies that kind of laid the seeds and are the underlying causes for my love of movies today, mm-hmm. you know? So Alien will always have a a, a, a place in my, near and dear in my heart. And like every time I watch it, I always make sure that I watch that descending scene. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, you know, she's loading, first she's loading up in the ship because they, the, the, they got the drop ship from the Sulaco. So, so now she does, she's not scant on resources she can load up full just like any video game before you fight a boss she's like full up tells hicks to not let bishop take off you know goes to the elevator and then she's just taking everything off throw the bandolier on like you're about to get it on you know well right like she's fucking schwarzenegger and commando right 
but her load up scene is better. It is. <laughs> it, it, well, it's it's not as over the top and ridiculous. Right. That, oh. That's. I think that's the difference. Like, right. I mean, and, and and what what I really liked about, and I love the commando load up I, scene, right, but for a different right, reason. Like you right. know, I mean, same with the Batman. Like the Batman load up scenes are really good too. Right. But like what I there's there are aspects about aliens that I and I can I can tie these to other movies too. You know, like the the I have like certain moments that I love that work just for me. Not that they're better than like not that they're quantitatively better than other moments or whatever, but like for me, like that kind of moment. Um what I really like, especially in the hero myth or the heroes the hero myth story, right? Um, and it happens in Aliens, and it happens in Die Hard Three. Those are the mm-hmm. two. These are the. Those are the two that I can think of readily that had this element. Uh-huh. And it's when you have this extreme, uh, this this travel of emotion, this emotional switch from from two polar extremities, right? In these two examples, it's loss of hope to abject determination. <laughs> mm-hmm. So when she thinks Newt's dead, she's done because like she, you know, she had already, you, you already have the legacy up until that point. Like she went through all that shit she went through with Alien, with her crew. Mm-hmm. Didn't want to go back, went back unwilling because she didn't, she never trusted Paul Reiser, even from the door. She's like, right. there's something funny about you. Mm-hmm. And now she's in this, you know, um, now she's in this predicament again like when she thought she was done and now she's in this predicament again and she, and new kind of represents hope to her again. And she's, she just lost it. And she's on a, you know, she just lost hope. You know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, the setting is larger than life, right? Cause she's just lost her hope and she's on a remote planet. That's about to blow up from a nuclear explosion, like, right, <laughs> you know, right, whatever. Sure. But she, you know, she's going through all this. Um, She's just, she's lost, you know, this is like, I think that if Newt dies, she doesn't even go back to the ship. Like she's, she might offer herself there. To, right. do, you know what I mean? Like, what's the sense of living? Right. Sure. She hears Newt's scream, and then you know somebody about to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? She completely picks herself up. Mm-hmm. This happens in Die Hard Three. The tunnel scene. In Die Hard Three. Yeah. Is that what you? No. Okay. No. The, tunnel, no, the uh, what tunnel scene? Were you thinking? Were you thinking? Go ahead. Okay. Uh, the scene where... So he goes from... He goes the opposite way. He goes from... I'm going to get in Jeremy Irons' ass uh-huh. to... He got the best of me. And uh-huh. it's when he's on the ship. And he uh-huh. realizes... And the bomb comes up. And he's like... Oh. Like, he just... You can see it in his face. Like, he's right. like, he thought that he was in the ship and he's about to kill Jeremy Irons... Or not Jeremy Irons... Was it Jeremy Irons? Yeah, it was Jeremy yeah, Irons. Right? Jeremy, yeah. yeah. He thought that he he got on that ship with Zeus. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, don't be a hero. I want him, you know, and he's got that because per- it's now it's personal, right? Yeah. And he's going ahead of the ship and he thinks he's about to like to, you know, perforate dude, right? Yeah. And then he and he sees the liquid comes up, and then it's almost like you see, and it's this is like the nuance, right? So it's like you see him, you see him after going through all this, you know with him you see him look at the bomb because there's you see the bomb come up then you see his face and like you see his face outside of the glass 
me see if I can get this straight. You see, <laughs> you see the binary liquid contraption mm-hmm. rise up, and that there's like all these the score is great on this too. It's all these loud horns of discordant minor and um diminished uh stabs or you know blares or whatever crescendos or whatever mm-hmm. so you see the bomb come up then you see the same scene but you see it outside of the window of the cabin so then you see him looking at you but you see the reflection of the bombs coming up right and then you just see him just you see it in his head because he you know he thinks that he's because I mean, he is smart but like the great john mcclain got snookered Mm-hmm. You know, like he got owned and there's nothing he can do about it. Right. You know, and that's the worst one. Cause like you're by yeah. yourself and you know, you lost and you can see him. It's almost like you see him see it in his head. It, it's just a microsecond. You see him flesh out all the details and go back and like, you know, retrospectively, like do the Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. explanation, realize that he lost and he just slinks down back against the wall yep i i know exactly yeah that no it's it's one of the best moments of that movie is like just like dropping down um no i actually thought you were going with a similarity rather than the reverse because actually one of the brilliant things about those movies and this is all say about these movies because we can talk about them forever (laughs) you and i I think but um is that i think that actually is like what you were describing about ripley like is like losing hope and then regaining it Mm-hmm. It's like that is like a through line to all of those movies and Die Hard, and it actually like is there's beat points throughout each movie where that happens like in different ways, but over and over where it's like McLean like loses hope, and then it's like you can see the wheels working, and it's like mm-hmm. or a, or a different thing happens, and it's like oh no, this is my opportunity, and um, mm-hmm. you know so that happens like a lot in those movies and. Um, and then there's two different times I could think in Die Hard with the Vengeance that it happens, but, um, mm. but yeah, um, so yeah, no, that's interesting. I, um, it's, I, believe- I mean, it's this, believable. Yeah. But uh, you talking about the drive-in though, it's like it, the one thing it made me think of is that and it's something I think everybody can appreciate and it's why we wanted to like have people on to talk about the movies they want to talk about is because like the power of like film in itself and like you talking about you remembering this is one of those kind of pivotal movies for you in terms of like a film going experience mm-hmm. um and it, it just made me think of like you know like how i can remember be sitting in a theater in et when i'm like two years old and mm-hmm. i can remember it three years old even if i don't remember the movie at that time i remember sitting in the theater for return of the jedi and then running out of the theater when Viv Fortuna came on because I was scared of him. But it's like, um, <laughs> but it's like I can remember sitting in the theater for those movies. But it's like, I remember Willow. That's eighty six or eighty seven, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's like, by the time I get to eighty eight and I'm seeing movies in the theater, I don't remember them. Like you know, so it's like there's something about like some of those like pivotal early movie going experiences <laughs> that, right? Um, yeah, stick with you forever. I think. Um, I, I think. I think that we are. I think that we are fortunate of when we when we came up because I think that it, I think that they don't have. I think that that's lost on the generations forward because they've made a turn that they can't reverse, and um, and I don't have you know and I don't have any children, so keep that in mind. So, 
But what I've noticed, and this is also the reason, I, this is my theory, this is also the reason why it's harder to do horror movies at this point forward or a couple of years forward is that it's almost, it's easier if you have a, a vivid, you need like a certain, excuse me, hold on. You, you need a certain resolution in the, in the context of like color. You need a certain type of resolution of imagination to, to have a horror movie work for you. And I feel like kids, I feel like generations now come up, they don't have that because they're so, they're so used, they're so immersed with the digital world that they never really have a set, like they get to the same points as we did when we were younger, but they didn't get through there through like the imagination realm. They got there through Google or they got there through, you know, uh, you know, tablet time and, and all that other stuff. So like they don't get, they don't get like the kind of um, the intangibles, like the trip is different, you know? So like, uh, so like it's hard to do a horror movie because everyone's so smart. They, they're, they, they've already, well, this is what I would do. Da, 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 da. Like they don't, like no one believes in the boogeyman or Santa, like Santa, like Santa has a Santa tracker. Like I wouldn't have felt, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I just, I feel like it's harder to do that now. And with the movies, I, I think that it's just the reason why we have those moments is because we're coming up in a time where there's a lot of like connective glue with imagination and how you perceive the world that you have to manufacture on your own and you don't have to do that now. Like you're told or you see it, it's very, everything is very tangible now. And if if you can't touch it, it's not real. Like you don't see like, you know, like, like a more obvious example is that like kids don't go out and play like that anymore. They're, it's all FaceTime and video games. Not that there's not, that there's anything wrong with video games, clearly, <laughs> you know, but you know, like kids don't go out, like it's very, it's much more, it's much a rarer thing for kids to go out and play with other kids on the daily. Sure. Like it's, it's a well, play. Kids are, kids are less and less told to go out and play. Right. You know, like, and right. when you went out and played, it's like maybe you had some action figures or you had toy guns or yeah, something, but you had to come up with a story. You had to come up with like, you know, like right. something, you know, you had to use your imagination for those things and stuff like that. So and that's yeah. not, that's not, that's not happening. That's right. not I happening get you. Now. I get you. Yeah. So, I mean, so, you know, those, that's, that's, I mean, movies raised me mm-hmm. like, in, and not always in a positive way. And, right. and you know what I mean? Like movies and music, like anyone that knows me personally, <laughs> and you guys know this, it's like I'm constantly quoting movies. Mm-hmm. And like that's the language, that's the best language. I find it is the best language of analogy that I can that I can give like to people. Mm-hmm. Like if like if I need to exp- express like a, a certain concept that I'm going through or whatever, mm-hmm. and the words aren't hitting right, I'll pick a movie. Like right. this is you know, and that's, that's been, that's one of the languages that I speak. And I think this, you know, it's a shame because like that's lost and you see it. There's a little bit of a delay because it takes time, like for generation to generation, but you see it in the movies, mm-hmm. you see it, you see it in the music, you see it in all the media. Like the creativeness is, I don't say, I don't want to say it's not there. It's just got a different type of flavor to it. And I, it's a flavor that I find that I can taste a little bit of the blandness in it. Not that there's not creative new stuff that I, I, I like. I mean, there is, but it just, it's, it hits different as they say, you know, 
Mm-hmm. So like, you know, so. And to your point, when I texted you about this initially, and you didn't mm-hmm. remember this, so I don't know if you remember <laughs> it now. Okay. When I texted you about what, what we were going with this, uh-huh. the thing that you responded to me with was, just tell me one thing. <laughs> right. You're going out there to destroy them, right? <laughs> right. Not yeah, to study, yeah. not to bring them back. <laughs> But to wipe them out. out. Right. That's right. Um, And so, yeah. um, Even though I don't think you remember that, because then you had like. Do remember. But you had like five other movies that was like you thought about like talking about, but you landed on this one. I love. Yeah. um, Super 8 was one of them. Mm -hmm. I thought Super 8 was just another under i wanted to talk about i wanted to talk about of all the movies whatever i was going to pick i wanted to talk about something that didn't get his just due Mm. right like super eight does not get his just due Mm -hmm. for what it is right right um scott pilgrim gets his just due but it's scott pilgrim (laughs) do you know what i mean like right um the one i was most fascinated with and i was definitely going to ask you about this like mm -hmm. And I don't want to spend a long time on it, but what's your argument for just calls? <laughs> okay, because so, I, you know, I think you know what it is. You just want to hear me say it. <laughs> I can't remember if we've talked about this because no, we, if we have. We if we have, then it's because I was drinking at the bar. Um, but I, I don't, I don't remember if we have. But I, I need to hear it. Like, okay, so just cause I remember seeing. I think that's like late nineties. Late nineties, I believe. Somewhere yeah, I don't think it's I don't think it's ninety four, I think actually or ninety five. Ninety four. So just well, cause just cause was the first time it was the first like movie because it was like a murder ninety five. Yeah. It was like a I don't say it's like a slap it's like a like a silence of the lambs, like who's the killer? Who's you know? And it was the first time that I got hoodwinked on race. Hmm. By my own devices. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, and I'll spo- mm-hmm. I mean, where I'll spoil it. So, like, no you're way. watching this movie. What's that? Nobody cares. <laughs> right, right. So, nobody cares about spoiling Just Cause. Right, right, now. right. right. <laughs> so, what I mean, Sean Connery's in it. So, I mean, you know, right off the bat, I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. Which, always- which, which, just so you know, he turned down Braveheart to play the king for Just Calls. Really? I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> Another so, one of Sean Connery's brilliant decisions in his career. <clears throat> so it's the thing that got me about Just Cause is that um for because you can no one no one out there can see I'm I'm a I'm a black man, <laughs> right? Of forty six years. So you're just so used to like being a minority, you're just so used to dealing with like stereotypes on the daily basis one way. Like and it becomes you forget that you're a per- it's you don't forget you're a person but you're so used to it getting going in one direction you don't realize that it goes two ways right so like i stereotype myself you know and i just don't realize it because i'm too busy <laughs> dealing with everybody else's you know and it was one of the first and it was a good movie and i mean it's, it's filled with it's i think kate capshaw mm-hmm Kate Capshaw, Sean Connery, Blair Underwood, Blair Underwood, Ed Harris, Ed Harris Ruby D's in it, right? Uh, Larry, Larry Fishburne's in it, yeah, like, mm-hmm. I believe. So it's, I mean, it's a great movie and stuff like that. And actually, towards the end, it's actually kind of falls short 
Blair Blair Underwood's Blair Underwood's role falls short. I put it that way. Mm-hmm. I, I, but what got me was that it was the first time that I'd seen a black serial killer. Cause like the whole time, like he got me. Like the whole time, he's fooling everybody. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching this movie, and Ed Harris is like, "Yeah, we played you like a fiddle." It's like getting towards like the last acts. He's like, "Yeah, we played you like a fiddle." And I'm sitting here watching this movie. I was like, "Well, who, who killed? Like their only person left is Blair Underwood, but Blair Blair was not the serial killer, <laughs> right? What the? F- I'm waiting for some other dude to come in on some like, you know, usual suspect shit. Like, mm. you know, I'm like, there must be some, or not usual suspect seven. I'm waiting for Kevin uh, Kevin Spacey. Like, I didn't, I you know, I wasn't in the credits." I was the guy at the convenience store. I've been killing it, you know. Right, and watch, yeah. yeah. Barbershop quartet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And to watch Blair Underwood be like, yeah, I'm going to cut up your daughter and eat her for lunch. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, what is happening right now? So I just, I will never forget that moment. And I mean, you know, I love Sean Connery. So that's mm-hmm. why I feel like that's, I don't feel like I'm the only person that went through that. I'm not right. the only black, I'm not the only black guy, black person that went through that. Because that's a that's a very common stereotype amongst the black community. Is there no black serial killers? Right, because like that that it, I mean it's the it's the fodder for a lot of black comedian black comedian humor. Mm-hmm. It, it, it'll go in it'll go in something like you know because like a lot of it is sure black people do this, white people do that, right? And one of the one of the most common tropes in that category is i don't have to watch the news to know who did the crime mm-hmm. oh like you know someone you know someone robbed the someone carjacked somebody and stole a car with a high speed chase oh you know that's a brother you know oh someone cut up somebody and put their feet in the freezer and snacking on them for dessert oh that's mm-hmm. got to be a white guy mm-hmm. you know right and i mean there's tons of that you know right so watching, sitting, I was in Movies 10 when I saw Just Cause. I'm watching it, and I'm like, this, I mean, it was really good. Uh-huh. And I watched it, and then, I, like, I wouldn't, I didn't believe it till I saw Blair Underwood on screen say, I'm going to eat your daughter for lunch. And I was like, it's really fucking him? Like, he's really, like, I was talking to myself. I was like, really? Yeah. Like. And it, it's like, I didn't want to believe it. Like, I, you know, that can't be right. He's black, right? You right. know, like that conversations happening in my head and i was like this is very interesting and i have to commend the just cause movie project because that's a risky that's a that's a risky uh right you know choice to take sure smart okay i i I see where you're coming from i guess you know what i mean Uh uh-huh yeah um i actually thought so little of that movie that it's like I forgot that Blair Under was the killer, but you're right. right. <laughs> In I hindsight just, now, and you explain right. it to me again, like, yeah, right. I can see what you're saying. Yeah. Like, um, right. like just like just right now, I wanted to go into another movie quote. Yeah. But just that is that quick. I wanted to say something like, you know, Mig um Pilot One goes into a split S. That's the last thing you should do. Uh-huh. <laughs> then if I could go to, you know, if I could flip on them, then I go to guns on them. But that speed is too fast. Like I just it's that fast for me, like movies wise. I'm like that, like the the character on Dream On, the HBO series, where like mm. he just constantly sees mm-hmm. TV, movies, music. Right, it's annoying. Where did you see Just Calls out again? Movies ten. 
Which, mm. what, what, is, what is movies 10? Cinemark. Cinemark. Oh, okay. By gotcha. the 50s okay. McDonald's. Okay. Gotcha. The, it's like that movie theater I went, to, I used to go to all the time, and there's two movies that I, there's three movies that I saw that I totally re- I remember seeing The Crow there. I remember seeing Just Cause there. Mm-hmm. And I remember seeing um, The Prophecy. Which mm. is a whole up- <laughs> and the prophecy made me want to go to church the next day. I was like, "Oh my god!" That's fascinating because I just watched um, that recently. Oh my god! Other podcast reasons coming up in the future, but um, but Vig- it's funny because like I Regal was so Frank. I uh, now that we're on like movie theaters, I want to know right. wh- where were you, like uh, in the in the hierarchy at the point like by like 95 96 at regal yeah uh box office uh i was probably a projectionist by 96 i guess okay all right so an assistant manager i suppose would have been my title okay all right i was just wondering because like i i regal was my theater like you know like from 90 whatever two on pretty much except for unless like i went to elkton before it folded but um uh for anything but uh but i saw just calls at regal you know and um opening night me and bletso which i need to re- ask if bletso even remembers anything about that movie <laughs> but bletso was there with me like on opening right. night and then um the prophecy i also saw with bletso and dixon of all people on opening night at regal um as well man um, but I, I was just wondering where you were talking about because like i i'm i'm always fascinated because frank and i have realized that we almost maybe had to be in the same theater mm-hmm. not knowing each other for certain movies at times um mm-hmm. and i think zeke and i have had that experience once or twice like talking about things years ago like where we realized we had to have been in the same movie theater and mm-hmm. um so yeah, so I just always find that fascinating. Like you know, like before we all knew each other, like you know, right. having those movie experiences isolated. The the prophecy when Vegan Mortensen at the end is like biting into a heart, talking about I love you more than Jesus. I was like, I don't belong to a church, but I'm going to my girlfriend's tomorrow. Like whatever, <laughs> whatever. It was a date. That's the fucked up part. It was a date. You know, I was seeing. I mean, we were together for you know. It wasn't like in the beginning, like we were we were out, like uh-huh. oh well, let's go see the prophecy, and we, we we normally would go out Saturday night and like Sunday she would go to church and I was like I might have to go with you because like I you know, like right. I just wasn't ready, <laughs> wasn't ready for it. <laughs> but again, it goes back so it goes back to the imagination argument I was making before because yeah. like I feel like if I came up if I saw that movie now like if I was part of this generation and I saw that movie now I wouldn't it wouldn't have affected me as much right. You know? Yeah, I get you. So, yeah, the 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 only last thing I know I had to say about watching Aliens this time around, um, mm. before I turn it over to you two, and then I think I'm done, is that I again, it's like I'd have to really watch and start taking notes. I think to see every little thing that I saw, but it's like the things that like kind of just like stuck out to me again this time was it's like how purposeful they give her traits throughout to make her like yes the greatest like hero that you can imagine it's Mm -hmm. like she's dealing with this like alien species that like nobody understands that is unknowable at this point and everything but she's so quick and it's actually i'm talking about the scene after the load-up scene that you're talking about when she goes down there 
Mm-hmm. And she is able through, I think, like, just, like, maybe some kind of motherhood, like, instinct and stuff like that when she realizes what's going on. But it's, like, when she, like, intuits what is happening by just looking around her and that this, like, alien queen's, like, kind of almost, like, feeding off of, like, these things. She's birthing them. Right, right, yeah. But it's, like, that she can fire warning shots to make exactly, them back yeah. off like by like lighting one of them on fucking fire no she no she 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 saw them crowding in yeah yeah right yeah oh that, okay yeah and, and, but she shot she shot in the air she didn't hurt that was the important part she didn't harm right. anybody right right she's like you know i could do some damage i'm gonna right. hit you one of your one of your eggs right yeah but then yeah. she does hit one egg after but after though like right after right right and then it gets to a point where she's just like all right fuck it and just (laughs) (laughs) you know so it's like not only it's like and those are things that are like the rationality like you know the these rationality to some degree ruthlessness like Mm -hmm. these are things that are all like traditionally defined as masculine traits or characteristics right um you know but at the same time a large part of it is coming from a place of emotion right and of protection which are feminine traits and it's like i just find that like if i went back and actually started analyzing like all of her choices and all of her actions it's like you have this like amazing balance of things that are traditionally defined as feminine things that are traditionally defined as masculine, um, which is, you know, okay, sure. I mean, like there's probably reasons for that, but it's like, you know, like ultimately that doesn't define a person. Like, and it's like, it's almost like somebody sat down and really thought all of these things through to find Mm -hmm. a great balance um, between those things. And I just find that amazing, like watching it again and like really kind of like thinking about certain scenes and like what her thought process is, you know, like right. throughout all of it. And um, <clears throat> um, yeah, so that's that's like my last thought watching this again. What to, to that point that you had said, what I thought was really cool about that for a split second, because, I mean, you realize that it's really kind of mother versus mother. It kind of it kind of the de-vilified, unvilified, the alien queen Mm -hmm. for just a moment because you're seeing seeing her birth eggs, right? And it wasn't, it it just for a split second, it seemed not as sinister. And, you know, but Mm -hmm. I mean, that was very, you know, (laughs) it was a very fleeting moment. Sure, sure. (laughs) But, um, you know, it was, uh, that was, that was a really cool scene too. You know, it, or just even how it was shot, like how uh, it was kind of like she's calling in. It was it was a lot of there's a lot of um, like plot contradiction. So she's coming in. She's coming in hot, loaded up to the teeth, ready to blow everything up. Right. But then she gets to the nest and she has to. It's really a stealth mission because she's not trying to disrupt anything. And then it uncovers her standing in a field of these eggs. Like the way that it all went out, you know, the way that it all, like it all panned out was just really, it was, uh, it was very effective. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah. that regard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, 
Um, Frank, um, I know you, before we started, like you briefly told me that, like you know, that you really enjoyed watching it again. So I just want kind of want to like turn it over to you and see mm-hmm. like what you had to say, like you know, um, watching it again. If you took anything away from it, or like, um, I think that so I really appreciate um James Cameron's uh, visual aesthetic when it comes to technology. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, like it's easy to look back on movies, especially from this era and kind of laugh at how like wrong they were about how things were, you know, like, like Ridley's got her little clear, like calling card that she puts into the Ripley, sorry, into their, her telephone monitor. So she can talk to fucking, um, what's his name? Paul Reiser's character. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but when you look at stuff like visual imaging and the way that they kind of, you know, that he kind of, sort of was foretelling i don't know like um almost like not not really virtual reality but the way that you can use like 3d imaging to like see the actual like contours of the landscape and the way that all the stuff looks with the um the sonar and stuff with you know Mm. finding like their like they have a personal gps like that they put on her that he can like track her with anywhere you know when um hicks is kind of like weirdly flirting with her be, like before you know like about the halfway point in the movie um and just the way that the vehicles look and stuff because you know cameron was a designer as well as a filmmaker and he's pretty young in terms of his film career when he makes this movie and especially having to like follow up in the footsteps of geiger with him and winston like making these effects i don't know i just i, I love the way it looks and i think that aiden's talked about a lot of stuff that i really like about it especially because you know i'm a pretty big fan of female protagonists to sort of are antithetical to what you would usually consider like the damsel in distress um and i've always loved the alien franchise and um especially this is one of my first like rentals i think is a teenager maybe because i probably mm. or 18 even like i probably saw this movie when i was 10 or 11 i guess what is it 86 86 and then they yeah, added so I, then they re- i think they re-released it i know that there was a theatrical <laughs> one for Nine is sometime in the nineties that they actually added some scenes. Yeah, there's a director's cut. There was a it was a double double tape VHS edition, I remember. Mm-hmm. I uh, remember yeah, the, the cover of the box. Yep. Um I don't know, it's it, it's a movie that you always ask me like why do I not put it on lists? And I always find some reason to not have put it on a list. Mm-hmm. But every time I watch it, I remember how much I like it. I think it's Caden like to the point of, you know, why do we not talk about Ripley so much? I think it's just a movie I kind of take for granted mm. over time. Like that, oh yeah, it's just aliens or whatever. But I don't know. Really good. I really I, know. I think if we go back and look, Frank, actually, you put aliens on the compelling females list, and you had alien on the seventy nine best of seventy nine list, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, but I, I think didn't have specifically... aliens in eighties horror. Didn't we do like eighties action or something like that? No, could have made that list. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> You'd already done. We did. We we had already talked about it by that point. I think. So I think you. I think you put it on a woman. The 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 list for compelling female characters. I'm pretty sure. And who can remember what we talked about ever? It's now a hundred episodes. So right. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Did you have any? final things that you want to talk about the movie? yeah the other the only other thing uh back to like how we started the other yeah. the 
so we talked about the gender thing. We talked about the nostalgia for me for the drive-in. The other thing that I really liked about it was that, so for for being a movie buff, just like everybody else, like you, you know, you know, you watch any movie even if it's bad. I actually like to watch bad movies to give it a fair shot. I'll even go to the theater and watch it, and just to you know to rule out and just watch it, right? But the thing, the what I really liked about Aliens was that considering its genre, which is arguable, but it's it's definitely not a comedy, right? right. So like, so whatever genre you put it in, because it's going to be like sci-fi, because as soon as you have an alien, it's technically a sci-fi, I feel, right? Sure. Um, so action movie, whatever, you know, so we'll, we'll call it action movie. Forget, I'm not even worried about the sci-fi, right? So each genre movie, subgenre movie, whatever, has... I feel a challenge. It has, it has, it has like, uh, to use Miles Davis terminology, it has the butter notes mm-hmm. and then it, you know, and then it has the challenges, like the pros cons, right? So with action movies, like for example, for, or by contrast, uh, uh, comedies, right? So the, the, the cool thing about comedies and the easy thing about comedies is it has to be funny, clearly, right? The hard, the hard thing about comedy and the non-comedic thing about comedy, which makes it, which makes the comedy movie a really good comedy movie, is how they resolve it. Because it's really easy to tell jokes and be funny and stuff like that, but you have to wrap it up. You can't just like Wedding Crashers is an example of it. Like Wedding Crashers is hilarious for like the first half, and then they have to tie it together somehow and, and to have a conclusion. And that's difficult to do because now you because you got to at some point. You've got to make the shift because like being funny doesn't necessarily mean you're going anywhere with it. But then if you're, if you're trying to get to a conclusion that implies movement, right? Mm -hmm. So um, like good boys was another one that was hilarious, but the ending was sloppy, but it was still funny. It's, you know, you you know, so that's for comedy for action. This is just my opinion. Like it means anything. Um, so for action movies, it's almost the opposite. It's like you sell people on the action, but if there's no reason for the action, no believable reason for the action, it's corny as fuck, right? Right. Pick any Expendables movie for that example. Sure. You've got literally the entire cast of action movie stars for, for the, the last two, 20, right, two, yeah. two decades. Yeah, right. They're like the first, only the first Expendables, in my opinion, is Agreed. watchable. Agreed. Agreed. And it's not even good. <laughs> I just, I just, I just saw, I, for the first time ever, I just watched them recently. So I, I completely agree. The first one is the only one that's actually like anything at all. Like, and it's right. not even that great. <laughs> no, I, I saw it and I was like, I don't ever have to see this again. And it's, I, and the irony is that I've seen movies that I love with everybody in that movie. Mm hmm. So you would think mathematically, I'm putting all these people together. It should be fantastic. And it is an utter mess. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So Alien, for the genre, for the you know weight class that it's in, it is so proportionately accurate in story. Like the action is there. There's no question. Like the yeah. I mean, it's an action movie, right? But the way that it, it the way that it tells it continues the story is brilliant. It's so good. That it is like the forefather for other movies, 
for video games. Like Halo is definitely inspired from aliens. There's no way that it couldn't be. There's no way. Do you know what I mean? Um, like video, like arcade games, like Alien Syndrome from Aliens. You know, um, Xenoph- Xenophobe, I think. But then when you look at when you look at like even if you even when you look at so like Aliens was uh, eighty six. Even if you look at the nineties trend on underwater like aquatic action movies that's still influenced by aliens so aliens is kind of like the the seed crystal for a lot of a lot of media going forward and still is in my opinion and it's just like when you when i watched it i didn't get through the whole um movie this last time that i watched it but it's just it's just told so well and you see there's so there's so much and you're i'm really hard pressed to find like any soft spot in it you know like all the characters are perfectly proportioned like you you know there's nothing it's thin where it needs to be thin thick where it needs to be thick you know um there there's really it's almost like uh like a tapeless gift wrap like you just you just have you know I, you know and i just i you know that's how i feel about it it just you know, it's nuanced. I mean, you you definitely feel, and it's hard to feel for a character in an action movie. You know, um, so but that would mean it's just it's almost per- it's almost perfect. It's not perfect, but it's almost it's almost timeless. I would say. Awesome. Okay. All right, Aiden. Thank you so much for joining us. And mm-hmm. all right. Thank you. All right. For our fourth and final segment um, here tonight, we are welcoming back friend of the podcast, Mike Bledsoe, um, who is going to be talking about the Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring from 2001. I've only seen the first one. Okay. <laughs> duly, duly noted. Um, and before we um, we jump into talking about this, um frank you have you have some sort of discomfort with this entire segment right so in the interest of not having to have ridiculous arguments with every person i see for the rest of my life i just want to put the disclaimer out there that i think this movie's fine and i have no problems with it (laughs) okay duly noted um you've been reluctant to talk about this a number of times before uh on the podcast podcast. yeah yeah really I've been I've been gun shy about it since friggin' two thousand one when I was getting yelled at by some man in the box office for expressing my opinions. So, tell me, that, give me the quick version of that story. We were in the box office. One of the cashiers had the, you know, the first novel, Fellowship of the Ring, and was reading it. And we were having a conversation while they were waiting on customers about it, and I was telling them how. There was a lot of inaccuracies between it and the movie, and it kind of like made the movie worse as a result, like because it took such liberties. And the guy was like, You don't like Lord of the Rings? And I said, I like the books a lot more than the movies. He said, Oh, if you don't like the movies, your opinion's not even valid. And then he snatched his ticket and stormed away. So I just, I just, I keep my shit to myself. You know, you don't talk about politics, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about Lord of the Rings. That's my, uh, my tenets. But I'll talk yeah. about it here. Yeah, it's fine. This is the only time Frank will ever talk about it because I've tried like twice to kind of 
force him into it, and he just always says it's fine. <laughs> so, Mike, uh, I texted everybody that's been on the podcast the same message and just kind of like copied and pasted it around. Um, and what I had said in that initial text was um, it's going to have everybody come on individually and talk about one movie either they think is underrated slash doesn't get it talked about as much as it should or a movie that they just really love and want to talk about. And you um, uh, you, 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 you want the combo breaker um, <laughs> of, of just picking a movie that you absolutely loathe. <laughs> is that is that true? That's exactly what it says. Is that a real text? It is. <laughs> I only read the last three words. What want to talk about? Right. That's the only thing I saw. Right. <laughs> I'm gonna go back and check my records. Uh, <laughs> as soon as you said it, I just lost it because it was like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, yeah, that's good. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I loathe this movie. You did. You did at one point because I. At was, one point, I did. Yeah, we because we want to see this. I don't know if it was opening weekend or not. Probably, it wouldn't surprise me. It was. I got you guys tickets um, through surreptitious means because we weren't allowed to give tickets out. So yeah, I, so we want. It was me, you, and Orion, right? Probably sounds likely. Yeah, that's that was it. Oh, um, Aiden said that he went with us. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, the other night. Yeah. Um, I just remember us leaving that theater and then going to uh, Arby's um, afterwards across the street and you just ranting for <laughs> at least 20, if not 30 minutes, like pretty really? much all throughout us eating just, about just everything about, that was... All about Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <laughs> some, some of it was um i also the one specific i remember is you were t- you were really upset over the fucking cheap pop as you called it yeah um, that's what i just wrote in my notes <laughs> i just wrote i was just making notes a second ago about what i wanted to t- talk about uh-huh. and i wrote down cheap pops right yeah <laughs> there's one very specific one towards the end that you uh that you really uh loathe at the time and like just couldn't stand well i was already i mean i don't know if we should just jump into it but i think i was already so angry at the movie at that point Uh and then and then came the uh what's the what's the orc's name Uh, i don't remember if he has a name or not luca or something like that but he's the he's the head of the um, alakazam i don't know like (laughs) he's the head of the um it's Lurtz. 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 And what's the name of the? I'm, I'm drawing a blank right now. What's the name of the of the uh, <clears throat> the group of orcs? The Urukai. Yeah, the Urukai. Um, yeah, he's the leader of the Urukai, and then they have like the um, the decapitation cheap shot. Is that what you're talking about? Uh huh. Yeah, and I was yeah. so I was so angry. And everybody in the theater like was like, yeah. yes, that's why I hated it because mm-hmm. I was I was so I was so uh-huh. sick of the movie by that point. Uh-huh. It had just been like three hours of misery, um, almost three hours of misery, and um, and I was just so mad. And then and then Peter Jackson, he he had done so many cheap cheesy things up to that point. And then that was like that was his climax. Was right. was that yeah. decapitation, cheap shot, cheap pop, uh-huh. and everybody loved it. 
Uh-huh. And it, he got exactly what he wanted yeah. out of it. Uh-huh. Um, and people, the, the people in that theater thought that it was like the best climax that, oh, they got the bad guy. They cut off, they cut off his head. Right. Yeah. And cut yeah. off Lurks, Lurk, Lurks's head. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, we can start at the beginning. But, but that's <laughs> right. The, um, yeah, we, we want, or we, you know, no, we can start at the beginning. Um, I, I want you to go through just whatever you want to go through. Okay. Um, but you've rewatched this again a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, for the first time it. since then, right? Yeah. I, yep. Yep. I watched it mm, maybe like three, three, four weeks ago. Yeah. And, and after twenty years, you watched it again. Yep. Yep. And um, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, I didn't like it, but I didn't care nearly as much, which I think is a good sign. Um, right. sign, of, sign of growth, maybe. <laughs> um, right. But yeah, yeah, I really, really didn't care for it. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything good about it. <laughs> uh, I mean, some of the scenery is nice. So when we went to watch it that night, this this movie is probably the reason why I'll never get excited about another movie. Like, I'll never look forward to another movie as long as I live. Uh-huh. Uh, the Phantom Menace was the first one. Because we were marking out for we were marking out over Star Wars for like I don't know four or five years leading up to Fan Phantom Menace four or five years our whole lives right yeah. well yeah I mean Just waiting for it well at that point yeah I mean at that point we had had we you, you had the uh you know you had the the original movies and then the toys and everything and that yeah. lasted till you're but about, I would I, I think you're four or five years probably the escape part of almost you're talking about like. Like that's probably yeah. about four or five years, was, like from the publication yeah. of that article. When the Star Wars enthusiasm and the hobby, the collecting hobby, um, sort of came back and everything. So, um, yes, yeah, so we were really excited about Phantom Menace, and that was a, just a god awful abortion. And um, and then we were really, at least I was really excited about, about Lord of the Rings coming out, even though I really didn't like Peter Jackson. The only Peter Jackson film I'd ever seen was meet the feebles. Thanks to Frank. Right. Um, <laughs> which I hated. And, um, I, I, yeah, so I didn't really have, I, I guess I got my hopes up about it uh, for some reason I think I think maybe the hype just won me over I think the marketing the marketing just uh, got me got me hyped about it and so uh, we were really excited going into it and and then we went to see it and I thought it was going to be this great event I thought it was going to be this um, you know realization of of, of childhood fantasies. <laughs> And then, and then it was just a shitty action movie with fucking dwarf tossing. Right. Yeah. Well, that, they're, they're dwarf tossing. <laughs> There's a joke about dwarf tossing. In the second movie, no. which shows that you've seen more than one Lord of the Rings. No, 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 no. They, no, they joke the about one. it. 
down in the mine. mines. Yes, Mizamoria. Yep. Uh, well, they actually do the dwarf tossing. Well, they actually do. Yeah, oh no, they bring the fucking joke back in the second one. Yeah, and he actually gets tossed. <laughs> uh, oh no, are you yeah. serious? Uh huh. Uh huh. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't see that. <laughs> I'm so glad I didn't see that. So uh, for let, the first, yeah, go ahead. I I, I, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. And I usually stay quiet during the early parts of these, but I, I have some. Please. So as someone, all right, I think we're all pretty, pretty, pretty large fans of the, the texts that these movies are based on. Like, I think we're all really big fans of Tolkien's work, right? And sure. we've all talked about off air how, you know, it's like, I mean, just for me, it's, it's the lyricism and like the way that he describes things in like a naturalistic, but still kind of like fantastical way. That's relatable. Lyricism, that, lyricism is a good is a good term for it. It just it just it makes you feel like immersed in in the world through the text, right? Don't you feel like there's a lot of stuff in this movie that, even though it's wrongheaded in terms of like being true to the plot, still kind of has that same feel, like stuff in the Shire and no, some of the stuff f- in Moria, and I don't know. Like, I, 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 I don't I don't feel that. Sorry, no, I just I, don't. I so the first time I watched it, I you know I'm, it could be because I was so excited to be there and it was this big event and everything. The first time I saw it, the first fifteen minutes in the Shire, I was, I was loving it, and I was loving like just the the sets and seeing um, uh, the the party and the fireworks and Gandalf and and Hobbiton and all of it. Uh, and as soon as they left the Shire, I thought like it lost any of the charm that like when you read Tolkien, it's just like, like you said, like it's, it's, it's magical. You you feel like everything is, is, uh, you know, like the books start off and they say, you know, let me tell you about what a hobbit is. And I think both of the, I think the Hobbit starts off like that. And I think Lord of the Rings starts off like that. And I remember reading that and being, and just the way he just, even just the way he describes what Hobbits are, I'm, I'm hooked. I'm hooked like, you know, three pages into the book and thinking, wow, there's this, this is the, some fantasy world that I want to like know all about and, and want to um, experience and and see what happens. And, um, some of the scenery and you know some of the scenery and uh in the in the movies is nice to look at but it doesn't have the charm and the whimsy and the the fantastic kind of element that the books do to me um right like i agree with that and i so we i i think leading into the discussion of you picking this movie for the podcast or maybe right after it'd been revealed we had like a discussion via text about this. And I would say that, look, I don't like a lot of the emissions they made and I don't like a lot of changes they made, but I understand like why you have to do it because you don't have the luxury that Tolkien has of, you know, a continuous narrative over a thousand pages to like kind of like linger on things and tell the story how you want to. You have to have like a really crisp like narrative and, I think that's so, what Jackson was going for. Even though I don't like like it, I think that's I understand. I can kind of agree with that, but I remember, and I haven't read the Fellowship in as many years, so I don't remember it all that well. But 
I remember at the time feeling like Jackson added in a lot of stuff that was very special effects and action oriented and wasted a lot of time doing things like doing flyovers of the, of the um, orc factory and, you know, showing all sorts of things that didn't really matter. Um, You know, that that extended battle scene with that extended battle scene with the cave troll and, and all that stuff. Like, I think that there was stuff like you could have could, you could have cut out that was action oriented or, was really just special effects and eye candy. Be, be, and, and beyond that, like this dude wastes time the entire movie in a, pretty much every way possible. Like the thing that I hate most is the lingering on shots for way too goddamn long. It's constant. It never ends. It's like every scene is extended two to like 10 seconds longer than it needs to be because he's left putting his the damn camera on somebody's reaction and just letting them react for way too long so that you get it and understand like what the reaction is like example like when like the when frodo says he's going to go to the you know take the ring to mount doom it's like there is a shot when like he stands up and the camera just like focuses on his face like and it feels like it's Peter Jackson saying like, "Oh, look, you get it. You get how important this is." Like rather than just letting the moment speak for itself, that this like damn little hobbit who's nobody and nothing is standing up and doing what nobody else is like willing to do. Rather than letting that speak for itself, he just sits there and lingers on his like soft, wide-eyed, weak face. Um, like for like it's, seriously, it's like it was close to ten seconds. Like it's it's obnoxious what he does throughout this entire movie with those lingering shots. It's too much. So I yeah I don't I don't know if I I don't think I noticed that, but I'll have to go back and and watch that. But um, but Frank, I agree I agree with you that you know he didn't he doesn't have the luxury of of having the type of narration that Tolkien can do over you know six hundred pages or whatever. Right. But, so like, but well, okay, go ahead. No, 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 you go ahead. Well, I, I, I'm just saying that he um, he wastes a lot of time. I would have been, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how it would have come across if he had a narrator. But I don't think the approach that he took with being so action-oriented was the right choice. And, uh, and I agree with that from our perspective of people who are genuinely invested in the books. But I think that if you're selling a hundred million dollar movie to a mass audience and trying to earn as much money as possible, you got to be action oriented. Like no one's going to sit there for three hours and watch, you know, like the history of Tom Bombadil or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, and I miss that stuff. Like I like the Tom Bombadil stuff in the book, especially the Barrow Whites or whatever. Like I think that seems fantastic. But ultimately, cutting it out, what do you lose from the overall story? You know? Yeah, I'm actually okay with cutting that part out too. I don't think it matters. Um, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could be I'm missing fine, fine. Yeah, no, something that's like really important about that, but <laughs> but I didn't feel Bombadil. like that was a big loss. Yeah, I mean, it was disappointing. I think not to see Bombadil to some degree displayed at the time, but like in hindsight, it does. It doesn't really matter. It's like um, honestly, it just would have been cool to actually see that. But I mean, Bombadil is so magical and like un unknowable that it probably would have been lame. So, um, 
yeah, yeah, it's it's not a loss, and it does, and it only ties into like his mythology rather than anything that's in those books. So, so then take go go from that. So then, narrative wise, you just cut what a hundred pages out of the book, ninety pages, something like that, right? Is it that long? It's it's pretty. It's, I would say I would say forty to fifty until maybe. they until they're on the road to Bree. I mean, I think it's longer than forty pages because you got all the stuff because it's seventeen years between when Gandalf first gives Frodo the ring and when he comes back to reveal the description right something it's a long time like frodo moves to whatever bag end or there's like a bunch of stuff that happens in that interval and they just trim it down to get you like on the road to you know um whatever the fucking meeting place the elves is where they yeah form the fellowship i don't know like so i don't like it like and i don't like like there's so much in these movies just expanding beyond this one even that I think are really bad decisions of changing character motivations and sequence of events and you know like a lot of stuff but I can understand like after having I've watched this movie now like probably five or six times unfortunately even though it's fine um I don't know like I get it like I just I understand like how do you do how would you have done it like narrative wise as a film to keep it interesting and fast paced and moving and still stay true to what Tolkien is building in this in the in that book. <clears throat> well I mean, I don't know. I've never thought about it really. But here's here's a here's a question kind of about just, the, just the in your defense, scene. you know, you're not a filmmaker who thought about making it all of his life well, either. Well right. <laughs> yeah. And that was part of that was part of Jackson's whole gimmick going into this sure was you know he's the biggest tolkien fan on earth and he's been wanting to create this movie since he was a little child and i think that's part of what um you know got me excited about what his interpretation was going to look like going into it uh i don't know if any of that was true or not no i I remember that being part of the narrative i'm just saying i don't know if he was being truthful about it. Oh, right, it's just yeah. part of the marketing. Ian McKellen has said <laughs> that as well. That they used to have like really long conversations about Tolkien just on set. Mm-hmm. How much they love him. So I don't know. I, I believe that's true. So John Travolta going... was a big fan of um Battlefield Earth too and look how that turned out. <laughs> <laughs> um going back to the pacing a little bit for a second. So when I when I watched the just um you know a couple weeks ago I I got the so I sort of I noticed that it was really just they were repeating the same sequence over and over again. It was like whoever the whoever the whoever they were following, whether it was the fellowship or it was the hobbits or whatever, they like screw up, they step in a in a bunch of shit, and then they have to escape. And then there's a short intermission and then they repeat. And that same sequence happens, I don't know how many times, it's got to be like 10 times, and then the movie's over. I don't remember, I don't remember the books being that repetitive or obvious. And I think it might have had to, I think it might have been because there were those pauses that were more, um, that were more character driven or, or that, told you more about the the world and and weren't action oriented but when you put all of the action scenes back to back to back right it becomes really obvious that wow they're just kind of 
using the same formula over and over. Well, right. Even like stopping at the end for more than two minutes of screen time or something like that in the book, it's like that's over the course of like what, like 30, 40 pages maybe or something like that? Maybe like 30 pages? There's a lot of things that happen in the book that extend the time between um, basically from the Shire to um, what is it, Weathertop or whatever. And then from Weathertop to Rivendale is a much longer period than I think in the movie it's like a week or something that it takes them to get from one to the other, in essence. And they speed a lot of things up in there too, like in the movie, by adding, you know, shit with the ring rates and like all kinds of stuff that they add in, shit with um Arwen or whatever, um, that doesn't happen in the books to make it more, you know, fucking the, ro- the romance angle. Yeah, that plus Arwen like calling up the fucking horse water horses or whatever. That happens in the book. But Arwen doesn't do it in the book. It's um no. Oh. no, it's uh um Isildur and Gandalf do it. Like Frodo basically makes I I, I think. I'm not this I'm reading the book again, I'm not that far, but I mean, okay. if my memory serves correct. I think Frodo basically makes it across the river by himself, like on his own strength, and then they call up the water to cut off the ring race. I think. Yeah, I mean that's another that's another aspect of this for me is that when we when we saw it um, when it came out originally, I had just recently read the books again, so I had it fresh in my mind. And this time, this time I deliberately did not want to look at the books or anything before watching the movie because I wanted to try and get that experience of not having knowledge of how it should be. Yeah, and I don't I don't really remember a whole lot of details about. I mean, I remember a lot, but. They change Aragorn's character a lot because Aragorn is much more self-assured in the books, like early on, as opposed to all the self-doubt that the Viggo Mortensen Aragorn has until Return of the King. You know, with like deciding to accept the throne and reforging his sword, like he doesn't have any. And I'll be honest, I don't actually mind that change. Like that—that's one of the few things I like. Honestly, I think in this movie, rewatching it is, if anything, is 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 it's Mortensen's portrayal of Aragorn in this, and kind of the way that the character plays himself out a little bit. Um, not all the scenes, obviously, but I, I overall, I kind of like the Aragorn character in this. Him, him and McKellen, I think, are the strongest performances in in the trilogy, and then in this movie, I think specifically. So about the, here's another another thing that that maybe they couldn't represent in the you know visually as easily as tolkien could in text uh so <laughs> i never took the eye of sauron to to be a literal eye right agreed but yeah, I, did, I, did. I, I always just thought it was supposed to be a general awareness or some sort of consciousness mm-hmm. um but not a literal like eye on top of a tower right right and i i could see like i could see i could see maybe um that being a misinterpretation maybe it actually was an eye on top of a tower but i, I just wanted to, i wanted to ask but like i said that, that's not how i took took it in from the books but i wanted to ask you too if if you had a similar thought about it or if you thought it was a an actual my, manifestation when i was a kid my reading of lord of the rings was that when Sauron was defeated, his spirit like fled, and that he like still existed and was a- existed and was able to like sense certain things, but 
wasn't a whatever like a physical like corporal form because he had been destroyed or whatever and i always thought like the eye of sauron was just what you just said it was more of like a um, metaphysical like all-knowing sense that his like being had where he could like see certain things and that doing certain things would call his attention upon you like from afar yeah i i took it as like some sort of god kind of yeah like you know like some sort of like you know omniscient powers not an actual fucking eye i never thought that right like the eye was like the ring rates were part of the eye of sauron where like they were like directed to you know the presence of the ring or the use of the ring and like that's what would draw his attention to you and that he could then like muster forces to come get you not that there was like yeah because in the context of the movie even though like i I, I think that's a pretty cool visual, honestly, and, like, I understand, like, needing to represent that somehow, because how do you represent just, like, yeah, whatever, like, a metaphysical idea like that? Yeah. But I don't know. I mean, like, I, I never pictured it like that until now. I always picture it like that just because, you know, I, that that visual in the, in the movies. I, I think it looks... I don't like it watching it again, and I think it's mainly because one, I'm already biased because I I don't like this movie, um, or anything about it, but also because it actually reminds me of like a Big Trouble in Little China, like with that like damn creature that floats in Lopan's like dungeon with the eye and everything. I, I it just reminded me of that the blinking and like the way it's done in CGI. <clears throat> it actually just made me like kind of like laugh, like and groan a little bit, like. And how it looks. On the cover yeah. of my the, the edition that I have of the books, um, on the cover of the books is a kind of a flaming eye glyph. Uh, Interesting. So, yeah, and and I think that there are older books that have that same. So, like others had graphic before, like in terms of interpreting, maybe that way, like <clears throat> visually. Yeah, or maybe there's other. I don't know if there's other material out there that um, describes it that way. I uh, never, I, I've never heard of that. Like, before. Mm. I mean, as like a being of like almost like physical eye, like kind of like just is there. So the the other thing I wanted to talk about is how much stuff in this movie feels really cheap and really corny. And not from a, not like a cheap pop, but literally like cheap filmmaking. Well, the so, slow motion is definitely, oh, I'm sorry. I don't, I'm stealing your thunder. My oh, no, it's okay. I, I, you know what? I don't no, I don't know if I remember. You mean the slow motion, like when he, um, what, what were examples of the slow motion? There's slow motion used in almost every like major sequence. Um, mm. In Brie, there's at least like, Anytime the ring is involved, there's some semblance of slow motion. Yeah. Um, Just made me think about another thing I hate about this movie. I think there's some shit with Mary and Pippin early on that goes in slow motion for some reason. Like with them turning their attention to something and it goes in slow motion, but it doesn't make any sense. Mm. Like it's just unnaturally extending. Like, um, I just looked up the eye of Sauron, by the way, and it definitely was an actual eye. On top of a door. This is what? In the book, it's an actual eye. Is it? Hmm. Well, it's um, a flame of red 
the flicker of a piercing eye. So it's like, I guess it just looks like an eye. That's the the, the description in the book. Yeah, I'm going to have to go back and, and read that again. Um, so the slow motion, I don't remember as much of that. But there's a few other things that he does repeatedly that just feel so weird. And the first one is these weird manual zooms that that he does. Um, he does it in the very beginning where um, Sauron is in Mount Doom and he zooms in on it and it looks like some, do you know what I'm talking about? It's not, so the zoom is not steady. It's, it, it feels like somebody just literally turning a camera or like turning a lens to zoom, to zoom in on, a, on something. And it doesn't even, like it doesn't even stay straight. It kind of, it kind of moves like, like it would if you were doing it by hand. So it like zooms in and kind of like, kind of drifts to the right as it goes in on the character. And it looks, it looks terrible. It looks like something out of an old cop TV show or like a police, some sort of police drama, like, I don't know, TJ Hooker or something. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's he like a cinema, it, it's it's cinema verite where it doesn't belong, basically. I don't know what that means, but <laughs> my bad. But it's really awkward and strange. And the other thing, <laughs> the other thing is that damn scene when they're when they're in uh, Rivendell, and he's I I don't know if Frodo's dreaming or something, and he's superimposing, um. He's superimposing Elrond, who is played by uh, what's that guy's name? Uh, you do Elrond is uh, Hugo, Hugo, Hugo Weaving. Yeah, oh, Hugo, Hugo Weaving. Weaving. Yeah. Uh, so he's got Hugo Weaving, and it's this this ultra like blown out shot of right. Hugo Weaving, and he's superimposed over it, and it is, and he's. <laughs> it's so corny and he's going Frodo yeah. <laughs> or whatever it, whatever it is that he's saying and the whole thing looks so cheap it's it looks like what is this like dark shadows or something like I, I've never watched dark shadows but it looks like some sort of cheesy primetime soap opera yeah I, I actually my complaint is similar in that in the scene where he is tempting um Galadriel. Um, That's another one. And he <laughs> goes to like offer the ring and they do this ridiculously bad CGI it's... superimposition over her face where it almost looks like like MS Paint. It like animation over her eyeballs. Yeah, it's so bad. It's just and your will be a guard and it's uh you know come on like you just ruined like this great scene with this ridiculous yeah that's the it's it's really lame and because it's such a beautiful setting like like i i think again i really think that visually aside from like all the muck and grime and stuff they capture a lot of like what he's describing in those books visually i so think i, I think lorian looks good myself yeah that's the best i think that's the best part of it and what i what i felt watching it i made note of it in fact when i was watching it it felt uncomfortable it felt like mystical and beautiful uh -huh. but also very unsettling 
and I was like, man, that's like, that's really good that they were able to kind of nail that feeling about that place. And you know what? He doesn't nail that feeling ever again in the entire thing. <laughs> no, it's true. Here's the thing. If you think about those books, it's like the, I, I don't, I'll tell I'll just say real quick. Like, I hope that I never have to see his depiction of Shelob and Frodo. Oh, right. And, and that, Frodo and, in and Sam taking up the sword. Right. I yeah. Hope, yeah. I right. hope that I, I hope that I live the rest of my life and never have to right. witness that. You don't, you don't want to see that. <laughs> like it, it, but, but that to my point is the, actually is the scene. I didn't want to jump into that movie, but like, it's the exact scene that's in my mind that it's just butchered, but is filled with this kind of like weird, like unknowable magic that like maybe is impossible to depict on a screen to some degree, some of that kind of stuff. But it's like, it feels like these movies have no sense of the magic that underlies that actual world. And I think you're right that Lorian kind of like, that's why I liked it rewatching it again. Like that setting is because it did kind of capture some of that um, where it's like, and you, I think you described it perfectly in the sense of like, you know, it's like there's there's some sort of like almost like fear or like you know like you know um uncomfortableness that comes along with it along with the magic and i think middle earth's filled with that stuff and he never really captures it like that much um and he certainly doesn't capture it in that scene where it's like basically sam's being told like start speaking in tongues um because like some god is like basically giving him like fucking information and like you know like he's basically feeling the spirits and awful what what are you talking does that happen yeah when does that happen when he picks up like right before he takes up um the ring and the sword <laughs> he starts speaking elvish he doesn't know the language he basically just starts like speaking elvish that he doesn't understand like so he because that that's that's perfect that no, in is the book. perfect in the book he does no in the book he does yeah really Yep. Yeah, it's like this mystical moment for Sam, like like when that happens. Um, okay, I don't remember that happening. Yeah. Um, that that was another. Uh... In the movie, he's just hungry, hungry and sad. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I want to go home, Mister Frodo. I want to so, eat potatoes. So I, I do. Since we're oh. talking about this now, real quick, so I want to ask you. I want you to. And I want, I want talk you to talk about Sam. I, I huh. I said I want to talk about Sam. Oh, yes, that's what I was going to ask you. So okay. I want you to d distinguish between two things. I want you yeah. to distinguish between Sean Astin as the actor playing Sam and the way that Sam is represented, like or and depicted or written, like in the movie. Okay. Like, how do you feel about a Astin as the performer? Sean Astin is a good casting, mm -hmm. and Sean Astin is just a good dude. Mm -hmm. So I think he, I think he fits that role well. I do too. Um, he's kind of like the salt of the earth type of character that, you know, de loyal, devoted type of like you. You feel like you can trust Sean Astin. Yeah. Um, the character is obliterated by Jackson. Um, the reason why I started to laugh when you told me about the 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 Elvish thing, the possession, is you know thinking back on the books, I don't remember it being a possession. I remember, and maybe it's not, but I remember it being just Sam's tr transformation. Like it's it's kind of like his final his final transformation into what he was going to become, and at, at least on that 
you know, on that journey or whatever. And when you were, when you were saying that, it made me think like, oh, did, did Jackson just turn it into a cheap possession scene? Um, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, Sam has the, the most, I, I don't know, the most interesting progression of, of any of the characters over the course of the books. He goes from being a gardener to being, uh, you know, this, this, this person that's, that manages to kill Shilab and save Frodo and like save the world. <laughs> right. So, uh, and, and really in the movie, at least in the first one, he's just a whiny little tag along and you don't ever like get an affection for him because reading the books, you get an affection for this trusting loyal companion. Mm -hmm. And he's just kind of pathetic in the movie. <laughs> and so they try, I think they tried to, they tried to do a little bit of characterization there, but there just wasn't enough. Yeah. And Well, again, yeah. you're trying to take something that's very complex and nuanced over the course of, you know, a thousand pages of novel and condense it into a handful of scenes. Okay, and here's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm not defending it. I'm just saying that. Yeah, it, I, I, and I do get that it's a complex and hard story to tell. Like I, I, I do understand that. Um, but here's where it's like to me, like Peter Jackson has had no true to me instinct for this movie is because especially with, with Sam wise, it's very obvious to me. It's the thing that I brought up for 20 years to, to both of you before, but it's the idea that in that damn book, when Frodo is trying to escape and leave Sam behind, Sam runs through the woods and falls down and skins up his knees and it hurts really bad and he makes Tolkien makes sure to tell you that like the pain that Sam feels from fucking up his knees and he just as importantly I think maybe splits it into a new paragraph if I remember talks about Sam despite that getting up and what better visual could you come up with about the loyalty of Samwise is the idea of him running and fucking up his little knees, and then getting back up and continuing on, despite that, to go make sure that he's loyal to Frodo and stay with him. And you know what fucking Peter Jackson doesn't do when you're given when you're given that visual from the book? He doesn't do it. Really easy. Really easy visual. Child can understand it. Doesn't do it. <clears throat> he shows him underwater. Yeah. Yep, yep. No, he has to be. Check yeah, out right. this sweet yeah. special effect yep. of this yep. hobbit underwater. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. No. Yeah. Awful. <laughs> okay. One, one last thing I want to say about this movie is that I didn't understand. For the thing is full of fight scenes. I didn't understand what was going on in a single fight scene because every shot is like a quarter of a second long. And the thing is just cut to hell. There, there's, I don't know if there was any choreography in the fights or if they just told people to go out there and just swing, just swing swords around. I, I don't know if there was any, 
a lot of it is probably hiding like the obvious practical effects of you know people in costumes as goblins and like orcs or akai or whatever so what happens is that it's just pointless visual noise yeah all you see you see a bunch of noise and you're like oh i guess there's a fight going on but i can't tell what the hell's happening i mean i think that's an overriding problem with fight scenes in the early to mid 2000s anyway it is it These is movies transformers the born movies i just complained about that in the born oh movies yeah the born movies is a you know shaky cam and all that stuff um you know it's just because peter jackson has no taste right peter jackson is in love with movies from the 1950s and has this very golden age sensibility when it comes to filming certain things but then is also in love with like cutting edge cgi so he's trying to marry those two things and it's often like disconnected between the two filmmaking styles which makes a lot of stuff feel weird i think to your point chris about like the lingering shots on people's faces it's a very 1940s 1950s way to show you know a visual narrative of emotion when you were used to like the stage and silent films, you know, before like the evolution of film where people can make assumptions and understand things just through the action on the screen and the script. Yeah. I I watched that. um, I I watched that again. It's it's a, it's it's eight seconds long um, that they they stick on Frodo. Um, And, um, and I forgot that they steal um that he steals the braveheart thing with um uh uh uh, hamish closing his eyes um to signify like the um the the coming dread of like what is getting that ready to happen and gandalf closes his eyes when he alone hears frodo say that he'll take it when nobody else does and then they have to show like three different reactions from three different characters like to the reaction of like oh my god he's going to take it like um and then spend too long on those shots as well um it's every everything's overdone like everything is over dramatized in this movie i also think the minds of moria looks like it's shit sorry i'm fine i'm fine with minds of moria i really like the um is it the Watcher in the in the deep, or what? What is the name of that thing? The Bar- octopus thing? No, no, uh, the octopus thing. Oh, uh, well, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. the lurker in the deep, something like that. No, that's like an HP Lovecraft thing. Whatever that thing is called, like I, I, I like that's called. Yeah, I gotcha. I mean, we and haven't even like... talked. Right. We haven't even talked about Gollum. Yeah. I'll let you talk about Gollum. Blood. I don't need to. I don't <laughs> want to. I I don't like it. I don't. I don't want it. <laughs> I got nothing to say about Gollum. I sent you guys a picture, um, a, like a week ago of they had done. I guess they had actually filmed the scene, or they at least done makeup tests where there was going to be some premonition Frodo had of turning into a Gollum-esque creature. And the makeup on Elijah Wood of Frodo as a Gollum creature is a much more effective Gollum than the CGI Gollum that you got with Andy Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I remember that photo. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. The um, Bilbo turning around and his face turning into, like, large uh. Mars. Oh. It's a pretty hilarious scene. I want to bring it up. That makes me laugh every single time I see it. It's my precious. 
that's awful. You know what else is bad? Like right away in the movie is like the glowering look that Gandalf like when he's like gets angry or like you know like right when he's like coming into town. Oh. I fucking hate that shit. Like, so you know what? So here's I thought that there's stuff with Gandalf where I felt like he was trying to do something that Tolkien does in the books. Where Tolkien will often talk about a character appearing to grow in size, right? Like you know, where something right. something really intense is happening, uh, right? And the character like becomes more imposing, and he actually tries to do that visually with Gandalf, especially yeah. when they're in Bag End. Yeah, and he t- yeah, that's that's part of the glamour of like the wizards have that they you know are larger than life beings and they can make themselves appear more intimidating. Yeah, I hate going into this like point of view like shot of him though, like to in order to do it. Like I, I think it looked it looked dumb and off putting to me. Like and I thought that the first time I watched it, um I remember and I definitely thought it again. <laughs> like I'm surprised. I'm surprised that hey, you guys come on. <laughs> aren't like So one of the things that I really didn't even hear it. What's that? You and I just said I'm surprised at the same, at the same <laughs> I, time, and you didn't. I even thought hear I was it. hearing myself. Anyway, <laughs> what are you surprised about? I'm surprised that Chris hasn't talked about the saccharine uh, m- music yet. In oh, in the, the beginning, the, the touching moment, saccharine. Oh music. my god, the beginning is like, uh, yeah, I had it in my notes. I just didn't know if I wanted to talk about it. Like, it is like I again, I get it. Like you have the like. If you've and, and Frank, you brought this up, I think, in the in the text, like when like I mentioned this initially, like the text thread, but I get it. It's like, you know, like if it's your if you're somebody who's never read these books, it's like you need to show that these characters have history. I get that. But God, do you have to be so like over the top and melodramatic about all of it by playing this music as and you know and and again the long shots the long shots of like you know, the wistfulness you know like oh I haven't seen you in so long like oh like and it's like this big important moment you've just met these char- if you are somebody who hasn't read the books you've just met these characters and how that's effective on any casual viewer. That's like just being introduced to these characters, like, and doesn't come off as like weird and odd and stupid, like, and, and forced. Like, I mean, it's like, I don't know if that guy, like, you know, talked to you at the theater all those years ago, like he had read those books, but it's like, if he liked that, and was like convinced by that to establish the relationship between these characters, then um, then he's the one that like you know his his opinion doesn't matter because that's just a fucking stupid person. That's an easily manipulated person. That's, that's, <laughs> that I place the films, blame on the composer. Look, that's wrote... films. Films of this ilk are like that. Like that's what they do. What if what are films of this ilk? <laughs> You're talking about a large like a high budget large scale action movie that has the underpinnings of this very mystically romantic lyrical novel that's about you know whatever like travels and adventure and basically like sets the stage for fantasy whatever novels and role playing games for like the entirety of our lives and they got to cram it into this thing that it's not. And you got to trick like the average person, you know, how many people. Okay. So 
I grew up playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like the majority of my life. And like had to get a lot of shit when I was in school for playing D&D and had to hide it from people because you didn't want to be embarrassed. And like Lord of the Rings took all of those things, these films took all of those things and made them acceptable and palatable to the average man on the street. Mm. That's why like have to have the saccharine music because some people aren't going to have the like capacity to understand the nuance of the scene without being told through the the score as to how they should feel. It's my Titanic complaint. Like Titanic tricks you into crying at the end because it's got all these things going on that James Cameron does to force you into thinking you've actually come to care about Jack and Rose when you have it. It's just a big fucking set piece for him to sink the Titanic. Okay, and I cried the first time at the end of Titanic that I saw it, and it still is just as bad because I was being manipulated by I, all these things. I get that. What I'm saying is that, that manipulation is just part and parcel with movies like this. Like, you can't... You have to draw in the average viewer. And I, like, it's... It means that it's not for us. You know what I mean? Like, these movies aren't for me. Well, I'll but say... I, I will say like this, though. Like, you might be right. Like, but... In some ways. But I think you can do it subtly and 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 have it well done or maybe to the point where you make me cry and make me at least feel anything except for outright disgust so i think that's probably doing it poorly i don't disagree with you okay i'm just telling you i'm that, just like, saying it's I, done badly i, I get I why understand. he's doing it yeah i get why he's doing it I just think it's done badly. That's it. Let me tell you the thing I hate, because I, I just need to get this out. The uh, thing I yeah, hate come the most on. about this yeah. movie. Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> I fucking despise the Gandalf Soromon fight in um <laughs> I Isengard, like in the yeah. beginning of the movie. I don't even understand what happens in that scene. When Soromon <laughs> starts like spinning him around with his yeah. like he gets both stabs and all of a sudden Gandalf's uh -huh. like Whoa! and then he's on the roof. Yeah, like no. I number one, that shit never happens in the book. It, no point in it happening here, and it's just so fucking bad. Yes. Like it's bad. It's bad. It's a poorly filmed scene. Yeah. It makes fucking Ian McKellen look like a doofus. Yeah, I, it's just it's really poorly. I this, I really the, hate the special I hate effects are really bad. That too. That the scene. way I hate the way that they portray Soromon in in the movies. Like I am not a fan of Soromon. And I like I love Christopher Lee, so it's like hard for me to say that. But I think that it's just a really bad portrayal. It, it's almost as bad as um, Worm Tongue, you know? Oh yeah, Heather Bledsoe's ever seen that, and God, right. man, so you would fucking die. Another fucking ever. actor that I love too, you know? I mean, and just awful. Yeah, if you saw the change of Worm Tongue and how they changed like his relationship with the the King of Rohan, and yeah. Just completely yeah. alter like the entire fabric of everything that happens right. in the span of like a hundred pages of the novel for no reason other than the fact that they couldn't figure out a better way to tell it. Like So Saruman, I hate. Hate that hate that fight. Hate him jumping on the goddamn rock the way they show that as he flies away. Or Griffin, whatever the fuck it is. Right. It? Yeah. No, I guess it's Griffin. They're Griffins. Fuck. It wasn't it wasn't an eagle? I guess it is a giant eagle. I don't... It is just a giant eagle. I guess that's right. So, 
okay so i have a couple questions about the movie but before before i ask that i want to ask mm-hmm. about the hobbit because yeah. i really don't know anything about those huh. movies really at all i managed to totally avoid any information about those movies except that there's three of them right and frank you've actually watched the first two right so you're probably better to talk yeah. about this than me so so did peter jackson make those to, as well yeah, yeah he did and worse how it's does somebody worse. it's worse because it completely misses the point the hobbit is a novel and it just is basically like it, it's three three-hour movies so it's the same thing as watching the original the lord of the rings trilogy but whereas that's a thousand pages spread out over three individual books they take that same length of time to tell that story and tell the story of a 200 page you know children's novel basically it's really boring it's got a lot of like really unnecessary do they add a lot of bogus content to it it's been so long since i've read the hobbit i can't remember it felt like it did but i know there were some characters that were in the book that are represented in the movie it's like CGI trolls, and there's a huge fight scene inside, like, a big goblin warren or whatever, with, like, a bunch of CGI, and then all them all getting fallen off the cliff because he was coming help them. Where I don't right. know. It's, it's, it, it's, look, so I've seen maybe a half hour of each of, the, each of those movies, probably. Um he makes everything in that movie just as like dark and kind of like emo as you know fellowship like in the hobbit yeah and it's it's worse one for that reason because that's not what the hobbit was about <laughs> like you know that was more of a kid's story than anything you know um that he that that he writes out the four of them you know, and it's like there's a lot more like, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, sense of an, an adventure, you know, and a fun adventure at that, even if there's danger, it's still fun to some degree. Like, you know, there's, yeah. um, there's a dragon at the end and you know, all that stuff. But it's like, God, it's just so dark. It's so fucking dark. Yeah, that, that should not be a dark. Like, even the eagles are just like, it feels like. Like you're in, they're in danger from the eagles. Possibly, it's it's so fucking really? weird. It's so uh, weird. Like it's it's bizarre, and they just extend it out way too long. Like everything, um, in part again because he can't fucking keep a scene to like the length it needs to be. Um, it's really bad. Like it 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 like I could only watch because Brandy was watching him. And I come in, and I watch five minutes, and I walk out, and I come back in, and it's like oh. It's, and she actually likes those these Lord of the Ring movies, but um, she doesn't like the Hobbit movies like at all. Um, okay, uh, so it's really right. telling to me. Yeah, I hope I never never have to see those. I mean, part of the problem, um, to your point, Chris, with all of these movies in the scene, motherfucker, <laughs> is that like a lot of my my idea of how to frame like like televisual story about like an environment or whatever comes from Tolkien in the way that like he describes stuff. And it's like everything in these movies is 
it's dirty and it's muddy and it's like washed out and oh i don't know it just but the hobbit's really bad for that like it doesn't feel like i don't know like warm and magical i, I don't right. know that's yeah there's, there's my... no warmness in that movie there's none there's no warmth like everything's just like the same kind of like weird blues and grays that permeates the Lord of the Rings stuff. Like most of the time, it's awful. Everything is so heavy-handed in Lord of the Rings or in Fellowship, anyway. Yeah, uh-huh. like when he's in when he's in Rivendell, everything's covered in a in a golden hue. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I don't and think when he's any, in Moria, nothing... everything's black and white. And I think that's it. It's like again, it's like there's nothing subtle. There's nothing subtle in these movies whatsoever. Like it's for it's for idiot. It's a, well to your point, Frank. I guess like what you were saying is like you have to like draw people in, like you know, like the average viewer, um, which is a good euphemism. But it's like it feels like it's made f- for people that don't want to think, and it's like here is everything that we can give you. Get it? It it is kind. So yeah, I agree, and it it's kind of entertaining as an action movie. As an actual movie, sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. you know, and it's like sure. visually stimulating. Not, right. sure. Not like, I get that. Not much yeah. more than that. Yeah. But <laughs> it right. will stimulate you and it'll keep right. you awake for three And it's hours. so manipulative that it continue, continue to stimulate you and think that there's more character development and um, narrative than there actually is. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, what I wanted to ask about this. Uh-huh about this was trying to understand the timeline of of popular movie culture between then and now and maybe maybe immediately preceding these movies um so what what is the impact of lord of the rings on popular movie like movie pop culture oh my god and the reason <clears throat> the reason I asked that is because when it came out, the reason why we were so excited about it, kind of to Frank's point earlier, was that it was suddenly we had this like celebration of our subculture that we had grown up with. And, you know, like we're, we're, we're sitting there in, in, in 10th grade playing Magic the Gathering right. at, at lunch. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and so like now all of a sudden, wow, somebody's putting hundreds of millions of dollars into into making three hour movies of like like the grandfather of high fantasy. And this is going to be a real Hollywood thing. Like, you know, before that, I mean, the, The Hobbit had gotten some relatively minor animated treatment in the 70s. And Lord of the Rings, too. And yeah, and not much else. So I mean, there had been other fantasy movies. You, you think about think about like some of the movies from the eighties, um, like uh, I don't know, Labyrinth or Legend or Princess Bride or you know any of those type of things. But they're not to me. I mean, they're still. I don't know what you would I don't know what you would call them, but they're not high fantasy medieval fantasy middle earth like tolkien-esque they're not and the stuff that was was not very successful 
so here so here like this was what 2001 2002 or something 2001 yep and and now all of a sudden so so i guess the first question is what what happened to make this a viable project was it the resurgence of star wars or something like that and then did 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 these movies did they have an impact on studios going forward did they impact things like comic books becoming you know viable um you know viable content for like big screen big budget blockbusters and that kind of thing so a lot of it came from peter jackson just being very who made this new line right made these movies whoever had the rights to these movies needed to make them because there was a thing where like the rights kept running out or whatever. And so they had to do it. And I guess that they were impressed with Jackson and his like love for him. So, but to your, you know, star Wars is a big part of it. The fact that you have these movies that can gross, you know, whatever Phantom Menace gross, like $500 million or whatever. So it proves that there's some, profitability and like playing to that like nerd culture or whatever it also proved that like those were mainstream like viable topics that you could cover like things that were previously thought to be like relegated to you know like the fringes of society in a lot of ways and that's not what you could get like the average viewer to come and see like they proved that was wrong so as much as like these movies whatever like you may not like them i don't think you have the marvel cinematic universe without lord of the rings I don't think you have the Star Wars revival in a lot of ways without Lord of the Rings, even though like the prequel trilogy did, you know, a lot of money. Like I think the Lord of the Rings being like a viable and self-sustaining franchise in a lot of ways, having like six movies that all gross, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, like allowed studios to have the confidence of investors to go after these topics that you know were considered more marginal and make movies about them and that people have proven over and over again you know they're willing to go and see and i also think in a lot of ways like beyond just the cinematic universe i think that it's legitimized like hobbies that were considered to be childish or whatever like undesirable like um video game collecting and you know there's some of the most popular channels on youtube are freaking celebrities playing dungeons and dragons those are you know sometimes like millions of viewers for their channels so in a lot of ways it's like homogenized something that when we were young was more marginalized but in that way like more special so maybe in some ways it's taken some of the like magic in whatever out of like some of that stuff by making it more accessible but then you know you have one of the most successful tv series of all time in game of thrones right it's not possible and you know a big budget um dark tower series or the fact that H or who is it? amazon right is making the lord of the rings like pre-prequel shit that takes place in like the second age or whatever that's coming out next year and all that stuff is possible yeah, because yeah it's not it's not the person. only it's not the only calls i frank said all that stuff very well um it's not the only reason but it's like I think I'm stealing this from Chuck the TV show, but it's like basically like the decade of the geek, which was the 2000s. It's like this is a major component of that. 
um, like yeah. of allowing all that stuff that like, you know, I mean, Christ, look at Netflix in terms of like the television shows that are out there like now that like are being made on Netflix. It is like one kind of like almost like what would have been at one time considered like this kind of geekish thing after another, you know, um, and yeah, this was a large part of that. I fucking don't like this movie, and I don't like Peter Peter Jackson overall, and I don't like the trilogy. Like, I seriously like one Peter Jackson movie, I think. And, um, but yeah, but I mean, a, a cultural artifact. I mean, massive influence, massive. Here's the other thing too, and this is uh, like all the stuff I said. I think was mostly positive. Here's a really big negative impact that these movies had on filmmaking in general is that it let people know that you could get someone to come to a theater and watch a three-hour movie and they'd be okay with it yeah so all of a sudden like your big budget movies now are like yeah two and a half hours You're right. two hours and 40 minutes like the yeah. fucking transformer series sure those movies are awful and they're long as shit and it's because like they know that they'll you'll come and sit down and watch it so they can make them as long as they want right what do they get from what do they get from making a longer movie they get to give into their excesses, basically. They don't have to make. So they don't have to show any restraint or or taste. Basically, like you don't have to make. I was watching an interesting thing today about um movies that were made on like low budgets or whatever on YouTube, and I was watching a thing about Rocky and how Sylvester Stallone had to like parse every single word of his screenplay when he was making that movie because it cost so much money to film like every minute that every single thing in that movie had to matter. So there were scenes that he had written that he had completely cut and scenes that he had to find a way to cut around to keep in like the scene where he's talking to Adrian before the fight where he's like, you know, I don't care if he splits my head open, that might happen. I just got to make it. I got to get there. Like talking about fighting on Clubber Lang or whoever, like the, you know, this great scene that almost got cut because he had to find some way to fit it. And like, when a studio is willing to give you $200 million to make a movie and you can make that movie two hours and 45 minutes long, you can have every single miscellaneous, meaningless scene you want like crammed in there. And there's no consequence. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to learn how to edit yourself or trim the fat from your screenplay, which actually like lowers the overall product in general because you're not forced to make it a more compelling story. You can just like meander at points and still get back to the the main thread, and it's okay. So I I think that's a really big negative in a lot of ways. And and, and that's and on. that's cyclical, you know, through decades um, that happening. But yeah, this is definitely one of the movies that calls that to happen in the 2000s. Um, and and it, honestly, it persists to this day um, because the 90s was the last time where you actually had to have tight script writing. Um, and before that, it was like the 70s. Um, you're right, like just like your Rocky example. But if you go back to like the 60s, the 60s movies were bloated as fuck. Um, and I, we, we've all seen this actually. Somebody, I don't know, I think it was maybe like Marvel or somebody like, you know, 20 years ago, like posted like some article that like tracked all this information about running time, like over the course of like from the 40s to like the present day and there was all this data and stuff in this article maybe it was Heaster, who knows um Heaster will probably like remember that he actually posted it and tell me about it but um um 
but yeah, like we we saw this like a long time ago, and I always thought that was interesting. But yeah, it is cyclical. But this is definitely calls the past twenty years of this bullshit of like every Avengers movie and every Marvel movie needing to be at least two fifteen, um, you know, if not longer. I, terrible. Yeah, you're right. That's a that's a big negative for this movie. Absolutely. All right, I want to do one more thing with you, uh, Mike, real quick. I want to walk through the actors in this movie. Oh, <laughs> and, oh, and just so real quick, the production thing of like how this movie got made, I did look into that a little bit. Um, I wasn't too far off with my guess. Is that? So Peter Jackson, after the Frighteners, because basically he creates this like this company that does special effects and stuff like that to do the Frighteners, he wanted to keep it in business. Um, so he wanted to go ahead and do a movie that was Tolkien-esque. Um, and what they ended up doing as a treatment ended up being basically something that was way too Tolkien-esque. Um, it was basically just like something like Lord of the Rings. So then Peter Jackson claims he has the thought, why hasn't anybody ever tried to do a live action, you know, Lord of the Rings? So they start investigating. Miramax actually has the rights to it. Um, and then Weinstein, there's some shit where Harvey Weinstein fucks him over. Like, <laughs> um, surprise. Um, and like the, there's some kind of thing. And then... So they're going to make two movies, apparently. Like, it's going to be, like, The Fellowship of the Ring and The War of the Ring. Um, and then they end up moving to New Line. Um, and then New Line basically throws all this money at them and is, like, because the guy that is a mark, like, the, the, the guy that, like, runs New Line is a token mark and just start, wow. like, throws all this money at them and is, like, do three movies. Like, you know, like, here's more money and that's how you end up like you know where they're at kind of um huh. with these but yeah it was really just a way to keep his his own special effects company like in business <laughs> that makes sense i've heard that lucas wanted to do lord of the rings and that he ended up doing willow as a substitute uh, i have heard that do Is you that know true? if there's any truth to that frank maybe i know that he um I don't know. I don't know anything. I I was actually reading about the like the origins behind Willow like last year, but I don't remember exactly what it was. I thought Willow was something else, not Lord of the Rings. It might be Lord of the Rings. You might be right. Um yeah. Funny enough, I was just watching like earlier today the Cisco and Ebert episode because they just get recommended to me constantly now that talked about Willow and um they both hated Willow and gave it two thumbs down. Um, but so I want to walk through the uh, cast listing here with you and just get your opinion on these perform, like the actors that are cast in these roles. So um, you want my opinion on the casting or the acting? I guess both. Um, okay. I guess both. Uh, like a like a yeah like more of like it's just a summative evaluation right. however you want to do it i'm not really much of a of an acting evaluator but i'll try okay so elijah wood is frodo uh he's okay to me i don't mind the look um i don't really blame him for anything in the movie because 
I think he was doing what Jackson told him to do. Right. Ian McKellen is Gandalf. And you can just do a yeah or nay if you want, or be as specific yeah. as you want. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, I like the casting. Um, yeah, I mean, in the movie, I think of Gandalf as more of a costume than a character. I don't know what that means, but yeah, it's all right. Thank so, you. so I told you before then, I probably should have saved it till now, actually, but it's like that uh, Sean Connery turned this role down. Um, yeah, that would have been hilarious. <laughs> uh, Patrick Stewart um, uh, turned it down. Um, uh, Christopher Plummer, uh, who just passed away, turned it down. And then Sam Neill was considered, um, but didn't actually end up getting offered the role um, at one point. Wow. So is Ian, McK- is Ian McKellen the best choice out of those? Yeah. Yeah. Sam, Neill, Sam Neill's the weirdest, I think, to me. Well, I mean, Sean Connery's the weirdest, but I mean, um, Sam Neill's the second weirdest um, because he just felt really young still at yeah. that point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so next, uh, the, the, the Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, I like, I like him in the movie. Um, I don't know, it's so, I don't know, so, so many, these, these characters are forgettable in the movie, and <laughs> there's really not much character there, there's just, it's all yeah. action. Yeah. So, I, I but... I find him convincing in the movie as a protector, guide, etc. Uh, I hate how they introduce him in the end. Oh, like, they, he's, yeah. I also remember. hate the slow mo of the fight, like when he like comes out fighting and there's all that slow mo. I hate that too. On Weathertop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's all terrible. I, I I don't remember how he's introduced in the book. I mean, I remember him being. They they call him Strider and everything. Yeah, and so you don't. Then there's there's mystery. Same, isn't it? Where he's sitting in the tavern at Bree, the galloping. It is. It is. It's just not as overdone because of the shadowiness. It's the shadow. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that, like, oh, here's this shadowy. But it's the same, technically the same way. Yeah. 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 This kind of like mysterious figure in the corner and stuff like that. I think Mortensen is over the course of those three movies, I know we're just talking about fellowship, the best casting oh, and absolutely. best yeah. performance. I agree with that. I, I think out of this movie, the best casting is Viggo Mortensen, McKellen, and Sean Bean. Yeah, Sean Bean's pretty good in it, even though, you know, yeah, they kind of ruined the Boromir. Death sure, the sure, yeah. Agreed. And th- that's in Two Towers, isn't it? Like, that scene? Which scene? The, um... It starts Proto off... And, Proto and Sam splitting from the Fellowship. No, it's at the very no. end of Fellowship. Are you sure about that? I think... Yeah. yeah. Sa- Frodo, Frodo being in the boat and Sam running is the very end of Fellowship. It's like the last ten pages. I know, I know this would be true. <laughs> I, 
I knew this much is true. So I'm, I'm really curious about one thing that I've always been curious about, about two towers is in the book, they, they spend half of the book on Frodo and Sam and the other half of the book on Mary and Pippin. And I've always wondered, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that Peter Jackson cuts it together. There's no way that he could, that he could, so, uh, Mary and Pippin get split off in the movie. Yeah. No, no, I, I know, but, or, I mean, I assume that's true, but what I mean is that in the book, they literally, you literally don't hear anything about Mary and Pippin until the second half of the book. The first yeah, half about... of the book, the first half of the book is just what, or I could have it backwards, but it's like the first half of the book is just what Frodo and Sam are doing. And then it totally changes and tells you what was happening. Yeah, it's the second half is Frodo and Sam. Okay. They make you wait for Frodo and Sam. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So I've always been curious about how how you know how that would look if it was cut together. Um, I mean, there's really there's three major stories, um, uh, two towers, which is Frodo and Sam getting through the ruins of um, the Gondor, right? Where they have to get through, where uh, Faramir is the captain. Yeah, it's Gondor, right? I think. So. And yeah. they have the. Um, the wyvern and the ring rate are there right um so there's that that's like one third of the movie then another third of the movie is the um non-hobbit companions getting to and defending helm's deep so you have the riders of rohan and gandalf coming back um and the helm's deep shit and then there's a very small amount with mary and pippin going to where they meet Treebeard, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like that might even be the third movie that that happens in. So they might even cut that part completely out of the second movie, for the most part. Because they get split off from them at Gondor, right? In the movie? Yeah. Or no, they get split off. They get taken... I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've seen the two towers. Um... I don't mind the way that they have Helm's Deep look, except for when they're actually filming in Helm's Deep, where it seems very small. Like, all of a sudden, this giant mountain fortress seems like nothing. Because it all gets, like, condensed two rooms, basically. And, like, one segment of wall. But, like, the shots outside of Helm's Deep looks really good. It looks exactly how I would have always imagined it. Well, so do you know who Stuart Townsend is, the actor? No. No, um, so it's this guy right here. Um, you see this guy? Yeah. So he was cast as Aragorn until two days before shooting started. Hmm. Um, and uh, Jackson changed his mind, and um, they flew in Mortensen. Um, wow. So um, and that guy does not look like Aragorn whatsoever. So um, it's probably a good choice. Uh, we already talked about oh. Sean Aston. Let's see next. Uh, Liv Tyler. That's hmm. uh, a, a decent choice. I don't. I mean, she's not yeah. a. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. Helena Bonham Carter wanted to play that role. Um, Ooh, but... No. <laughs> no. Um, Kate Blanchett. Love Kate Blanchett as. The choice for Galadriel. Hate what they did to her, but 
perfect casting. Uh, let's see here. and I don't think you care about any of that. Um, what about uh, Orlando Bloom as Legolas? Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he... <sighs> Fucking Stuart Townsend there look more like Legolas to me. Like if you put a blonde <laughs> wig on him, then I don't know. Um, it's just a goofy choice. Yeah. Is this after Pirates Front? Hmm. I think it was after the first one, at least. That might be true. Nope. I just looked it up. It's not. Really? Yeah. What had he done before this? Then uh, Black Hawk Down. He was had a role in. Uh, but it's a, it's a pretty far down the list roll. Like it's like one scene. So let me see if he does any. Uh, uh, dude, he just got. I don't know. He just got cast in this bitch. Like, wow. I don't know. He's on like one episode of some UK show. I don't know. Weird. Oh, uh, and then uh, you go weaving as Elrond. It's a bad choice. So he's got David, the like the strange strangely angular face which I kind of mm-hmm. like. Right. But acting and the character and just no. There's not no. Yeah. Uh so David Bowie have, wanted to play this role and told Jackson uh, that he wanted to play this role. Yeah. And too um old. too old. No, Jackson said too famous. It would distract the viewers from. Um... I kind of agree with that. Yeah. I. I mean, I if you're, you're playing an elf, you ha- you're playing an elf. You have to be eternally youthful. Just, I mean, Elrond's supposed to be really old. I think right? that David Bowie looked pretty young in 1999. Honestly, he had his new teeth in. <laughs> he was rocking that unplugged look with the blue sweater. Really, VH1, really, really VH1 storytellers. Lots of going hard. Um, okay, I mean, so I mean, he was he was definitely at the time he was definitely a handsome man, right? Moving on, I think I, I think at that time he he could have worked. Um, really? Yeah, I do. Um. Would you have? Do you have any other anyone else in mind? No, no. no any um, other aging rock stars? <laughs> Adam Ant, <laughs> Rick Ocasek. <laughs> Rick Ocasek could have played um Sauron. <sighs> what if all the Rick, all the ring wraiths just have Rick Ocasek's face? Look, Chris. Look up. Um, look up Jarvis Cocker from Pulp. He would have been a good elf if we're casting British rock stars. And uh, let, me, let me tell you something about Jarvis Cocker. Tell me. I've only ever heard like two Pulp songs, but I did. But I have this mm-hmm. one. <clears throat> but this one time, Zeke was telling me the story, and he'll probably tell you. He's probably told you this story too. That he got an opportunity to talk to Jarvis Cocker, and do you know what he asked him? Where do you buy your pants? What did Jarvis Cocker so tall and slender? Where do you buy those pants? And I don't remember what the answer was. 
Zeke I saw I saw Paul with uh, Zeke in Philly. Might been, that might have been when he asked the question. I don't remember us having a chance to talk to Paul. Although maybe Zeke came with somebody else back where the bands came out because he used to do that. He would go to things with Andrew sometimes. Yeah, instead of us. Yeah, I mean, I you know, like I would not. It's not something I would have ever thought of. But once Zeke said it, I thought, yeah, I mean. The guy has a very unique body type. He probably struggles to find pants. Nervous Cocker probably felt good that somebody finally asked him that question. (laughs) So I forgot about this about uh, Aragorn because this this is tie in here. Um, So before um, Townsend took the role and then was axed, um, Daniel Day-Lewis was offered the role, turn it down. Hmm. Um, Russell Crowe turn it down. Um, and Nick Cage <laughs> turn it down. Wow. So Daniel Day Lewis, it was just because Jackson saw him throw an axe one time. <laughs> yeah, at was... this point, yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, <laughs> right, right. He got all hype watching that for the movie. Yeah. Right. Um. Russell Crowe? Russell Crowe Russell would have been Crow's fine. White. No, he's, he's way too Russell? pudgy. Hold on, at that point though? Not back then. Not back 2000, then. 2001? That's Gladiator era Russell Crowe. He's all fit. I thought Gladiator was before that. He doesn't get pudgy until um that Tunisia movie. Gladiator's 2000, so yeah, it's the, right around that time, yeah. So he would have been, yeah, he would have been like in shape and everything. It was like four years after Gladiator. Like he does, or like five years or something, he does that fucking Diane Lane movie where he's all pudgy suddenly, like romantic comedy. Um, he just looks too round. All right. So, uh, real quick, Sean, because this is just funny. So, Sean Bean as Boromir. Liam Neeson passed on it. Um, Bruce Willis, because he's such a fan. Bruce Willis expressed interest, and that's all it says. <laughs> so I'm assuming the interest went nowhere. Bruce Willis, he he expresses a lot of interest. He actually, he, maybe this is what happened to him because he expresses no interest in any role that he ever does now. So this guy hasn't tried in at least twelve years, if not. 20 so maybe this is what broke him i mean and i just wanted to be boromir and i just say something very briefly off topic here sure i was thinking about al green the other day and so i went and watched the scene with marcellus wallace talking to butch in the bar uh-huh. or a restaurant or whatever uh-huh. oh my god that scene is amazing yes and yep. Think back to when we when we saw that for the first time. We were 14 years old. Yeah. We didn't know shit about R and B. Right. So, you know, we didn't right. we didn't know shit. Right. And I remember just completely uh like um that scene transported me to another place with Al Green in the background and Marcellus Wallace mm-hmm. and the way he was talking to Butch. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's amazing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and, and Willis's reactions. Yeah. I mean, Willis is actually acting in that movie. And it's like, it's fucking incredible. Like, it's so good. Like, trying to be tough when he's basically being a bitch. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's so that's, good. That's true, yeah. I I always bash, like, lately in the past 10 years, I've really bashed a lot of Tarantino stuff. But because, you know, like, I, I don't like the extended dialogue scenes that he's been doing. And they don't feel interesting to me. But whatever, that's another topic. Yeah. Um, Have you watched, did you watch uh, uh, Once Upon a Time? The in Hollywood, Hollywood one? Yeah. No, I haven't seen that one okay. yet. Yeah, you need to watch that. So, like, specifically Hateful Eight. Sure. Hateful Eight yeah. and, and uh, Inglorious Bastards. It had mm-hmm. a lot of extended dialogue scenes that I just didn't, I didn't like yeah. for a number of reasons. But then I go back and I watch that scene. Right. And I remember. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I remember. I remember how much I loved this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, yeah, the the newer stuff just doesn't do it for me, but holy shit, that movie. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. There's, there's so many things like, yeah, he was able to, yeah, it's incredible. He was able to like pace just scenes and write dialogue so well. Like even like fucking Willison, like the, like the, the Butch and Fabian stuff. It's like that, those scenes shouldn't work. No, (laughs) those scenes were so weird when like, Thinking back when we were fourteen years old, right? Watching that on opening, like right. we were there on opening night. I we think. were, we were, because because we thought it was going to be a gangster, like gangster movie. movie, right? Yeah, because we had seen the pictures yeah. in entertainment. I'm week glad, that, I'm glad this has gotten confirmed after like me years of me probably telling the same story. Oh uh, yeah, we thought it was going to be like <laughs> Goodfellas or something, right? Yep, and yep. and like we had no idea what was going to happen to us. <laughs> yeah, no. Right. Yeah. I mean, we, um, yeah, like I'm trying to think of what we knew, like at the time, it's like, I think we knew that it had, um, it's like, we dude, saw the, we didn't, we, we didn't know anything. I don't think we even saw a trailer. No, we hadn't. Right. No, we had, we knew that it had won in can. I can. Yeah. That's what, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. We knew it won can and we barely knew what that was. I think at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And those yeah, and those scenes with him with them in the apartment. Yeah. And yeah. oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like it, it, in 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 so many other filmmakers it wouldn't have worked. But like Tarantino, I realize is like a dude that studies so many other filmmakers and that kind of steals or liberally borrows and stuff like that. Like he had learned how to make something like that work. I'm guessing Frank from the your like definitely Europeans. I'm thinking from the French. That what? feels like a very French scene. The Fabian and Butch scenes feels very like French to me. She's French, isn't she? She is, but yeah. like in terms of the way that it's like filmed and paced and stuff like that, and even shot at times. I guess in a way it's kind of a callback maybe to like Godard, because he does love Band of Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it just feels it, it, there's something about French. it that, like thinking back on it feels very French to me now. French New Wave, definitely. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, it's just like the way of like kind of like swinging that camera like over to the bathroom and that little hotel room and stuff. Like that, it's very intimate and we yeah it's weird but yeah i agree like I, I last time i watched it a few years ago when we did it for the um uh, podcast like yeah it was crazy like watching it again after all those years and realizing like jesus like this is incredible yeah yeah <sighs> we should, right. yeah, okay. i don't think i have um anything else on Lord of the Rings. Like I, I'm hoping this is exercising it for me for the rest of my life. And I never have to, uh, think about Peter Jackson ever again. I'm putting um, two towers on something. <laughs> well, you're going to put fucking meet the feebles on something yeah, at I some am. point. I know that yes, like, you're going to get me on that. I think you, well, I actually like brain dead. That is actually another movie of his. I like, um, um, if it's the one I'm thinking of, but, um, but, and you like bad taste mugs. too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's it. Yeah, that's that's fine. It's funny enough. Um, and bad taste. Do you like bad taste? Right. Sure. Ugh. I like all of Peter Jackson's movies up to um. Well, this I guess. Fucking bag of bones or whatever the fuck it is. Um, what is that called? Lovely bones. That's him, right? Lovely bones. Didn't he direct Heavenly the lovely Creatures? bones? No, yeah, the lovely bones adaptation. He directed that, didn't that he? It? Did you say Adam's at? I said Heavenly Creatures. No, I like Heavenly Creatures. I gotta look this shit up now. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess it is. But that's well after where I stopped liking. <laughs> okay. Um... Has he done anything this, else? Doesn't matter. If you if you had a like if you had a dream director to remake this movie Ugh. with the same cast, the same budget, same. At, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, if you could rewrite history, just put a new director in. <laughs> just slide in, just slide in somebody else. Who would it be? <laughs> Mm-hmm. see that's why frank's the guy that makes the list is because frank's the one that's actually legitimately contemplating this question <laughs> and i'm just laughing um, at the delivery of the question i mean i would take i would take spielberg i think of all the directors who can capture like whimsy mixed with like peril and make stuff that's palatable to like a white age range, I think that Spielberg's probably the best. Um Spielberg uh, understands other... intimacy better than I ever thought that he did. Like the more I... we've done this podcast and a couple other things I've rewatched of his, he really understands intimacy very well. I would be interested to see like Ridley Scott's take on it, just because I think that he's another one that just kind of understands, like, from a fantasy perspective, like, what looks good. Um, hmm. I don't know. There's really not many people that I think... Like, you gave it to Chris Columbus, because he would just be really pablum and boring, but you wouldn't have any of the 
animosity towards some of the stuff that you hate? Chris Columbus is a pretty boring director. Um, he can film some scenes, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, it's very classically filmed, and you know, I mean, first Harry Potter movie is fine, and 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 so is the second. Yeah, that's true. I forgot he did the second. Yeah, he did the second one too, in the same same way. Right. Mm-hmm. Then I hate the third one, of course. That um, like in terms of filmmaking, like that. Karan you know what? That would have done a great job with it. Is um, Brad Bird? Actually, I think that's my answer. Who's that? He's the guy that did um, Iron Giant. Has he ever done live action? Yeah, I think so. I think he can direct live action anyway. Let me look. Um. Yeah, he did a uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Let me ask you this. If Del Toro could direct English-speaking no. actors... Nope. You can't even direct, that question. He if can. he could direct English-speaking actors... Whatever. I mean... Visually, do you think? What? Yeah, no, I don't know about that. Because, like... Hellboy's kind of... I mean, I I don't mind the Hellboy movies, but they're kind of cheap looking sometimes too. You know what I mean? But I, all I the only reason I ask is because he does have some experience with high budget like special effects and all that kind of stuff. Well, maybe not the time, but he 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 does now. But it's like, um, but he has soul at least. Yeah, that's true. He has heart. I mean, there could have been like a Spanish language Lord of the Rings, all subtitled, and then it would have made fifteen dollars, and we wouldn't be having this conversation, right? Um, I don't know. I'm I just want to see David choice. Lynch. I, 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 I'm just going to make a joke, and I, I want to see David Lynch direct motherfucker. Motherfucker, I almost said that, like in all seriousness, because I was thinking about like thinking about Dune, taking that Dune visual aesthetic <laughs> and applying it to Lord of the Rings. Mm. Like Gandalf's got like the nipples cut out of his robe, and he's all floating and high all the time. It'd be it'd be pretty good. This is going to sound really odd, Frank. Actually, I just thought of this because of I, my joke reference to David Lynch. What about Terry Gilliam? Oh yeah, Terry Gilliam would have done a great job. That's a really good answer. I could go for that. Like if you like restrained like the whimsiness and like you know like oddities hid the fish eye lens from him (laughs) (laughs) right right Uh, Right. it's like that's that's three weeks of production is terry jones like scouring fucking like fake hobbit village looking for his fish eye (laughs) you tricksy hobbits where'd you put it (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, terry gilliam's a really good answer Terry Gilliam has restrained his whimsy a little bit in like subsequent years. So, yeah, it's true. Like, Ty, I, Ty I still never watched the Imaginarium of Doctor Par Par Museum. Yes, whatever that was called. I never watched that, but um, I mean, I I would like the kill <laughs> Don Quixote much more than you did. I think overall, I just um, hate Adam Driver. So right, right. fuck that wet-eyed fool. <laughs> I actually did watch that Imaginarium movie. I don't remember much about it. There, were, The fucked up thing about that was there was the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus 
then there was the Wonder Emporium, Emporium of yeah. Doctor Emporium. Yeah. yeah. And they came out at the same time, and they're like, yeah. Movie. Right. Yeah. Like, who thinks that's a good Parnassus movie? is was the like, one with Christopher Plummer in it, right? I think so, yeah. And then Nan- Nanny McBee across the aisle in Theater 3. <laughs> fucking up everything, too. Fucking. <laughs> fucking Brits. Sorry. we. I think we actually have one British listener, so sorry about that. But, um, but yeah, that, oh. that did fuck us up over here for one year. <laughs> I like the British is fine. They're just getting yeah, in. sure. Yeah, tons of movies. Like you love British horror. That's yeah. gonna be that's that's gonna be like pretty much two years from now. Like all seventies horror is just gonna be like uh, each year is gonna be filled with British horror. Looking forward to it. We already watched the Blood on Satan's Claws, so spoiler. Yeah, right. Yeah, like it's one of them out of seven. I got one down, except for in two years' time. I have to rewatch it because I'll forget it. All right. Uh, okay. So, um, Mike, thank you for coming on and shitting on this movie with us because we were actually nice. just talking about um, just a couple weeks ago, I think in the introduction, if I remember, because we've done so many episodes over the course of the, the past like month. Um, we were just talking about how like we need to like do more episodes where it's like the worst of and that kind of stuff because we actually do like really enjoy um being able to bad mouth movies rather than talk about why they're good, why they're good. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Maybe um some other uh, secret haters will reach out. Maybe they will. Yeah, I mean this is this is like this is considered. I know from Reddit like a couple threads I've seen on there over the past like couple years. This is considered a hot take. <laughs> like the like the most serious of hot takes, which is like the like the Lord of the Rings sucks. Um, it's considered a big hot take. Yeah. Like right. Thanks also, Bledsoe, for being a pretty consistent contributor to the podcast over the first hundred episodes. Yes, yeah. Um, in fact, what I w- want to do now, almost like, is uh, I want to do a Bledsoe first watch of uh, the Two Towers <laughs> at some point someday. Oh my gosh, that would be awful. I think next time I'm on, I want to talk about the village. <laughs> okay, I'm just kidding. Oh. <laughs> but I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like a I'm just kidding or am I? <laughs> type thing? I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'd much rather like actually do like a two and a half hour watch along of just reacting to everything that happens in the two towers. <laughs> That's going to be traumatic. Yeah. Or just make you watch the first Hobbit movie and see what happens. Um, I would rather not ruin the Hobbit. I'm okay. With ruining the two towers. I'll soil the two towers Uh, for your benefit. Yeah. But I won't ruin the Hobbit. The Hobbit is too too sacred for me. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Thank you again for coming on. Yep. Thank you very much. Yep. Have a good night, everybody.